to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and joining us for this very special occasion is our beloved producer and editor, AJ Filari. Thank you. Hello! Thank you for Yay! I'm Woo-hoo! here! Thanks for, thanks for having me. Is yeah, this your second course, episode man. of the year that you've been on? This is the second episode of the year, yeah. yeah. The first one was the Last of Us 2 bonus episode, uh, and hopefully... This won't be that long. <laughs> 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 no, I do think the energy is immediately different, though, because it is morning instead of already dark out, which was yeah. really a, an intense energy for that episode. But yeah, just like The Last of Us Part Two taking place over three days, the recording of our bonus episode also <laughs> took place over the course of three days without sleep. <laughs> Per tradition, last year we, uh, well, the first year it was uh, Brandon and I recorded in person, uh, which was a lot of fun at your old place. And then last year was really nice. We went to your place, AJ. And I think that was the first time we met in person. Yes, it, de- it definitely was. And it was a really nice day. And obviously it's bittersweet today because we have to be remote. But I mm. think we're still happy to be together and happy to celebrate this year. Certainly. Um, so, yeah, I'm so excited and nervous and uh, every feeling at once, uh, similar to leakage at MP3, every feeling at once uh, <laughs> for this episode. Um, for those who maybe it's your first Goatee episode with us, we've got a pretty simple system. What we do is um, Brendan and I have both written a list of 10 games from this year that we really loved, one being our game of the year. So we'll go from 10 to 1 back and forth. And then at the end of the episode, we will try to compromise a list of five for the show. Um, So it's not necessarily like mathematically, okay, this game was fifth and this was first, so ergo X number. Yeah, we weight graphics as the most important and then (laughs) sound and then gameplay. Graphics, babes, guns, DLC. (laughs) Sorry. Microtransactions. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, all those things will be accounted for, and that's what will be on the show's top five. Um, but I think, you know, it's more like, okay, what is something that um, means a lot to the show, to both of us, and we kind of go from there. So um, it's a really fun time. Um, I'm really excited to see what's on our list. And uh, for this year, we added something special. We reached out to all of our guests from this season, and they all contributed their pick for the year or, or their, um, you know, we kind of gave them like, a minute or two just to kind of use creatively uh so (laughs) those will uh happen over the course of the episode and thank you uh once again to all our guests for joining us this year and for giving us your time for this episode so this is our first year where we had guests on the show at all which is yeah Mm -hmm. yeah really really cool and that will definitely be something we continue going up going forward um (laughs) i think that's it oh and also um thank you all in the discord who voted uh for the top five of the discord i will announce those results at the at like towards the end of the episode so i think that's everything in terms of like housekeeping framing the episode Um, do you have anything else to kind of open with either of you (sighs) not really uh i'm just like oh man I I feel pretty good about my list. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that. Me too. Right up yeah. front. Um, it's it's been mostly the same for about a week. Uh, with like some very slight changes here and there. But the, my the point that I try and get to is when I am not looking at the list and I'm out and I'm doing something else. If I can recite my list from one to ten exactly as I have it written down, that means that like the gut check is probably correct. Mm. Um, and yeah, and a couple a times test. I got that wrong, which prompted some changes, which I thought was interesting. But mm. this is definitely as we've said is the hardest year i think 
I mean, we've oh, only yeah. done this for three years, but this has been the hardest of the <laughs> no, three by far. Like the last two years were difficult, but it was difficult in the way that like a game we really loved might have not made the top five. This year is like games we loved and talked about for hours may not even make the list. That's right. where we're at, with which this is one. the case for me in a lot of instances. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My list has been like a atom of like a core sort of nucleus with just electrons firing <laughs> around it. Um, I think I've settled on something that works, and obviously like. You and I have played a lot of stuff this year. There are games we couldn't get to in time or didn't have an ability to play. I think PC is our big kind of blind spot currently. But we've covered a lot of stuff and we put a lot of time into a lot of things. And I think at least for our own take on stuff, our own opinions, I think our list will be a good gauge of like what we really, really love this year. And with that, I think we wanted to look back a little. We were thinking of kind of looking quickly at our list from... 2018 and 2019 and just sort of commenting on them like we're not going to change them but just sort of see like oh do we feel like we've now checked out a game from that year that we feel strongly enough to maybe if we could go back you know and 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 redo things the right way would it be on it Um, (laughs) stuff like that just like our feelings now that time has passed so i'll give the floor to you brendan if you want to quickly look back on on the last two years for yourself yeah i guess uh i'll just go back to 2018 real quick yeah my game of the year in 2018 was hollow knight Uh, And I am playing it again. It's my second time playing it. And it is still, I think, maybe my favorite game ever. Yeah. I think only rivaled by Dragon Quest XI-S Echoes of Elusive Age Definitive Edition for the Nintendo Switch, now available for Xbox Game Pass as well. Um, (laughs) But Hollow Knight is is, uh, just an unbelievable thing. And the day that we're recording this, there seem to be hints that Silksong is coming also, potentially getting announced December 31st of this year. So excited for next year when uh, that is very easily my 2021 game of the year. Just to alleviate all of our collective stress with that, it will count as a next year game. That was a point of tension in 2018 because Hollow Knight came out for PC in 2017, but then came out for systems in 2018. And like, that's where I think it found a much bigger audience. Nintendo kind of branded it as a Nindy. So it was like one of their like really heavily featured indie games. So yeah. I think it counts. Yeah. Um, and I think honestly that that conversation has kind of like echoed forward into the way we look at our lists ever since. Um, there are a yeah, lot of instances so. in which like uh you know games that that had a smaller launch or maybe were in early access for a couple of years uh then launched to you know great acclaim on consoles or whatever um that I, I, yeah. I think are definitely worth considering. I think like uh where we where we were drawing the line this year was like Pikmin 3 Deluxe maybe doesn't really yeah, count, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but Among Us could, you know, and that's something yes. that I, I've seen a lot of publications and podcasts like count as a 2020 game, which like I think makes total sense, yeah. you know. So yeah, so uh so your game of the year in 2018 was Hollow Knight. Yeah, was Do you Hollow want to Knight. comment on anything else or just just the game of the year? Not really. I mean, just looking at this, yeah. I'll just go down the list really quick. Hollow Knight, God yeah, of yeah. War, Spider-Man, Florence, Monster Hunter World, Celeste, Smash Ultimate, Pokemon Let's Go, Into the Breach, and Twinfold, which like I still feel very good about that list and about that order, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think I think I will probably go back and play. The only one that feels weird to me right now is God of War at number two, but I think when I go back and replay that game in New Game Plus in anticipation for Ragnarok, I think I'm going to be like, mm. yeah, that, that should be number yeah. two. It's so, I mean, it's tough to, some of these games are like completely different. Like, how do you compare God of War to Florence? You know, it's like yeah, they're right. just <laughs> totally different mediums at a certain point. Um, my game of the year in 2018 was Celeste, which like similar deal to you and Hollow Knight. I adore Celeste. My love for it has only grown. It is 
one of my favorite games of all time. And and that year in particular, like that game helped me kind of like Hollow Knight helped you through like a very yeah. rough personal time in your life. Hollow Knight is beautiful as well. Um, but Celeste for me, like I just felt like a better person after I had played it, you know, for lack of a better phrase. Like it's one of those pieces of media that just sort of opens up your heart a little bit more. And like just found the whole experience to be beautiful. Not to mention just like the stellar presentation and game design and like music, like everything like mechanically about that game is like just a lesson on design and like aesthetic and and just like you know just incredible across the board but i think the reason why that game is still talked about and still so beloved is its portrayal of living with anxiety and like just an extremely relatable and personal story um that has stayed with me for a long time so i I adore that game with my entire soul the rest of the list, I think, was uh, number two was Spider-Man, uh, which ended up being the game of the year for the show as like a compromise because it was so personal with Hollow Knight and Celeste. It was hard to be like, OK, you have this one. Like, no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> um, so it was Celeste. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think I have it memorized because I'm a weirdo. But, I didn't write down your uh, list. Okay, well, I wrote I, down my I'm, list. <laughs> what, what an assumption I made. Uh, <laughs> Celeste, Marvel Spider-Man, uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, Into the Breach, Greece, Monster Hunter World, Florence. Uh, what was eight? What was eight? Octopath Traveler. Thank you for having Octo in the name. Uh, Red <laughs> Dead Two and uh, Delta Rune. That was my right. 2018. Oh top wow, 10. Delta Rune still hasn't come out. Wow. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I still feel pretty good about all that, honestly. Um, I think, yeah, it's still how I, that felt pretty on par with how I feel now. 2019, our our collective game of the year was Three Houses, which like has yet to be rivaled for me for that year. Um, It probably won't. Like that is a similar game where I feel like Celeste, I found incredibly personal. Three Houses kind of felt like a very social experience. It was a game that was largely about getting to know these people inside and out. And I think that also kind of came out hand in hand with our Discord coming out. And that was like the most active channel, you know, on launch, like talking to other people about their experience with the game and like which characters they were gravitating towards and like what they were seeing. Like that felt so fun and so fresh. And it's still like one of my favorite RPGs of all time. So that that remains on its throne. Yeah. The the uh, goatee list, our top five for the show, at least uh, in 2019, was Fire Emblem, Sekiro, Slay the Spire, Death Stranding, and Pokemon Sword and Shield, which I... Let me talk about my list first, I guess, before I sure, comment yeah. on, on our top five. But uh, my overall top ten was Fire Emblem Three Houses, Sekiro, Sayonara Wild Hearts, Slay the Spire, Pokemon Sword and Shield, A Short Hike, Apex Legends, Remnant from the Ashes, What the Golf, and Control. Um, I, I tend to make top 20s generally, uh, and, and last year was the first year I felt really comfortable about doing that, um, just because we played so much stuff. We did the show for an entire year, um, so I, was, I also made a top 20 for this year. Uh, but I don't think that I would swap anything in or out for my for my top 10 last year. I still feel pretty good about most of it. And looking at everything else in here, even the stuff that I have gone on to play more of throughout yeah. this year, I still feel pretty good about that list. The only thing that I think stands out to me, and it's more that like, I think it's more a, a, a testament to like what has happened since our, we recorded that episode is that I feel like Pokemon Sword and Shield is too high. And I think that's just because I really didn't like enjoy the DLC, which like, 
kind of bums me out but i think that base game still deserves to be where it is you know what i mean oh, I, yeah, I think totally. just like when i look back i'm like oh why is pokemon sword and shield that high i really didn't have a good time then i remember that that's just the dlc um <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to what's coming next i mean there are a bunch of rumors about upcoming pokemon games uh, and they all yeah. sound really cool but uh yeah that that's the that's the one that i was like ooh, really that high and uh I, I think it makes sense we've got a lot of content on pokemon sword and shield i think the best overall episode on it is perfect rivals man Man, I'm really outdoing myself today with my memory of our own show. Uh, anyway, uh, I I remember the ones I draw the art for very distinctly. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, Pokemon Sword, I, I love. I think revisiting Crystal earlier this year kind Oof. of like yeah. reminded me how much more like replay value there is in some of the older games. Um, but I think you're right. Like the the base experience of Sword and Shield is definitely worthy of that list. My list was uh, Three Houses Game of the Year. Number two was Sekiro. Number three was Death Stranding. Four wow. was Slay the Spire. And five was Guildlings, one of my favorites. Yeah. And then six was Resident Evil 2. Seven was Pokemon Sword and Shield. Eight was Sinar Wild Hearts. Nine was Outer Worlds. And ten was a short hike. I feel pretty good about that. I would maybe bump Sayonara a little higher. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, feel, I feel pretty content with that list. Um, and... The two big games, uh, well, there's still a big game from that year that I haven't played yet, but it's coming to Switch, which is Disco Elysium. So, like, yeah. that's the big, like, missing. I, I feel like we will like that game based on what I know. Um, the other two big ones that I hadn't played then that were on, like, my radar were uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night and Outer Wilds. Mm. I had since played both, and I really enjoyed both, but I don't think they would make the list. Outer Wilds is, is a weird game where, like, I adore what that game is doing and like is in in theory probably like one of my favorite games ever it just actually makes me sick to play like it's the first time mm-hmm. i've had any kind of physical response to like being disoriented so like it's a huge bummer but that's like just what prevents me from making that like it would be on my list otherwise if i didn't like Ooh. physically have a hard time playing it um <laughs> which is kind of unfortunate but uh yeah so that's that's the last two years i think we're both pretty content with like what we what we put on last year and the year before so yeah is it time to focus on the now brendan is it time to focus on what's ahead I think it might be. I th- I think just like it's worth mentioning just looking back at these last two years. I think our our like collective list that we have for 2018 and 2019 are very much like I think the games that I keep revisiting and keep like thinking about in the you know just like going forward. Um like Smash Brothers Ultimate being on our 2018 list, I feel very good about considering like oh, of yeah. all the games for 2018, that's the one that I've played the most of still, you know. Yeah, um, it's the most alive. Fighting games tend to do that, I think. Especially that have that much like, you know, it's been updated so often and new characters coming out. Yeah, you know? exactly. Marvel Spider-Man, I have gone back and played through almost all of again. Um Hollow Knight, obviously I'm almost done with again. Celeste I finished this year and God of War, I'm just like sitting on and waiting for that uh, sequel to like be announced and have a date on it so I can go and do New Game Plus. So like I feel pretty good about that 2018 list and 2019 Fire Emblem like I think is always going to be my most recommended game for the Nintendo Switch for like literally everyone forever. Sekiro I still think I mean for those of you who have been listening to previous episodes I think our last like full episode was uh was literally about just like a bunch of Souls likes and like Sekiro still mm-hmm. really holds up and is like maybe the best from Soft Souls like in my opinion. Um, Slay the Spire 
constantly playing that still. Uh, Death Stranding is a game that I am very excited to get very into next month. Um, <laughs> and and Pokemon Sword and Shield, as we mentioned, like was such an important game for the podcast um, that it, like, of course, it should be on that list. You know? Oh, yeah. It was a great time. I mean, I think like it's tough when a game and I think we'll talk about this again, but it's tough when a game comes out and it's such a big moment and it's all you do. And then you kind of like stop. Yeah. And like it's hard to go back and then it's hard to gauge. It's like, oh, OK, how do I feel about it now? You know, Man, I think there's a game I that I, I am going to talk about a lot on this episode uh, where I have had that exact experience. So I'm, yeah, I'm excited um, to relitigate that. My, my navigation of that is really focusing more on the experience you had you know because i think that's yes. like if it, if it did that for you it doesn't matter that it's i think sometimes there's this idea that a game should be infinite and should always be holding your attention it's like i'm not constantly watching my favorite movie you know like i'm yeah. not just putting on porco actually i am watching porco rosa constantly <laughs> never mind um but yeah actually there's a porco rosa painting right next to my celeste one which is very funny it's <laughs> porco rosa celeste iron giant and then a japanese breakfast tour date so i've got Nice. my interests like up here yeah but yeah uh i'm i'm very excited uh, aj did you want to comment on anything like over the past couple years on games uh, or just like life in general i'd love to hear from yeah. you. <laughs> um so i do want to compare i guess the last couple of years to this year this year was the first time i think uh or at least in recent memory that i have played games the year they came out wow. like last year i spent a lot of time i i played god of war i played horizon zero dawn mm. uh i played uh, Marvel Spider-Man. I played all of that last year. And I, so I've never really had like a current list of favorite games that came out within the year that I'm talking about them. Yeah. Um, so this feel? year is interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, and, and it uh, honestly is kind of making me feel weirdly less prepared to talk about this year because there were so many other games that I could have played this year and I only played like five. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I did do some revisiting. Uh, I played the DLC of Spider-Man. Uh, sorry, Marvel Spider-Man 2018. Thank uh, you. Thank you. God damn it. Uh, Spider-Man. Getting myself ready to to then play Miles Morales, which was a, a great way to do that, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also played through, you can see it on our YouTube channel, uh, all of Oxenfree in one sitting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. was an incredible time. And uh, I also tried to play Outer Wilds because I, I moved in with a new roommate and he has an Xbox that had Outer Wilds. Mm -hmm. um, so I tried to play Outer Wilds, but it's too scary for me. I have some light <laughs> thalassophobia, which is a fear of open water and open spaces. Oh, um, oh no. So <laughs> So I could yeah. do like the traversal from planet to planet and stuff. But as soon as I had to, I guess, spoilers for Outer Wilds, as soon as I had to fly into Bramble, the, the Bramble, Dark oh, Bramble, yeah, the uh, and I couldn't see anything and I knew that there were anglerfish in there. I literally started having a panic attack and I was like, OK, well, <laughs> I yeah. can't yeah. play this game it, anymore. That's it's almost too good at making you feel like lost. Yeah, in space. it's it's, yeah. it's great at creating the vibe and the whole it's and, and I don't want this to sound like I don't like the game. I love it i, I had oh, an amazing incredible. time playing it and discovering you know everything that i had to be doing to to get closer and closer to you know closing this loop or whatever and it, it just got to a point where like i could not and then i also one time accidentally flew into giant's deep uh which is just a, a bunch it's just a big ocean with a bunch of tornadoes yeah. uh which super also didn't do yeah, it the, for me the moment where the gravity like pulls all the water away from that planet yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, literally yeah. just like two pieces of rock that yeah. made me dizzy for like three days but it also uh -huh. like stuck with me on like a emotional level i mean yeah my favorite scene in that game is meeting the guy who played 
plays the oboe because like you meet all these other travelers mm-hmm. who play an instrument <laughs> yeah and the guy who plays the oboe is on the beach as it's like lightning and tornadoes and he's like oh yeah i'm also in a loop like i don't care at all like it's like the very <laughs> like we talk about the kind of groundhog day structure a lot brendan and i feel like that's the stage of like nietzschean nonchalance where it's like yeah. i know that this is <laughs> kind of a facade i'm just gonna like relax and play the oboe on the beach yeah even yeah. though the I world don't, i don't want to is... spoil the movie but uh palm springs the the hulu movie with andy Samberg Ooh, yeah. very much gets into that vibe where he's yeah. like i don't even know how long i've been in this fucking loop man i i did all the like evil <laughs> shit i did all the good shit i like tried to change my ways to get out of here like i don't know i i just drink beer in this pool now <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like is where Obo Guy is at at that point. Yeah, Obo Guy for Smash for sure. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, that that was my that's my last couple of years experience uh, as, as it relates to now. So. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, um, of course. Let's get into it with the best cosmetic skin of 2020. <laughs> I thought that Kratos in Fortnite was so fucking cool. <laughs> Finally, I can play as my favorite Spartan in the world of Fortnite, my favorite game. Oh my god, I had such a good time playing as Kratos in Fortnite. I can tear down houses with his cool uh, blades on ropes, and I can build with my friends to to defend against enemies in Fortnite. You joke, but I did just spend like a whole chunk of yesterday playing Fortnite, uh, specifically playing as the Mandalorian with Captain America's shield. Which, like, <laughs> why not? Live good a times. Yeah, it's yeah. We're not. Uh, I'm not. Despite that bit. And the energy that I gave off. I'm not against Fortnite. I just sort of, it's never clicked, I think, as much for me as it has for you. Yeah. Because you know Brendan and Fortnite, man, it's just like, you know, (laughs) water and water. Um, (laughs) More water. (laughs) It's a bottle. Um, Anyway, I think that's probably a sign that we should move on to the list of 2020. Do you want to... uh, take a short break here and then get into it yeah that 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 makes sense i think structurally a good chapter marker for those of you who use the chapter markers in this podcast chapter zero uh i'm very excited again i'm so excited to be with both of you here virtually and uh, we will be back real soon with number 10 in the beginning of the list My name is Lauren Hilger. I am Steven's sister. And, you know, to be honest, like 2020 Lauren knows very little. She knows nothing. But I feel like 1996 Lauren, who has been featured on this podcast before, I feel like she knows, she knows what the best game is. And her pick would be Super Mario 64. Pronounced wrong, she would have said Mario, as would have 2020 Lauren. Of course, we released this year for Switch. I think in terms of like games that have gotten us through this year, to be honest, this podcast has really helped me get through this year. My pick of the year is also like Brendan's cry laugh when he's crying. It just brings me such joy. And Steven what I've like thought of and described as a standing ovation laugh. Those those have really gotten me through. But yeah, I'm going to give it to Mario. <laughs> That's actually not. I feel like I would say it a little bit more naturally, perhaps Mario. Capturing 3D stars in 96 brought to us once again. Here we are in this crazy-ass year. Brennan, here's the hardest decision of today. Uh, who you goes go first? first. Do you wanna... Oh, really? Yeah, I think you should. Okay. 
I don't I know why. We should flip a coin. I feel like I don't remember who went first last year or the year before that, but for some reason it feels right. Oh, St- AJ, do you remember? I, yeah, I wrote it down. Steven did go first last year, but. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> I guess it is my turn then. You want to go? F- I mean, if you. I, I feel indifferent. Whatever you want to do. If you want to go first, go for it. If you want me to, I'll do it as well. Should we let fate decide? Let's let fate decide. Yeah. Okay. AJ. <laughs> Uh, so I don't have a coin, but I do have the sealed for freshness seal for my peanuts. Um, <laughs> so I call sealed Wh- for freshness. Okay, great. Ready? I'm the, I'm the blank side. It's the blank side. <laughs> it's the blank side. <laughs> my kingdom remains. <laughs> um, hell yeah. Okay, cool. Let's do it. So this is number 10 of my favorite games of 2020. Kicking it off. Wow. Uh, number 10 is Yakuza Like a Dragon. Oh um, shit, that's number 10? That's what I mean, man. I have gone on record oh saying how much God. I like this game. We've talked about it a lot, and it's number 10. So that gives you a pretty clear example of, of how hard this was for Yeah, me. I want to be very clear um, that I, I know what both of our number ones is, I think. Uh, 2 through yeah. 10, complete shit show. I have no clue what your list is at all. <laughs> and then Yakuza being number 10 really illustrates that point. <laughs> oh my god. I am floored right now. Okay, sorry. Um, Tell me about Yakuza. A good video game. Yakuza Like a Dragon is an incredible video game. It was my first uh, time playing a Yakuza game, like in full. I played the whole thing and I loved it. I mean, I think this game... The the most interesting thing about this game is that it begins as like a very classic revenge tale. You play as uh, Ichiban Kasuga, who's this like very optimistic, naive guy who loves Dragon Quest, which explains why the whole game is like in a JRPG kind of lens. And he sees himself as a hero, even though he's like at the bottom rung of this Yakuza family. And he's only really there because he really has this close paternal relationship with the head of the family. And this is all in the advertisement, so it's not a spoiler. Eventually, he has to serve jail time for the family for a crime he did not do. So, And he's, like, pumped to do it. He goes to jail for 18 years willingly, and... He's like, he's like I'm going to be rewarded in spades when I get out of here. And it's not even, like... Like he thinks he thinks he will be appreciated, but it's also he just does it because he loves the head of the family and respects him that much. Yeah. You know, so like but he, he leaves prison 18 years later and like no one's there for him. No one really remembers him. He tries to get in contact with the head of the family to no avail and finally like shows up at like a Yakuza dining event and and the head of the family shoots him. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of kicks off the whole game. So. The cover of the game, you, know, you play, the, you start the game as Ichiban in in uh, the year two thousand. Basically, he's like in his twenties and he's like really goofy and lovable. I was fully expecting a twist. I was expecting him to come out of jail, get shot, and become like edgy and mean and kind of jaded by life. And the best thing about this game and the best thing about Ichiban is that he never loses that optimism like the dude is tossed aside by the only person he cares about and still retains this hope for himself and others and humanity that lends itself to a really inspiring story um we talked about how this game has a really big heart and really 
good intentions and sometimes messes up in execution. It's definitely worth criticizing in those in those areas. But it's also one of the only games I've seen try to even tackle some of these societal issues. Um, and I think that by the end of it, the moments of triumph and the moments of the story that really land kind of overpowered the rest for me. And I think that the side quest too are very much on par with like the beloved sort of bizarre, like absurd humor that the series is known for. So it's this really wonderful blend of like absurdity, over the top melodrama and genuine heart that I think all RPGs should have. It begins as kind of like a satire of RPGs and it ends up becoming a full-fledged one, much like Ichiban literally becomes a hero. Uh, he has this sort of Don Quixote persona to him that is like really infectious and in the moments where this game really lands, I like cheered out loud. It's like a very much yeah. like I laughed, I cried story. Um, <laughs> the reason it may, you're like, why is this 10th? Uh, the, <laughs> the reason it's maybe not higher is because it does eventually a little overstay its welcome mechanically. Um, a lot of reviews have pointed to like the end game grind and it's so unnecessary. Like the game is pretty good at like making you feel on level with, with the enemies you're facing if you're just playing it. And then like literally in the last couple chapters you have to like grind 10 or 20 levels oh wow and it doesn't take that long but it's just so not necessary it ends up making me like resent wanting to finish a game that i want to play yeah but i did it and it's definitely it's worth seeing the finale because it's very emotional it's very well done and the the twists and turns the story takes like really pay off um can i, I ask you a question about the end of the game yeah, and then uh if if you're listening to this and you don't want it spoiled i just want the i just want a yes or no question answered as a yes or a no uh, but if you don't want any spoilers, I guess, for the end game, skip forward 30 seconds. But does the end of the game set up a sequel with Ichiban as the protagonist? Not directly. I, oh. I wish I could give you I wish I can give you a yes or no for that. I think that there is plenty of room for a sequel. Mm. And I would love that because I, I want to see this character grow. I mean, this game's intention was largely, you know, every other Yakuza game was about uh, Kazuma Kiryu, I believe his name is. And he has been the protagonist for 15 years and is widely beloved. And yeah. he's a great character character and uh he shows up in this game which fucking rules i'm oh, just gonna cool. say like to get you excited there's a love for the characters in this game that is also very infectious like whenever anyone shows up their name appears in like big red font and yeah. like you know it's very you can theatrical. Hear studio audience like just fucking going for it whenever yeah, somebody shows and it, up yeah and of, uh, the 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 recurring uh event of like when shit is serious they just rip off their shirt and suit and they have the back tattoo like mm-hmm. i love that that's basically going super sad and Yakuza is just ripping off your shirt. Like, incredible. Yeah. I, I think that it would be a wasted opportunity if they didn't do more adventures with Ichiban because they have now successfully passed the baton of protagonists. And in many ways, they're kind of mirrors of each other. So there's so much work here to, like, make Ichiban a hero that I would I would love to see more. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, my 10th favorite game of 2020. Highly recommend. It's really a blast to play. I cannot believe this is number 10. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say more yet about Yakuza, but I will tell you my number 10 game of 2020 uh, is Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 plus 2. 
Scott um, lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's actually only because of this. I haven't played the game yet. I just listened to the soundtrack and there's Scott yeah. and, you know, number 10, baby. No, this was actually a game that I, I was like kind of waffling on. Like it, it wasn't on the list and then it was on the list and it wasn't. Then it was. Um, and then I just like remembered when this game came out. And by remembered, I mean, I don't remember anything I did except play this game. I played this game for like mm. two straight days and did everything and unlocked everything and completed every challenge and maxed out my create a skater who was Waluigi and then started playing like create a skater <laughs> mode and downloaded a, sorry downloaded a bunch of create a park uh maps and just like played this game until it was fucking done and then put it down and i haven't picked it up since um and that was one of the reasons that i was like oh uh, i don't know if this belongs on the list or not but like you can't deny that this game rips the whole time it is oh, yeah. exactly what everybody wanted from this franchise uh and and the only thing that i wish they had done is just given me more which like that's a great place to be you know i am totally. i'm just like dreaming of a tony hawk pro skater three plus four dlc pack or something uh coming down coming down the pipeline at some point or another um i just want more of this thing because what they managed to accomplish is just completely revitalizing a franchise that most people thought had like completely fallen apart uh mm-hmm. after tony hawk 5 and and some of the like weirder spinoffs since i i think you know where this game is at currently uh is such a good bedrock for what's to come next uh and 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 i can't talk about 2020 without talking about how much fun i had playing Tony Hawk. I I, yeah. I don't have a whole lot more to say about it outside of like this is kind of um I I think indicative of what the rest of the year is like as far as my list is concerned and I'll just kind of like cap it there and we'll talk about it a little bit more as time goes on. But yeah, Tony Hawk is is unreal. And if you haven't played it and you played those games way back in the day, like absolutely pick this thing up. It's unbelievable. It's it's so good. It's incredible. I mean, I'll you, you said it beautifully, but I'll add a couple things to that where like I think this game is the new gold standard for what a remaster is i think it's like set such an almost unfair like bar for like if you call something a remaster and it's not (laughs) like this yeah um i also think it's a really beautiful homage to the past of skating and also like a really cool launching off point for the future of it um featuring the the old and new skaters as well was like really incredible Um, yeah i will say this i think the only other game that that is a remaster that like is on this level for me this year is demon souls which is not on my top 10. I'll just say that like right up front. Mm. Demon Souls is my number 13 game of the year. Um, <laughs> but like is on the same level as Tony Hawk 1 plus 2. I think just in terms of like you have taken everything that I loved about this thing and just brought it into 2020. Um, but yeah. but yeah. Tony Hawk is a game that is, I, I just think, way easier to recommend and will be way more fun more immediately than Demon Souls will be. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- this was one of the games that was also, like, constantly on and off my list, and, like, I think is just a testament to how strong this year was that it was that, like, contested for. It's incredible. You know, I'm gonna play this game for a long time, and it has become the game I play, like, during long phone calls. Um, yeah. It's just a joy. It's, like, pure joy, the game. Uh, incredible. I will say, when I up when I, when I uh, switch over from PS4 to PS5, uh, the only save file that I had, as far as I can tell, the only save file that I had that got fucked up in the transfer was my Tony Hawk 1 Plus 2 save file. So it completely wiped my save, um, which at uh, first I was like, oh, man, this sucks. I put so much time into this. But then I'm just like, oh, wait, no, I get to play through the whole thing again. Great. Perfect. <laughs> That's actually awesome. I'm going to do that. It's great. I just made a new Waluigi um, this morning and I'm going to I'm going to just <laughs> redo the whole thing. Steve, uh, so your turn. <laughs> Hi. I want you to tell me your number nine game of the year. 
Yeah, my number, my ninth favorite game of 2020 uh, is, drumroll please, it is If Found, oh. uh, developed by Dreamfield, oh. published by Annapurna. Um, maybe a surprise pick because we haven't talked about this game a ton, but it's definitely one of the games that has stuck with me the most this year. Yeah. Um, it came out pretty early on, I think like March or April. I remember playing it like right after I had moved. Um, and I think it's the perfect example of a game. Uh, you and I often seek out games that use mobile as a to its narrative and mechanical advantage. Mm-hmm. We talked about Florence in 2018, and I think that uh, If Found is like a really brilliant way to even further experiment with that kind of game. It's also on Steam, and I think it's also on Switch now, which is cool. But I would recommend it on mobile because the whole game progresses by you erasing the scene with the touch of your finger. Um, I don't know if the Switch version has that, you know, if it uses the touchscreen of the Switch or not. Um, but I think there's something a lot more intimate about using your actual hand to do it. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think that the game does an incredible job exploring the idea and mechanic of erasing in all possible ways. It's it's a story about a young girl who's kind of at that really rough time in a lot of people's lives where it's like you're at a college and there's a lot of expectation of you, but you're not sure what to do. It's a very common uh, age to depict in storytelling, but I think this game is like just brutally vulnerable in its in its storytelling. It's really personal. And I think that... When you're as personal as you're comfortable being and when you tell a vulnerable story like this, it ironically becomes relatable to all parties. Yeah. And I think that like there's something just so human about kind of showing a rough point in your life that I think it will be relatable to anyone, even though it is very personal. Uh, it, it, it's this sort of coming of age story amidst an end of the universe story. So <laughs> the erasing mechanics will be like sometimes you're literally reading a journal and you'll swipe away with your finger and it will show like rubber eraser marks and other times there's a black hole and you're wiping away parts of the universe so like it truly is microcosmic in that way and erasing isn't always bad it sometimes there are moments that you're desperate and sometimes Mm. there are moments that are like really bittersweet because you know they will eventually end and the game without spoiling does this really beautiful thing where at the very end you start writing for the first time so you're Mm. no longer erasing you're actually putting something out there you're creating so yeah it's just it's the kind of game that talk about like tony hawk is just so easy to recommend i think if found is the kind of game that if someone hadn't played games in a long time and really wanted to see like how could you use an interactive medium to tell a story effectively and even for people who have played a lot of games i think that this game is like such a really amazing like espresso shot of like narrative design that like is so focused on one mechanic that anyone can pick up and experience on any device. I, I just think it's a really beautiful game that deserves way more attention. Uh, and I, I had to put it on my list. So if found is my number nine choice. Yeah. This is one of my like big regret, like wanted to play, but didn't games yeah. of the year. I, I believe it's Apple Arcade, right? Isn't it an Apple Arcade game on mobile? No, it's just App Store. It's just App Store. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause I, I have it and I no longer have Apple Arcade. That's great. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure, um, because that probably means it's also on Android. I'm not sure, but uh, if it's not, I think if so, it's not yeah. Apple Arcade exclusive, that means it's like it can go wide, and that's great. Yeah, I really want to check this out. This has been on a lot of people's lists as well, and and you've been talking about it a lot. It's Annapurna, which you know we we all are like absolutely <laughs> over the moon about. 
uh, pretty much yeah. everything that they publish. So yeah, I don't know. I, I want to check this game out. I haven't yet. Big regret. I'm sure uh, when we do go to 2021, I'll be like, yeah, I should have been on the list. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I'll add real quick is that um, the developers are from Ireland. So the story has a lot of like Irish slang and like colloquial <laughs> phrases. That's fun. And there's always an asterisk. And I just, I love, like, I'm so happy to know more Irish like vernacular <laughs> at this point. It's incredible. So thank you for your hard work, Dream Phil. I love that game. Yeah. Cool. If found dot 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 yeah oh, the ellipsis is important yeah, yeah really really pretty game i can't wait to play it mm-hmm. i wish i had more to say about it but i don't because i didn't play it so i'm gonna go to my number nine <laughs> <laughs> you guessed it dear listener it's yakuza like a dragon whoa hell yeah uh, Close. I can't believe. Yeah, I can't believe I have it higher up than you. Uh, I am really surprised by that. I have not finished this game. I'm on chapter five at the moment. I'm towards the end of chapter five, which I think is like still technically pretty early on. I'm in the first act. Yeah, maybe there are 15 chapters. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but not all the chapters are the same length. Like some of them are just like straight up a cutscene. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so okay. like there doesn't seem to be like not all chapters are equally long. Yeah. Uh, what I'll what I'll say about this game, uh, I, I think just to differentiate my my playtime with yours if i had to guess um is that i i just have spent so much time wandering around yokohama and not really playing the game the game as much as i have been just like taking out my smartphone in the game and like taking pictures of people on the street um and just like hanging out uh, and doing all the like side mini games and just like seeing what the city they've built is capable of. I I have spent so much time just like enjoying the waterfront and like going and like mixing and matching all the different like food and drink options that are available at the different restaurants to see if like you can get like weird special bonuses from doing so. Um, I've been like upgrading my weapons, doing every side quest possible. I saw this great quote. I don't know where it was and I'm so sorry if like maybe it was in the Discord or something, but I saw this great quote that's that said, uh, the Yakuza games are a Martin Scorsese movie until they're a Monty Python movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's very accurate. Yeah. And all the side quests are Monty Python for the most part. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and they're incredible. Uh, every every mini game that exists in here is like perfect. You you talked a lot uh, in one of the episodes about the business management game, which I just so much fun unlocked and put like five hours into just like <laughs> by itself. And that's it's just, actually like half my playtime is that is that mini game. Yeah, yeah. Which like just to be clear, just to like, I guess, go over again, uh, involves you taking control of like a confectionaries uh, storefront uh, and turning it from like just this one little storefront in Restaurant Row in Yokohama into like this gigantic uh, like candy empire essentially <laughs> uh, by like just micromanaging uh, you know what employees you have in what place like going to shareholder meetings and investor meetings and like answering their questions and kind of like it's almost like a combat it's almost like a Pokemon style combat system yeah. where, where you're fighting the investors uh, with the employees that you bring along with you it, it rules and and that's just like one very small aspect of this game. There is like a full ass like Mario Kart thing in here as its own side <laughs> dragon cart. There's another yeah. thing where uh, you are very literally like becoming kind of like a vigilante superhero uh, yeah. on the streets. Like there is so much in this game on the fringes of the story that like you could just remove the entire story from this game and I would still probably have it in my top 10. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think totally. like outside of the fact that I think Ichiban is an unbelievable protagonist. I think the party that you put together are all made up of like really interesting uh well-rounded and and deep characters the the actual city itself i think is so fun and interesting to be in that i I just like love spending time there and honestly as somebody who has become like a recent like 
head over heels fan of Dragon Quest. Um, this mm-hmm. game just deciding to be a Dragon Quest game in Yakuza was fucking brilliant because having played. So I haven't played all the other Yakuza games. The only one that I've played is Judgment. Um which was like another spinoff, I guess. Uh, but from what I understand, these games were just kind of always RPGs under the surface, but never really committed to it. And this game just committing to it and saying, no, we're just going to be an RPG and we're going to switch the, the combat to turn-based, I think was maybe one of the best moves they could have made to keep this franchise like fresh and interesting, which is wild mm. because you feel like it would be the opposite, right? You feel like, you know, going the other direction, going from turn-based into real-time combat would be the way to like make it action-packed and fun, which maybe will come up later. But <laughs> uh, I, I do think that... Uh, this game feels so cool and great. And, and, and some of the things that I think I've seen some pushback against, like, oh, yeah, it, it's harder now to pick up uh, a moped and bash someone over the head with it in this game because you have to be like perfectly placed next to the moped and you have to use the standard attack and none of your abilities. So like it'll just so happen that he picks up the moped and like whack someone over the head with it. Whereas it's very mm. easy in a lot of the previous Yakuza games and in judgment to just run up to the moped and press a button and pick it up. But I th- personally, I think that makes it more exciting when it does happen. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a ra- it's like a critical hit, basically. Exactly. It happens to happen. You can also summon you can summon uh, <laughs> friends you've made along your journey yeah. on your phone. And like it's just like an incredibly dramatic moment where it's like very high stakes. I'm like tearing up and I can summon a man in a diaper that just cries and makes everyone have lower attack or I can summon like a chicken, uh, a chicken. Uh, you could summon uh, Nancy, the crawfish who's like the mascot of the game. Yeah. Um, you can also summon like the protagonist from the uh, previous Yakuza games. Oh, really? and it's like, you know, costs a million yen and is just broken as shit, but it's incredible. Yeah. Like, and that aids the journey. It's like in the same breath, I can summon these sort of like, you know, jokier characters like the crawfish. I can summon previous characters and I can also summon just people that I've helped. Like there's an out of work actor that you can help. Who's like an alcoholic because he kind of got, he got like blamed by a very Weinstein esque evil producer mm-hmm. for like, you know, so his career is like in shambles. You can inspire him to give it another go. And if you summon him, it's a scene from one of his like dramatic romantic movies, like him and his love interest in the snowfall and everyone freezes and gets the flu. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I think that it shows how much the game cares about all the characters, no yeah. matter how, how important to the main story they are. Yeah. Um, it, it's an incredible game. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy it's on both our lists. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my number nine. Yakuza like a dragon. I highly recommend playing it. Uh, Steven, I played it on the series S. Um, I think it's going to be available for PlayStation five in March. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And it's also on PS4. And honestly, it probably runs fine on the previous generation. Like, it felt like it felt like it was the series S was too powerful to play Yakuza like a dragon because yeah. it just there's no load times. Sometimes audio like from a previous line of dialogue is still playing when you go into the next one because like it's just so fast at loading it. Yeah. Yeah. Quick resume is wild in this game, too. I'll, yeah. I'll say that much on, on the series S. It's just like as soon as you turn your Xbox on, you're immediately loaded into the game. Uh, it's, it's wild. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an incredible game. Uh, I guess this moves on to number eight for me. You're damn right. Um, Steven. <laughs> Number eight. Jeez. Uh, I like how we're growing a little bit more intimidating as it goes on. 
Yeah, like, I, this is this is a weird rowdy. one for me because last year I felt like there were stakes involved, you know, where it, where it was like <laughs> I, I feel very strongly about my list and, and, and I want certain things to be in certain places and I wanted our top five to be a certain way. And like I even went into that episode like with a prediction of what our final top five was going to be. And this year is like I am so happy with any list that either was <laughs> because because there's so many incredible games and I, I just want them all to have some screen time, you know? I- I was going to say this when we were talking about Tony Hawk, which like sadly did not make my list, but like even games that didn't make my top 10, I could see being someone else's game of the year and like agree yeah. with the take, you know, like there's so many strong games from this year that are all, I mean, even just looking at these three, Yakuza Like a Dragon and If Found and Tony Hawk, how do you even compare those three games? You <laughs> right. know, at a certain point, it's like, yeah. It's almost arbitrary, but I'm glad we get to take another breath to celebrate the games that have come out this year. Yeah. Number eight for me, Stephen, my list of 2020 is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Oh, this is maybe another surprise pick. I haven't talked about it a ton. Another uh, Series S experience that I've had, and it is beautiful on on any console. But I've heard that it runs a little bit choppy on some of the previous gen stuff. And on Series S, it's just incredible. And that's worth pointing out because this game is like above all else, just like an aesthetic and mechanical achievement. Mm. We talked a lot about Metroidvanias and like what certain ones do well and, and, and sort of like different interpretations of that genre. And Ori, I think, is probably one of the best, especially regarding the platforming elements it's such a jump from the previous game, which I also really liked, but they did so many smart decisions like giving Ori immediately more maneuverability. So like you can double jump right away. Just the way Ori runs on the ground and climbs walls, like blue moss you can just climb on. So there's a lot of creative interpretations of that, like going upside down and around objects. It does the thing that Mario games do really well, where they give you a mechanic and then they test that and then they twist it. But it's just a little bit looser in that you can maybe miss a clue. And what this game does really brilliantly that I don't experience often is like the objectives and how to get to them are not always clear, which can sometimes be frustrating. But in this game, what ends up happening is you end up exploring and just exploring this world. At first, I was getting big Hollow Knight vibes, and this is taking a lot from Hollow Knight yeah. almost to the point of like I was about to roll my eyes until it very mm. much went more in its own direction there's a lot of red wall energy here there's a lot of uh, if you read that old book series Poppy about the mice escaping the yeah. owl I don't know what it is about Rodentia fantasy that just like clicks with me <laughs> but I really like the world of Ori I almost wish there was no dialogue because some of the most emotional scenes are like silent it's just the music and just what's happening mm. it is like heartbreakingly beautiful and giving Ori a sword was just the move they had to do for this for this series to grow Carly Rae Jepsen the video game <laughs> yeah right um, it's just like a really it's a really beautiful game it's very fun to play I almost don't have any like intellectual take on it as much as like it's just doing what a lot of games try to do almost the best mm. you know and I think the, the maneuverability and like just the joy of getting around it's almost akin to like how much fun swinging around as Spider-Man is pole vaulting and climbing moss and mm. you know uh, catching a vine and, and using your grappling hook like there's so many new options to get around in this game that it feels like the 2D Spider-Man in some ways yeah. so and it's also something that I think we want to see more of where it's like a 12 hour game it could be longer if you want to see more of it uh, which you probably will 
and it just does what it does really well and then moves on. And I think that there's such a void for that type of game right now that I'm like very excited to see what the studio does next. I think their next game is going to be more of an action RPG and less of a Metroidvania. And you can see that interest kind of being halfway formed in Ori. So yeah, it's an incredible game and and uh, it is number eight for me. Yeah, I'm excited to play it. it it's I think I will probably skip the rest of the first one because I, I kind of bounce off the first one pretty hard. And based on what you've told me on the show and off the show, it seems like I will probably gravitate towards the second one a lot more uh, because they seem to have fixed a lot of my pain points, specifically uh, like needing to use an ability to save in the first one uh, really bummed me out. And yeah, uh, that's gone. Yeah, it's completely gone. You can just save yeah. wherever you want it, to, which is great. It's cool conceptually, but it, what ended up happening was that you would just forget and then be yes. like, well, I'm all the way back. Whereas this has a very almost Celeste approach where like you might die in one instance a lot but you resume right away and yeah. that's where mm-hmm. the series s load times really help because like you're just back in yeah so it, it, it's really fun yeah cool ori and the will of the wisps cool. number eight number eight what's your number eight brendan my number eight this is uh an interesting one um <laughs> the last of us part two hell yeah here it is yeah um I actually i was gonna ask if it's on your list at all um but i do so do i want to know I, that <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it's it, it is not directly on my list no which is maybe surprising given okay. that we were all pretty positive on it yeah. um, I'll just say really quick my piece because like I think talking about this game is almost as morally draining as playing it um, <laughs> it is I still think it's a great game I think it's a very worthy sequel and I think it succeeds as a sequel because it's not just more of the first one they are exploring the moral repercussions of the first game's ending in a way that I think mostly pays off. There's some serious issues with pacing. There are a lot of issues around the game that like I tried to not affect my judgment too much, but it became harder as time passed. Yeah. But less about that and more just about the game itself. As the year went on, I just sort of thought about it a little less. Um, mm. And I and I subjectively, I think I just prefer, you know, things a little brighter, to be honest. <laughs> like The, the yeah. major critique I that. that I saw a lot of when that game came out was that like, I don't need this game right now. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm mm-hmm. glad we played it. And I think like if you want to hear our full thoughts on it, I think the bonus episode still rings true for the most part. Yeah, I think I'm maybe a little bit less enthusiastic about it. Like, I don't know if I would really recommend it unless you're like a big fan of the first one and, and want to see a continuation of the story. For me, for this sequel to really live on as an incredible game, they need to make zero more Last of Us games like this <laughs> yeah. needs to be the end of the story. Otherwise, yeah. it will diffuse the message. But I think it's a. I think that. You know, and I might talk about a little later, you know, outside of the top 10, but it's definitely one of the best games of this year and I think is worthy of a lot of the praise it got. I think that it's sometimes a little bit disappointing when like a AAA game comes out that has these like, you know, I mean, I won't get too much into it because I think everyone's sick of talking about the horrific working conditions around this game but like Mm -hmm. i just my worry is that like this game doing so well critically and commercially will excuse the working conditions exactly and and us putting it on our into the aether list is not going to do that it's not going to have an effect right um but it just it just sort of like all that aside when i just really was honestly looking at the games that came out this year it just wasn't in my 10 favorites it's definitely something that i really am glad that i played through and i really loved elements of it and i think that it's a good game but that's kind of where i'm at with it yeah I'll, I'll say on my end uh i hated playing through this game uh not because of anything mechanically but just because i think the narrative was so emotionally draining uh, and we played yeah. this game in 
I don't know, four days, three days. or four days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. so it came out on a Tuesday. We talked about it on like a Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. I mean, it w- I had a full blown panic attack and I called my mom that she didn't pick up. And like, that's how it ended <laughs> yeah. for me. It's, yeah. it's harrowing. It's brutal. It's uh, a lot of the things that I think people expected from it. Um, what yeah. I didn't expect from it was uh, liking it because <laughs> I, I did not like the first one. Um, I went in. I of the three of us, I went in fully expecting to like absolutely dislike this game. Um, yeah. I, I thought that the, the way this was going to go down was like um, was I was going to go in with like all these kind of like uh, preconceived notions, specifically knowing a lot of the the working condition nightmare shit uh, that was going on at Naughty Dog, and just find the game to be like repugnant from beginning to end. Um, and what I found was that it made me, I would say, even more keen on the first one than I than I thought I was. Um, I, 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 I did not enjoy the first one from like a mechanic standpoint. Mm. I never finished playing it. I just watched the rest of it on YouTube because I, I hated like the actual minute to minute gameplay of, of The Last of Us uh, part one, I guess I have to call it now. Um, <laughs> but uh, a new hope yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Play, playing through part two. Um, made me look back on the first one with a little bit uh, I, I would say more reverence in a way um, and, mm. and I think the second one really goes to illustrate uh, what was so special about about number one um, I, I think the biggest thing is like I have been sick of zombie media like since the first one came out and the fact that this <laughs> right. game uh, managed to tell a, a zombie story that I found like captivating and interesting um, and, right. and novel in a lot of ways um, is, is really special um, I just really hate that by saying this is one of the best games I played this year, it makes it seem like I am in any way excusing the horrible shit that happened at Naughty right. Dog. Uh, that, that is not the case at all. And I mentioned this in the uh, bonus episode because I went back and I listened to a lot of the episodes that we recorded this year just to like kind of reflect on my own takes on things like as we were playing them. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I went back and I listened to the entire bonus episode that we did for this. And one of the things that I said that I, th- I think still rings true is like it is visually one of the most beautiful games i've ever seen and played in my whole life and in every moment Mm -hmm. where you're running through an alleyway and it's the most high fidelity alleyway you've ever seen you just know deep down that that was somebody's like whole fucking month and they didn't get to see their family because they were working on that alleyway and that that sucks man that that really is horrible so like I, I can't like in full good faith be like, yeah, Last of Us Part Two, one of the best games of the year. Um, but like, unfortunately, there is like a media lover, like fan part of me deep down. That's like I, I also can't uh, I, I can't just ignore like what an accomplishment this thing is from beginning. Yeah. To end. Yeah. And I think, too, I mean, we, we talked about this on the bonus, but it's also like you also want that work to be worth it, too. You know, right. Like, because there were, there were um, a lot of instances in which people were like, hey, do we just boycott this? game entirely because of the working conditions and the people at naughty dog who made it were like please do not because our bonuses and stuff are tied to the performance of this game both critically and commercially um yeah yeah there's there's a ton of stuff that's worthy of the praise i mean like i was really happy that the accessibility uh elements were awarded laura bailey got awarded which is awesome and like Mm -hmm. there's there's a lot of really great stuff happening here and i think like when I think about this game, the moments that stick with me are probably the the finale. I think mm-hmm. like 
in the bonus, if I remember correctly, I was kind of not vibing with the game until the second half, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is kind of weird because that's where it gets like unbearably violent and like so yeah. harrowing. Like, oh, now this I like. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that what what stays with me the most are the scenes between Joel and Ellie. And I think like that's to me how it succeeds as a sequel is this idea of like what happens because of this decision that was made and how did these two characters like work that out together. Yeah. Even yeah. though you know, Joel is gone for most of the game. That relationship is still there and I think is still the heart of the series. Yeah. Um, and, and including Abby and Lev and their journey as like this yes, strange absolutely. kind of like reflection of Joel and Ellie, I think uh, mm-hmm. just goes to highlight how powerful that story was in the first game. Yeah. I don't know. There, there is, there's a lot to be said about the last of us part two. Uh, and I think we said it all in that bonus episode. So I don't think we yeah. have to like go through it all again, but I, I, yeah, looking at my list it felt weird to not have it here um because it is one of the most powerful and interesting video game experiences i had this year um yeah i agree and for me yakuza being 10 is like an example of why last of us wasn't on there yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) like it's like the scale is so anyway um cool uh do you want to take a quick break and then resume the rest of the list yeah sure cool let's do it Hey, Stephen. Hey, Brendan. It's Dom. Uh, thanks so much for having me on your show this year. And for my game of the year, I'm going to have to go with a usurper prince by the name of Zant. That's right. Zant, the boss from the Twilight Princess game, is my game of 2020. Just kidding, guys. I would love to go on and on about Zant, but when I really think of my favorite game of the year, I'm going to have to go with The Last of Us 2. I will never play Last of Us 2 again, and it affected me very deeply, not completely in ways that I uh, enjoyed. But when I think about this year and I think about storytelling in video games, I just... It's really hard for me to choose anything else other than Last of Us. I think it was a very devastating story. It was a beautiful story to be told. Um, It was a hard story to swallow, but I have such a soft spot for sequels that kind of challenge the narrative and bring it forward into new places, even if that means going off on weird weird directions that people don't like. So I'm going to have to go with Last of Us 2. And I'm looking forward to seeing what everybody else picks. I just want to let you know that the first episode of my upcoming podcast, Exit the Ethernet, will be coming out soon. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, I think it's going to be a really cool, it's not going to be laid back at all. It's actually going to be very angry. So I hope you guys will tune in. Uh, Happy holidays. Zan. Hey, Brendan, what's Lucky 7 on your list of 2020? I just went. It's your turn. (laughs) Whoops. I guess I'm the last of us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not going two in a row. That was a weird scene when Last of Us Part 2 was like, well, I guess we're the last of us. Um, (laughs) That's my favorite part. Two. uh, (laughs) um, Number seven on my list is, (laughs) I think, the biggest surprise for me. It is Ghost of Tsushima. Whoa. Um, Okay. Yeah. uh, This was a game that I Mm. had almost no interest in, honestly. Like, we talked about it right when it came out, and um, it looked cool, but I just didn't really feel like I needed to get it. Um, But I had it on my radar, and I was, okay, if it's ever on sale, one day I'll pick it up. And we talked about it recently, and I just think it's another one of those games that's like, 
it's so well executed that even if it isn't the most novel thing, it's just such a joy to play and be here. Yeah, you know, I think it's one of the most streamlined examples of an open world game. And while I wish it was a little bit more comfortable with with things not happening sometimes, I do think that as we've often discussed, everything you can do in the game is fun. I find myself going back to it kind of by default because I just enjoy being in this world so much. And talk about like just one of the most beautiful games of the year. Like every, I've never used photo mode more. I do think there's a fun story happening here and I'm interested in it, but I'm mostly just here like for the mechanics and for the world. And I think the reason it makes the list too is because the co-op is so much fun. Like yes. adding co-op to this game really bumped it up for me. It's really just so pleasing to progress in this game. The design of the map uh, the way you can level up, like all of that feels like just it's like very Zen to me to level up in this game. And like, I think the moments that really stand out are the quiet ones, like seeing that you've leveled up as you're just sleeping on top of your horse in the middle of like an open <laughs> kind yeah. of rural road. Those moments, I hope if, if Sucker Punch makes a follow up to this, I hope they kind of zero in on that aspect. Because I think that that was like moments of that endeared me so much to the protagonist and to the world itself. Um, so it just is a really fun escape. Um, I don't really have a lot to say on a higher level about it like I did for maybe the games before this. But I think like Ori, it's just so fun to play and so beautiful that I'm like, yeah, I I would recommend this experience. And it was one of my favorites of the year. So yeah, Ghost of Tsushima is number seven. Yeah, it's um, I'll, I'll say this much before uh, maybe it comes up again. But uh, I, I do think that where this game succeeds for me or when I look back on my own playtime here really stands out in that I have never played an open world game and done every single thing that was on the map before. I yeah. never felt compelled mm-hmm. to do that until Ghost of Tsushima. When I realized at a certain point that I was doing every single like little icon on the map uh, and then I had accomplished all of them and I was like, wow, I can't believe I just did everything and then went and did a story mission and noticed that the game had then doubled in size and there was an entire other section of the island that (laughs) then had all of its own little icons that I could go do. I was like, this is now overwhelming and I need to put it down for a while and I did and I picked it up and went back to it and I'll talk about that later. Yeah, but it's an incredible game. It's I've heard from a number of people that like this seems to be working as an open world game for people that might have bounced off other ones and i think it is because like Mm. they have focused on fewer things to do but made sure that you enjoyed doing them you know and i think like rewarding you for doing any of them in a way that advances your character overall is like a really good system to have and Um, i know this game has been in development for a long time but i mean of all the games that i've seen with any kind of breath of the wild influence at all i think this is the game that kind of nails it the most almost akin to what we talked about with souls likes a couple weeks ago where it's like the the thing that makes a souls like is not a bonfire and a fog wall but is like a vibe and a tone and and um and and like a, a way of i guess uh illuminating the lore that you've built up um, the things that make Breath of the Wild Breath of the Wild are not just literally like getting a rid of all the icons. Yeah. And, and like having a paraglider graphics. and yeah. like <laughs> being inspired visually by Hayao Miyazaki. Like those are not the things mm. that make Breath of the Wild great. They are elements of what make Breath of the Wild great, but that's not where like the innovation lies, I think, in that game. And Ghost of Tsushima gets a lot of it right in those quiet moments that you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Even down to the idea of using like swiping up on the on the touchpad and using the wind as your guide to your next Mm. uh checkpoint is like fucking brilliant i mean just in terms of like uh settling you into that world and making you feel like you're part of it uh there is no better way than like swiping up and watching the entire world react to your movement 
um, and guide you to your next place. Uh, ugh, it's good. I'll talk about it again. Yeah, it feels like um, this might be like a hot take, and I know AJ will be happy to hear it though. But I think like in terms of like post Breath of the Wild open world games, like this and Death Stranding are the most interesting to me. In that yeah. this is like this is like best of. It's sort of like Horizon Zero Dawn, where it's like best of before. Yeah. And Death Stranding is taking very much not like Breath of the Wild in any other way, but is this beautiful environment that you are progressing through and learning from and overcoming. And I think the 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 step that Death Stranding took was the online element where it's like anything you do to help yourself is also helping other people playing the game. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like it's really like the closest I think you can get to a cooperative breath of the wild is death stranding. Mm. And then you have scenes where it's like, have you heard of this metaphor? I think is cool. And you're like, Oh my God, get me out of here. But you know, the reason why it was so high on my list last year was its interpretation of, of a breath of the wild open world game in a very different yeah. way. So yeah. yeah. Oh, death stranding is so good. <laughs> <laughs> Which shugs some, that's uh, what I have to say about ghost of Tsushima is that death stranding is good. <laughs> I'm stranding here. Um, sorry, I'm stop doing that. Uh, so that was number. That was, number, that was seven. number seven. What's seven, your seven, baby? Did you do seven yet? Let's I did it. not do number seven yet. My <laughs> number seven. I'm so excited to announce to the world is baseball. Whoa, nice. seven. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, man, baseball is the thing. <laughs> I think that like illustrates that I live in a simulation only made for me. Uh, I, it is the Brendan Bigley show. I'm the only person who's real. Everybody else is an actor because <laughs> baseball is like the perfect intersection of everything I love in my whole life uh, outside of sports, but it's sports, babes, pushups, uh, eating peanuts. Um, <laughs> 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 it is it is an idle game which i love and don't talk yeah. about enough i love idle games i play a lot of them it is a browser-based game which uh, i feel like there should be more of generally speaking yeah um it is a community building experience uh it is a weird online community and on top of that it's just like an innovative and extremely good video game i think that you know, if you're looking back, we haven't talked really at all about like just 2020 as a year and what like a fucking nightmare shit show it's been. Um, yeah. But if you look at the games that I think people like point to and say like these are the best games of the year, in a lot of instances they are in some way a strange reflection of what we've all been going through uh, mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the pandemic. And and I think Blazeball is like I actually let me back up a little bit. If Found I think is a great example of that in that and and Yakuza like a dragon in that like here is the story about like optimism and like moving forward um and i think that's the kind of thing that we wanted um i'll talk about ghost of tsushima a little bit later but like that's one of the big things that really stuck out to me about tsushima was like oh in this game i am capable of making a positive change uh and that feels refreshing and fulfilling in a time when it feels like the world is chaotic and there is something about Blazeball that really works for me um at the time when it came out in that it allowed everyone who is playing to feel a sense of community and a sense of belonging. You could just align yourself to a team regardless of where it was, uh, you know, in, in the world and suddenly get entered into a discord and a community and like (laughs) a whole Twitter rabbit hole 
um, of experiences that were, you know, uh, being shared amongst fans of that team uh, and, and were weirdly like insular. Uh, where like you would have no idea what's happening in a discord. What is the vibe in a discord for another team? For example, um, I had a really interesting situation in which I uh, started off as as a Hawaii Fridays fan and then eventually <laughs> switched over to the Kansas City breath mints. Um, but that allowed me to get a peek into two different communities and they really were two entirely different communities. The Hawaii Fridays, their whole thing is like it's island time, baby. That's like their whole vibe. And it, and it was so chill and like cool in that group. And then you go over to the Kansas City Breath Mints and it's a completely different aesthetic. It's a completely different vibe and tone when you're hanging out there. And the fact that the developers of this game were able to create a thing that had just little droplets, little little morsels of lore and then allowed the community to take them and run with them and create like cool art and music um, and like Twitter accounts and, and stuff like that to surround this experience, I think is so thrilling and feels to me more like anything else on this list, like the future of what video games are capable of. I see so frequently, you know, like, oh yeah, Amazon uh, made a game studio and they're going to integrate it with Twitch, you know, in like some weird way where like, you know, Twitch chat is going to have some kind of say over what's happening in this like battle royale game or whatever. And like, that's cool and that's interesting, but like that's also happened before in things like Twitch plays Pokemon. Like we've seen things like that happen. Blaseball feels wholly new and 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 wholly its own um, and I think is going to spawn new things. I mean, maybe it'll be new things by this developer, um, which yeah. would be exciting. I would love to see what they're doing next and if it has any uh, if it takes any cues from what Blaseball succeeded at. But outside of that, I just think that this is the kind of thing that like some kid somewhere is like 13 or 14 years old and experienced Blaseball while they like couldn't go to school uh, and it allowed them to feel a sense of community and, and like ownership over a thing uh, that they're going to take forward with them when they make games you know, later in life. And I think that is thrilling. You know, we, we've talked about this a lot in our Goaty list, just like the games that I think are going to inspire game developers in the future and like if you're a game developer and you weren't looking at baseball and like oh man how do i get in on that like you missed out on like one of the wildest experiences of 2020 um i will say my the one reason it's like lower on the list uh outside of all this praise i'm heaping on it is like at a certain point man that game was unparsable <laughs> there was nothing yeah, it was you impossible could do to, keep to follow i i agree i mean i agree with everything you just said i think it's like it was an incredible experience i think it was the community the community aspect was like the beating heart of the entire thing. Yeah. And this sort of like very gentle, like direction the developers were giving, but really letting fans do the rest of the work. I mean, I compared it to D and D in that way where it's like, it was basically like global D and D happening, mm-hmm. but in mm-hmm. the lens of a sports team, I got really into it for a bit. We talked about it. And then like a week later, I somehow wasn't following it directly and was completely lost. Like yes. it really like it, it, at a certain point had to be the only game you were playing in order to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we said earlier, it's like, do you judge a thing by how it is now or what that initial experience with it was? Right. And I think that there's so much to praise about this game. And especially, like I said, the influence it's going to have, it's going to be incredible. And I think it is like such a beautiful organic thing that happened that like is a testament to the medium of games and how much you can stretch that realm of interactivity um and what you get from it yeah it was it was unbelievable um i love baseball and i i would like to see more of it um maybe eventually they'll be like baseball classic and they'll like revert it back to the original (laughs) that'd be so funny they're on a a month-long they're on a month-long siesta currently they're gonna come back 
yeah, they're going to come back, I don't know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, I imagine. Um, but they did a whole, I don't know if you guys, not to talk about baseball too much, but uh, they did a whole like coffee-based mini tournament. Um, they cha- <laughs> There's 20 new teams and they went Whoa. through a whole, a whole uh, series of, of different, different games. It was wild. Um, so everybody was you, you were given a free fairweather flute so you could switch to one of the coffee teams uh that <laughs> and rules. still like bet and stuff but uh yeah it should be back soon but i it's i was also and we talked I even mean, you talked about it before but i got into baseball after your episode i think and it, it really was just a truly wild time uh and steven you're absolutely right you stop paying attention for one week or you're not paying full attention for one week and then all of a sudden it's like oh what what the fuck is like a blood sacrifice like what's yeah, happening it was yeah. wild that this browser-based idol game has the uh-huh. same effect that like destiny 2 has where like you can take a week <laughs> off and suddenly you're not raid ready anymore you know Right. Uh, and, yeah. and it's going to take like a week of grinding to get back to where you are. But in this case, grinding is going on blazeball.wikia.com and like reading all the stuff that you missed out on. Right. Yeah. I'll say it. I'm going to use a D&D, or excuse me, I'm going to use a DBZ uh, metaphor for Ooh. how lost you would be. It's as if you like followed baseball in like the Saiyan era and then you <laughs> came back in GT. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> you know? Like Shit. that many new characters that are just established and uh-huh. like going in. And that's cool. Like I'm glad it grew that much. Um, <laughs> Um, I don't need it to stay stationary at all. But I think like, at least for me in the beginning, there was like a really delicate balance of like just enough absurdity on the website, but like largely it was fantasy baseball, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that like the creativity felt a little bit more tangible and it was easier to follow. Whereas like now it's like every, every week they are redefining how to even play the game. Yeah. yeah. Which I think I do- the influence that will, it will have, I wonder like what direction future developer developers or even this developer will take their next project. Yeah. I just, I just definitely can't discount like the experience I had watching the most bare bones visualization mm-hmm. of a baseball game and like screaming at the top of my lungs, like in real life <laughs> yeah, at like, you know, home runs or whatever, or like a player getting incinerated after scoring a home run or whatever right. nightmare shit happened in that game. Yeah. Baseball is an unbelievable thing. Um, and, and I, I just, yeah, it's, it's my, it's on my list, baby. It's number <laughs> it's seven. A, it's my seventh. It's, it's just a seventh game. Uh, yeah. Are we on six now? Six. Yeah, we're on six. And it's my turn, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, number six. We're getting there. Number six on my list, Stephen here, is <laughs> Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this was a game that I had a really hard time placing because uh, for those unfamiliar or for those who need a reminder, Kentucky Route Zero is basically a decade worth of work. It has been released in acts and interludes. And the first act came out in 2013. And every act and interlude after that was kind of released as its own game, even though it was part of this long narrative. Act 5 came out early this year. It was one of the first like new games we covered this year. Yeah, um, We had a whole episode on it from like January, February. And... Uh, so Act 5 came out this year, and then, and then Annapurna, our muse, re-released all acts and interludes in one package. So, like, the story is over. So even though it is technically maybe a bunch of games in one, I do think that it is a story that is intended to be experienced from start to finish. And I also think, and, and no shade to anyone who's followed it over the course of a decade, I think it benefits from being in a singular experience. Um, I yeah. think that having all that time to wait for each act might have been like a little bit tough. It's the same thing with comics where like you're waiting forever for a new issue and you're going to get in your head about how it should go. So there's like that kind of battle of expectation. I think 
that this game is just one of the one of those games that will be talked about for forever. It is one of the most unique experiences I've ever had. It is a story that is largely about uh, the dangers of capitalism, but it is told through such a magical lens. And it's a game that is very interested in questioning the player's role in the story without giving you any agency over what happens so the game is kind of constantly asking like what is it like to be someone who is experiencing this story but has no control over what happens and that's also it kind of extends to the characters as well every character in this story is kind of lost or stuck it feels like the whole universe of kentucky red zero has been unplugged and everything is kind of running on like its last kind of battery cell Mm. um Mm. i always think of the scene in the first act where there are just two men pushing an airplane across the highway Mm -hmm. and like that's it i think this (laughs) game really it really requires you let go of what you expect from other games it's not a telltale adventure where your decisions matter it's not a you know it's it's extremely unique and, and it's constantly shifting the perspective from the player so act one eventually feels like you're watching a stage production you know, it has a left to right point of view. Things kind of have like a background and foreground akin to what a stage play would do. And even at some point, there's the silhouettes of a band in front of, you know, the immediate foreground. Then literally later on in the game, you get more of an isometric view. And then you're literally in one of the interludes watching a one act play on stage. And brilliantly, your role in that play is a character. You ha- you look down, there's a script on your table, but your role is to just watch what's happening, even though there's an audience separate from you. Yeah. And that kind of that kind of frames how I see this entire game. It is so obsessed with observation and perception and tells this really haunting story that is very beautiful and ends up becoming a little bit optimistic. And I think that remove all the aesthetic decisions. It's a yet another story on this list that is about people finding something to hold on to in a world that has stopped working, uh, not even stopped caring for them, but that has no longer functions for anyone. Um, and I found that really compelling. I think there are so many standout moments that are like right out of David Lynch's best work. I think the story peaks in act three and four. The musical number with Junebug is like, I think, where the game kind of become like the creative inspiration parabola is like peaked <laughs> there. Yeah. And I found Act Four to be my favorite overall. And like, I won't spoil it because I know you maybe haven't played the whole thing yet, but the ending of Act Four to me is really where the plot ends and I think where the game could end. And Act Five is kind of just like, uh, almost feels like a Lord of the Rings epilogue where it's yes, sort of like checking in on where everyone is now and is the only act with sunlight. <laughs> it is the only <laughs> act that is lit by the sun. Yeah. I, I think that uh, while playing it, I, I felt that Act 5 didn't land quite as strongly, but I do think it's a really perfect way to sum up the game because I think about it, even though it's divided in this way, I think about it as a singular experience. And for that, it is easily one of the greatest games I've played. And the fact that it's at six uh, shows you that there's a lot more that I love this year. But um, I do think like I can see someone not enjoying the act of playing this game, kind of like how you felt with the first Last of Us. Like you might like the story or the vibe, but maybe the act of playing it is too similar to just straight up reading but I think I have a taste for this kind of stuff and that's not like good or bad. It just is what it is. I really loved my time with it. I don't know if I'll play it again. 
but I will always be thinking about it and listening to the soundtrack. So that's oh that's God, where yeah. it is for me. Kentucky Red Zero TV edition. Yeah, and Aperna again. Yeah, I do. I do want to just, uh, I guess, to put a pin in that for now. Um, just say like these are our subjective lists for game of the year. Um, oh yeah, this, this game is on my list, and I will talk about it later. But I do want to mention, I do think Kentucky Red Zero is one of the greatest games of all time. Um, it is, it is an astounding achievement, um, and and I think a testament to what working on one creative vision for ten straight years can get you uh yeah. in some instances uh yeah it, it's it's outstanding yeah it's i i completely agree with that um so do you do number six yet no i keep, sorry i'm so absent today <laughs> with numbers uh i'm so excited what is your number six brendan my number six game of the year is ghost of tsushima whoa my guy yeah. um yeah, Ghost of Tsushima. Okay, I picked this game up kind of on a whim. Wasn't super interested in the idea of it uh, as it was kind of uh, <laughs> okay. you know getting close to release. Uh, if I'm being totally honest, because personally, I was like, yeah, man, I played The Last of Us Part Two, and that is the swan song of the PS4 era. There are no other Sony exclusive games coming that I should really care about. And then Ghost of Tsushima comes out, you know, we're like mid pandemic. I'm really not doing anything because I'm just like working from home at that point. Uh, I can't really go outside. And I'm like looking at screenshots of this thing. I'm looking at it in motion and I'm like, eh, you know what? I, I could go for kind of like a checklisty open world, just like ride around and experience a game. And this thing looks very pretty. So I, like at the very least, I will get to explore a very beautiful world. What I did not expect, I think, was um, like an extremely enriching story uh, about being, I think, a, a force of positive change in a world that seems completely fucked, uh, which I think, as we mentioned before, is like one of the biggest themes of Breath of the Wild that I connect with. That idea that like the world ended 100 years ago and people are like doing OK because they have each other. Ghost of Tsushima is about coming to that revelation, right? Ghost of Tsushima is about the, the, the worst thing that could happen just happened. And you, as Jin, are a force for positive change going and reminding people that because they have each other, everything's going to be okay. And, and that by working together, you can push back against the horrible shit that's happening. It's, it's a game about collective action, baby. Uh, I, I just think, I, I think this is a stunning game. I think being able to just like go around and like do side quests and whatever, uh, or like not even side quests, but like just check off the little icons. Like, oh, I'm going to go do the bamboo cutting mini game to get more, you know, more ability to do like uh, special moves in combat. Or I'm going to go find this fox den uh, so I can, I don't even remember what the fox dens do, but I'm going to go get do that. Get some more charm slots. Yeah, get more charm slots or whatever. Like, I don't even remember what the things do as much. But every single <laughs> one is is tied to, um, I think, like a little story or narrative moment, right? Like, all the bamboo cutting mini games are in very specific places for very specific reasons uh, that will have some kind of little, like, narrative hook to them. Uh, the fox dens are, like, fun little platforming side adventures that end with you getting to pet a fox in the woods which is i think a dream that everybody has um anytime you go and visit a hot spring to go uh increase your maximum health you're asked to meditate on you know another character that you've met over the course of your game and you'll get a little bit more background information on that character by doing so uh if you go and find a, a place that is just like stunningly beautiful with like a little pad on the ground you can sit down you can write a haiku uh and and just like look at the beautiful surroundings and and uh get a little bit more i guess interesting 
introspection on Jin's end and learn a little bit more about the protagonist you're playing as. I, I think this game is fucking stunning in pretty much every regard, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. Um, and that leads me to Ghost of Tsushima Legends, which is the reason it's this high on the list, because this game yeah. was much lower on my list until Ghost of Tsushima Legends came out and we started playing it together. We talked about this on our episode about it, but I think the most brilliant thing that Sucker Punch and Sony did was not announce anything about a multiplayer element to this game until it was ready to come out and came out and was free. Because if you had at any point in the lead up to the marketing for this game said, yeah, you know, we're focusing on this open world single player adventure, but also we have a multiplayer side to this. You just, you just know that the worst part of the internet would be like, uh, you're allocating resources to the wrong thing. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's not how this works. A. Yeah. Uh, and B, <laughs> what we got fucking owns. It's Ghost amazing. It's so much fun. Is so cool. The fact that you and I just play it all the time together is like, to be clear, dear listener, like Steven and I play games together occasionally, uh, but generally not like we do with Legends. We're like, we're just fully hanging out. You know, it is fully just like chill out, drink a beer mode of video gaming, uh, which is A, hard to come by during a pandemic and B, hard to come by in general because not a lot of games, I think, uh, accomplish that with the ease that Legends does because it's so easy to just sit there and be like, all right, I'm going to be a samurai. You're going to be a, a hunter and uh, we're just going to go from point A to point B to point C and just slice guys in the throat, mm -hmm. man. Uh, and like you just do that for 20 minutes and you had a good time and then you move on to the next thing. It is so great and so fun and is included for free with the purchase of Ghost of Tsushima Legends. I started with Ghost of Tsushima. So I think like the game, the single player game, incredible. The multiplayer game, incredible. The fact that those two things both came out this year uh, and I got to experience both puts it at number six on my list. It It is so great. Um, my only gripe with it, the reason it's this low on my list is because I got to the end of Act 2 and then they opened up a third part of the island <laughs> that was bigger than act one and act two and i was like this is overwhelming now i actually yeah i actually don't know if i have the time or the energy to put into this what i have heard though is at the end of this game really sticks the landing and makes it all supremely worth it mm. that like the ending is maybe the best story moment of the whole thing uh so i'm i'm very interested to eventually see it at some point in 2021 i will play the end of this game yeah i mean too. this is kind of the thing that i have on in the background to like slowly get through all of because i just enjoy being there so much so yeah. I, I feel i feel almost the same way especially regarding it being coupled with legends like such a fun time so yeah. good yeah it's awesome it's so good uh and and i imagine we'll be playing more of legends throughout the year especially as yeah. they, i imagine they're gonna add more to it it feels like honestly it feels like the the baseline for what is going to become a live service game which like not a, a not every game needs to be a live service game, but I wouldn't be upset if this one did become one. <laughs> honestly, too, there's were, so like, much like destiny DNA there already. You yeah, know, they might as well roll into it. If they were like throw us 15 bucks, you know, and you get this like whole other side of legends, I would be like, yeah, man, of course, I would love to do that. I, I just I just want to see what Sucker Punch is doing with this, but I also want to see a sequel. So yeah, whatever we'll comes see what first. happens. And as it stands, I mean, it feels full enough that like we'll keep playing it for a bit. But it'd be cool to have a few more levels, a few more like characters, maybe. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. That brings us now to the top five. I think it might be fitting for us to take a little break, reflect on everything, and then we'll get into, you know, the, the VIP section <laughs> yeah. of this list. I'm going to go write a haiku. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go take a bath and think about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> It's in the game. It's not weird. 
Goodbye, dear listener. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, what's up, gamers? It's Pablo. I got asked by Into the Aether to talk about my goatee, and it's gotta be the Pog Chomp. I feel like this sandwich is the best way to start your day off right and get fuel to do some sick 360 no scopes on Blood Gulch. So let's get into what you need to make the sandwich. You need some bread, tomatoes, olive oil, garlic, hummus, pickled red onions, or pickled jalapenos. I can't stress enough the pickled thing on it really cuts through the sandwich and gives you like a, a, a blast of flavor. I really love it. So just one of those two or both if you like it. Nutritional yeast optional. I know not everyone likes nutritional yeast. I like it on there to add some, some you know, get some vitamins and B12 in me. Ham also optional if you want to keep this vegetarian and tomatoes. I know I said that already, but they're not optional. Um, and then you're going to want some kind of crunchy green. Um, I usually have spring mix in the house. So I usually just throw that on there but if you want to do another kind of green like lettuce or something that is also fine and of course some salt and pepper all right so to make this sandwich um, I have an Argentinian toaster which is like a, a toaster pan that you can throw onto the stove you can use you know your conventional toaster or whatever but I really like this pan because I like to keep the outside of the sandwich all like darker than the inside I feel like the when you toast the inside a little bit lighter it helps make the bread a little bit more absorbent and like kind of absorb the olive oil and hummus um, while keeping it a little bit abrasive because what I do is I take some garlic, I chop off an end and I rub it on the abrasiveness of the toast which kind of like packs it with the garlic flavor. It's really delicious. I suggest trying it out if you haven't before. Then I throw some hummus on there. I do some nutritional yeast on top of the hummus and then the pickled red onions and jalapenos. Um, and then after that I do some kind of thick slices of tomato. I'm a huge fan of tomatoes. I feel like they're delicious and I really recommend doing that. Um, and then salt and pepper on the tomatoes, then the ham, um, and then the greens. I do like a good handful of greens just because I, I like the crunch and I feel like it's healthy, I think. Who knows? Um, and then that's it. That's really it. Super easy, super quick, and easy to clean, which is another reason why I love it. And like I said previously, it gets you fueled up for that whole day of gaming. And that's my grub of the year. Oh shit, I just realized I mean game of the year. It's gotta be Hades. Wow, I'm so interested in the rest of your list, man. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, did I throw you off with what I chose? Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. You read me like a book last year. Uh, yeah, dude, I have no... You Chris Angel my list last yeah. year. I had no idea what was going to happen this year. It's why I'm so, like, laissez-faire this year. It's just like... Yeah, I love it, yeah. I just, it could be any list, and I'd be like, yeah, of course. Of course, that's a list. I saw a list. Uh, I, I forget who it was. I think it was Variety had a list that was, like, top 10 games of 2020. Written by a writer I really like, who, who's a freelancer, but uh, his list was, like, eight games I hadn't played and two games that I had. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect list. This list fucking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like that year and i'm sure when we look back on it we'll find even more stuff too yeah. um cool uh that brings us back to the top five of the list we're at number five right now oh my Very god exciting it's my turn oh my god and uh here we are so wait let me take five. a sip of something so i can spit it all over the computer yeah, monitor sure. me too <laughs> i'm gonna take a sip of, i got wine out now dear listener it's that time of day it's noon yeah. <laughs> but you <laughs> it's know we're time. halfway through the goatee episode I will say we're ripping through this. 
list this year. Yeah, we are. What took so long? I got three houses. That's why. That's probably like, and then Claude did this and I thought it was cool. <laughs> and here's everyone I had a crush on. Um, okay. <laughs> Number five. You'll never see it coming. It's Persona 5 Royal. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. I thought that was going to be a joke and then it wasn't going to be Persona. I'm glad that it was. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never see it coming. Cyberpunk. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, wait, um, before you get into Persona, can I just say very quickly, this is not on my list. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not on my top 10, I should say. Um, where, did it, where did it land for me? It, land, it was number 11 for me. Um, oh, wow. I have not finished this game. It is like next to, if found, my greatest regret of the year that I didn't finish Persona 5 Royal. <laughs> um, I really wanted to finish it this year, but uh, circumstances got in the way that didn't allow me it's to do so. It's a thousand hours long. I don't blame you. Yeah. Like you basically, <laughs> like, as far as you got into that game would basically be two other normal sized games. Yes. So like you played a good amount of it. Yeah. Um, it rules though. It is so good yeah. and I can't, it's another game that is like on my list for 2021 of games that I'm absolutely going to play and finish because I was floored between my first experience playing Persona 5 like right when it came out and starting from the beginning and playing Persona 5 Royal again was just like a night and day difference in my interest because i think there are a lot of really smart quality of life improvements anyway over to you because this is your list oh thank you uh yeah so this was actually a very hard game for me to rank because like for those unfamiliar persona 5 royal is basically like souped up definitive edition persona 5 with a big chunk of new story at the end um they did this once before with persona 4 and persona 4 golden coming out four years later kind of being like the definitive version of the game when people talk about persona 4 they talk about persona 4 golden usually yes. you know every now and then there might be something the original did that might have been you know uh, nitpicks here and there but like that game basically got replaced by persona 4 golden and i think the same of persona 5 not to downgrade the original i loved persona 5 that was my first persona game i've talked about persona a lot on this show i talked about persona so much on this show i debated even putting it on the list because you already know <laughs> like why would i have to remind you um persona 5 is the reason why i got back into video games i think it's the reason why i was like equipped to start a video game show with you when you asked me even though like we hadn't been as well in touch up until that point, and I hadn't played as many games as opposed to now. Persona 5 reminded me what I look for in a game and what I look for in an RPG in particular. Uh, it immediately became one of my favorite games of all time. It was one of our top five games of the decade when we did that. Yeah. So Persona 5 was already incredible, and I played through the whole thing, and I played. I started a new game plus, and then I was like, why don't I just play the other ones? And that led me to four and three, and here I am now, uh, Sojuro Incarnate, owning Cafe LeBlanc. Um, <laughs> Persona 5 Royal takes Persona 5 and basically does a victory lap with it. It is mm. immediately better. Yes. Uh, they have sanded off so many edges that just make it more fun to play. And all the additions are really well done. There are three main new characters. There's Kasumi, Maruki, and Akechi is done a little bit differently, even though he was in Persona 5. And all three of them, to varying degrees, feel... They're all incredible additions, and most of them feel very natural. It's hard to imagine the game without some of them. And the new finale the game has, I think, does an even better job kind of sealing the deal on what themes this game is exploring. Um, without spoiling it, you have a villain now you know the whole game is sort of this story of of these young people who have the power to change the hearts of these really corrupt adults in power and the final boss of the game kind of questions that philosophy in that there is a character who has good intentions who has a similar power 
and wants to kind of reshape the world to fit everyone's desire. So the whole game is kind of about taking away warp desires. But what does it look like when you're battling someone who wants to give everyone what they want? And it's kind of heartbreaking because at a certain point, all the characters in your party get what they want. And what they want is simple. They want their family back or they want their role on a, on a sports team back. You know, and it's not these, you know, envy, lust personified as castles. <laughs> it's just like little things that anyone would want. And it's so, it's really tough to say no to that. But they have to because what the game also explores is growing through adversity and and still finding new friends and new reasons to be yourself and not being silenced or defeated by the society around you. I love these characters as if they're friends of mine. So I think like having not played Persona 5 in a couple years and coming back to Royal, it felt fresh enough that it didn't feel like I was playing the same game again even though you largely are. And that's kind of why I think it's a little bit lower is like, this is the, if you're, if you haven't played Persona 5, play Royal. If you've already played Persona 5, I could see someone buying this and being like, why wasn't this DLC or why wasn't this like easier to attain? I was in the perfect spot of being a Persona, uh, you know, unchill Persona fan. And I had already beaten the game years ago. So like I was in the perfect place and I got this as a gift. It was a gift in the steel book. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I had the best Persona 5 experience of anyone. (laughs) Um, and (laughs) no one else has had more fun playing. No one else has had it. Uh, I think that if this is my first time playing it, it would be my game of the year. Um, Mm. this is easily one of the best, if not the best JRPGs in existence. And it's showing that by doing it again and doing it even better. Um, (laughs) it's an incredible time and I highly recommend it to people who haven't played it and are interested in games that have a very heavy focus on character and getting to know people as human beings and how that benefits your adventure in like a high stakes, high fantasy way. Yeah. I have, um, a couple little gripes here with Persona five royal that i think are probably worth mentioning i think number one is just the point that you brought up that like this probably should have been dlc or something like right now if you have a playstation plus account you can download persona 5 for free like the base version um which i think a lot of people will do and play through and love not even knowing that royal exists i think in a lot of instances and if you wanted to go get royal it'd be like the full 60 dollars versus free for the base version which like yeah i think you know, the better way to do this probably would have been, yes, Persona 5 is free as part of the PlayStation Plus collection. And if you pay like 15 to 20 dollars, you get this added DLC that like adds this whole other semester to the end. I think the other thing that really bums me out is like you could very easily fuck up your chance at seeing that last semester. Yeah. Um, you like yeah. this is a warning to you if you haven't played that game yet. Like Google what you need to do to get to the end or else playing Royal like doesn't really matter as much as playing the base <laughs> version. Um, that, that said, there are a lot of quality of life things and there are a lot of things that they have introduced to the base game that you will oh, only yeah. experience in Royal that are great and and definitely like worth having when you start the game. I think that's the big reason why I didn't bounce off Royal and I kind of did off the original is purely because the quality of life things are like night and day game, like actual literal using the term uh, as literally as possible game changers uh, that make it more fun and more accessible and better to play and like the best entry point to persona as a franchise possible but that said you can fuck up like not getting certain social links in time and then not be able to experience the entire last act that they've added on <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say before it wouldn't be persona without like a very esoteric requirement for something major like to fight yeah. the secret final boss of persona 4 you have to like dwell on his thought at like a very innocuous scene where he's like am i ready to go to school and like one of the options leads you to the boss <laughs> oh it's like God. that 
that level, but um, I totally agree. And I, I do think the game, I think Persona 5 Royal is on sale for $30. I don't know if that will be the case when this comes out, but like definitely pick it up when it's on sale. And I think we, before I picked up Royal, I had been playing Persona 3, which is an incredible game, uh, Fez, which is sort of the Royal of 3 on PS2. Oh my God. Um, but <laughs> as much as I love 3 and 4 and they each, each of the games do something on their own really well and arguably the best and like you can easily pick one of these three as your favorite um i haven't played persona 2 yet i'm sorry i think that five royal is also the definitive persona experience it gives you a little bit of everything the series does well well while three and four kind of dive deeper into certain aspects of the series you know three is much darker it has more of like a mysterious vibe to it more evangelion energy and it is is kind of takes like bigger risks in the main plot um and four is very bright and cheery and is like all about the cast five kind of rides a good middle ground between like the darker tone of three and the optimism of four and tells a really great story just about like rebellion basically it's great i love it persona five royal <laughs> you're number five. five royal my number this five. is like I'm when you so had octopath traveler at, at, at number eight in our yeah, first year right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, here I am talking about my number 13 game of the year, 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim. It's my number five. <laughs> Whoa, uh, hell yeah. Oh, man. what? How do we even talk about 13 Sentinels in like a game of the year context? Um, so uh, here's the deal. Take what you know about... No, I'm, I'm not going to go into the plot. So, I mean, I uh, look, we talked about this game like pretty recently on the podcast, and um, I'm, I'm going to be just kind of like rehashing a lot of the stuff that I said very recently, but I think it's worth saying again uh, in a game of the year context. But I had just like the maybe wildest experience you could have playing this game. I played most of it via remote play uh, in a cabin in the woods via both my MacBook and my iOS device, my, my uh, iPhone. So I played like using on-screen touch controls on my <laughs> iPhone, and then I also had like a DualShock 4 plugged into my MacBook while playing this game. And weirdly enough, that was like maybe the best way to play this thing. Um, just high level, in case this is maybe your first episode of the podcast or something and you don't know about 13 Sentinels, uh, it is a game about 13-ish characters uh, <laughs> in a visual novel uh, setting that also every once in a while becomes like an RTS uh, mech versus kaiju, like battling in Japanese cities uh, kind of game. But these 13 characters are um, all essentially from different points in time in Japanese history uh, and the ways in which these characters lives intersect and overlap um, in various ways. I don't think it's a spoiler to say this is a game that deals heavily in time travel. Uh, it deals heavily in like sci-fi tropes in general. But outside of that, it does a lot to interrogate and ask questions about the sci-fi tropes in which it is borrowing from. Um, it is not just saying like, "Ooh, isn't it funny that this is about, you know, this is like a, an, an E.T. allegory, but is like, <laughs> what does E.T. actually mean in the context of like somebody's life if this actually happened to them? And and kind of takes all of these inspirations and weaves them somehow into a storyline that makes sense by the end. You will spend a good 20 hours of this game having no clue what the fuck is happening. And suddenly, <laughs> somehow, it'll all click. And this is all, I, I guess, like, it, it's really worth 
reiterating, you play all of these characters simultaneously. You can jump into anyone's story at any given time and narratively, it will still make sense somehow. It doesn't matter what character you're playing and in what order, you will still have the big holy shit moments and they will hit mm. at the right time and in the right way. And that that is miraculous. Like, it should not be possible to tell a story via 13 chapters that can be all played simultaneously like that and still have it make sense at the end. I think like at the end, end, end of the day, um, and, and I don't want to say too much about this because it deals a little bit too much in like a spoilery kind of way. Um, and, and if you don't want any spoilers at all, go listen to our episode Yakisoba Pod, which is like very much like the I would say in my in my personal opinion is maybe the definitive spoiler free conversation about 13 Sentinels. <laughs> um, somehow we managed to do it. You can go check that out. Um, but I will say that like the end of this game is way more optimistic than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, it left absolutely. me with, with a feeling of elation uh, that, that I wasn't expecting going into it, especially considering how dark and dour the game gets at times. In a lot of instances, it's about optimism. It's about uh, expectation and subverting that and uh, realizing that you can be a better version of yourself um, in some cases, very literally. Uh, and and by the end of it, just left me like in actual literal tears. I could not believe how good this game was. And and uh, it, it's it's I think maybe one of the most overlooked games of 2020. Uh, and it's going to be one of those situations, kind of like near Automata, where like in a year or two, people are going to be like, "Oh my god, this yeah, this was it." And uh, yeah, I. I could go on for hours, but you and I have already gone on for hours about how great 13 <laughs> Sentinels is. Um, so please go play it if you if you can. You're in luck, though, because number four for me is 13 <laughs> Sentinels. I guess <laughs> eight more hours. I mean, I, I kind of echo everything you just said. I think that alongside Kentucky Rat Zero, this feels like the most ambitious narrative game. I don't want to say narrative game as if like other games don't have it, but I think Kentucky Red Zero and 13 Sentinels uh, seek to evoke a mood and atmosphere in their storytelling that like is really second to none. Um, I found this story to be, uh, despite it all, very optimistic, which surprised me and, and was to the story's uh, favor, I think. And while there are stories where maybe I liked the characters more or liked the actual plot more, like the ambition of this game alone makes it like uh, like mathematically the game of the year. Like the, the, <laughs> what they set out to do with this yeah. and what they did with the story and how they tell it is incredible. Um, you know, for our full nuanced thoughts, we've got the bonus episode as well that goes fully into spoilers. Um, there are things that are not handled super graciously and, and yes. there are things to bump up against. But overall, it's a really incredible story that's just such a unique experience that I can't recommend enough. Yeah. So that's all I'll say about that. It 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 feels to me like the the pinnacle of what VanillaWare is capable of in a lot of instances and and I I actually hope that that's not the case because I would love to see them one up this in some way. But this oh, yeah. game feels so wholly original that like I wouldn't ever want to see a sequel to it. I wouldn't ever want to see something that is even like a riff on this. I just want to see like more from the minds behind this game yeah uh, because it is one of the most special experiences that, that you can have playing a video game this year and it is so i, I think it's worth reiterating we've mentioned this a lot in our uh, conversations about this it is so not for everybody like <laughs> in a lot of yeah, instances yeah. going into it it wasn't even for you and i we both watched the trailer a couple weeks before we had even decided that we were going to play it yeah and had both written it off as a game that we didn't really want to check out and it, and it wasn't until we took a chance on it and checked it out that it was like, oh, my God, this is this is like really, really, really something miraculous. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I think it's like it it front loads the game with like every trope possible, (laughs) which ends up having narrative significance. And that's something that I have yet to see. I've yet to see a piece of media that is so full of references and like homages that sticks the landing to become its own thing. And I think it's because it's not doing it in like a fucking ready player one way where they're just like, (laughs) yeah, you know, making some kind of elitist statement about knowing things about stuff right but like yeah it's, it it's funny there. that you and i just recently talked about high fidelity like i just watched high fidelity for the first time recently and that game uh, that game what <laughs> oh my god could you imagine a high fidelity game <laughs> I, I would rather barf um <laughs> uh that 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 movie is like so much about just like toxicity and fandom and masculinity and like you know not understanding that like knowing more about a thing doesn't make you better in any way shape or form but is like yeah. trying to hold yourself up to a higher pedestal and like this game is about that this game does what high fidelity wanted to do better than high fidelity does and like also tackles the same themes and and objectives of a lot of other pieces of media and also handles them with more deft tones uh, th- than the things it's referencing. It feels like it's purposely made to feel like you had just been sick and watched like a bunch of TV. Yeah. And this is the dream you would have, you know? <laughs> and that's like literally like the intention of it is like, yeah. why do certain stories linger in our unconscious? And like, how do they... Our, our friend Chris Plant on The Besties, I think, did a segment on this game that was really great. And I think he explores the idea of like, how do these stories help and hurt us? And yeah. it's a great way to frame the referential part of 13 sentinels absolutely yeah 13 sentinels is unbelievable uh definitely go play it my only bummer with it really is that it's not available on more platforms the fact that it's only on ps4 is like such a bummer because i just want more people to experience this and i i would hope that it's possible that it could end up in other places um because vanillaware has ported things to other platforms in the past atlas seems to be maybe wrapping their heads (laughs) around porting things to other platforms now (laughs) potentially Uh, we've seen persona 4 golden get released onto the pc this year um, so I would hope that that they give 13 Sentinels like it's real proper due uh, and allow more people to get their hands on it uh, sooner than later, because it, it, it just is like an unmissable experience. If any of that sounds interesting to you. Yeah, absolutely. From what you guys have said about it, it sounds like uh, everything that you guys say you like about switch ports. It seems like this is like the perfect switch port, because, Brendan, you said playing it yeah. on your, your iPad was, or your your phone and your computer was like kind of reading a book in a way. Uh, yes. And I think the switch is just like something you can sit in bed and read a book. Yeah. Um, being, so. Yeah. Being able to just like have my laptop like sitting on me while I was lying in bed and just play this until like four in the morning right. uh, was like one of the better video game experiences of the year for me, weirdly enough. Um, yeah. It was like so exactly what I wanted from this game. And, and I really wish it was on Switch. So that would just be like a more native and more interesting experience. That said, though, <laughs> there was something really great about the fact that I was playing this on a remote play where like it would frequently like disconnect or like drop frames or like get real weird visually or graphically at times. <laughs> there was something so special, strangely enough, about like this game feeling shitty at times by playing it on remote play. It almost in a way made it feel more like I was immersing myself in the world of 13 Sentinels, uh, which mm. I thought was wild. Yeah. So Steven, now, now that you've revealed that 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim is your number four game of the year, I guess I'll just go right back into my list. Uh, my number four is uh, a game you might have heard of. That's right. You heard about it earlier. It's called Kentucky Route Zero TV edition. Whoa. Um, oh, yeah. For the Nintendo Switch and also many other platforms, I finally finished this game. Hell yeah! My guy, 
Oh my God. <laughs> it was so good. Um, I took a really long break from this game. And when yeah, I say really I long break, it. I mean like I played the beginning of this game before the pandemic and then played the end of it like last week, <laughs> um, <laughs> which uh, weirdly enough, I think might kind of like do the game justice, at least for the people who are following it in real time. Uh, I gave myself like a full, I don't know, nine months between between beginning and finishing it. Um, not unlike the nine to ten years it took for the game to uh, begin and then get finished. But I played this game, um, or at least the first chapter of this game, really early on, like right when it released, I think. I played I played chapter one of Kentucky Rad Zero and then loved it so much that I told myself I would wait until it was over to finish it. And TV edition being released, especially on the Switch, was like, there is no better time or place to pick this game up and finally play through the whole thing. And I started from the beginning, and I fell into it in, in a way that I didn't the first time I played through it. And I think a lot of that just has to do with, like, I'm older now, and maybe I've played more games <laughs> and have a better understanding of my own taste. But there is something really special about playing Kentucky Route Zero on the Switch specifically, like while riding a train for two hours into the office and back, which is how I experienced this game for a long time. I would wake up in the morning, I would get on the train and I'd be sitting on the train for about two and a half hours or sorry, one and a half hours on the way into the office and just like play through an entire chapter or a couple uh, chapters in an act or something. Um, and the place mentally that this game puts you by playing it, if you really give yourself up to it, and I think that's kind of one of the more important parts because you could, you could come at this game and like kind of like have a defensive aura about you and not really let it wash over you. But if you kind of give yourself up to it and allow yourself to fall into it and allow the like pro the actual pros in this game to take you where it wants to that will be one of the more special experiences that you can have like playing a video game period which is why earlier when you're talking about it i said this is maybe one of the best games of all time there the way that this game is is approaching the idea of of narrative and player agency and choice and and uh how all of this unfurls before you is so special the i i won't say too much about it but like chapter four for example is one in which you are on a boat and at a lot of instances um they give you the option of playing as multiple characters who are doing different things around the ship and in some instances that involves getting off the ship and doing things off of the ship and i've seen screenshots of what happens when you get off the ship i chose to spend the entirety of chapter four on the boat I was playing oh, wow. <laughs> as whatever character was hanging out on the boat at all times. And in some instances, that meant like I'm not playing as the two cool musical androids who are going and checking out this like weird gas station that appeared in the middle of nowhere uh, on this river under the earth. But instead, I'm going to play as two dogs who are just sleeping. Uh, <laughs> right. And that was great. It was like act four chapter five and then you just see a shot of two dogs and they're sleeping and it's maybe 30 seconds long and then you go into the next chapter and that is what is so cool about this game is that they're not really giving you a lot of choice by way of like actually influencing where the game is going it's more allowing yourself to kind of insert your own headspace into the headspace that they are creating. Um, and, yeah. and I think as a person who has bounced off of Twin Peaks many, many, many times, um, mm. I keep trying to get into it. It seems so much aesthetically and, and vibe wise, like the kind of thing that I would absolutely fall head over heels for, especially given my love of like control and Alan Wake from last year. I, I think that I should have loved Twin Peaks, but I don't. And, and Kentucky Route Zero pulled me in the way I thought that Twin Peaks always would. When we talk about 2020 and like games that we played that were like flash in the pan kind of feelings that we had, 
I can't put any game higher up on that kind of list than Kentucky Route Zero because where my head was at during this game is a completely different time and space from everything <laughs> else that I think I yeah. will ever experience like media wise. Um, I just remember like playing through act two of this game, like in one sitting or, or chapter two um, and walking into the office the next day and being just completely like head empty, like brain go burr the whole time, you know, like I just, <laughs> I just was not like a functioning human the whole time because all I was thinking about was the things that happened in, in act two of Kentucky Red zero. Um, yeah. And that doesn't even, I, I think, uh, call into in, into question like the things that are happening in these interludes between the actual chapters themselves which yeah. like do feed into and don't feed into the narrative i think that point that you brought up before about um being one of the extras on stage for a stage play is almost like kentucky route zero looking back at itself and and uh cardboard computer the developers being like all right let's just literalize what we've been trying to say this entire time it, it, and it just allows you to sit there as like your role in this play is literally you're just a drunk who is on stage back to the audience the entire time just mm-hmm. watching this thing play out. And that is the most literal and best way of illustrating what Kentucky Route Zero is like to play, because that that little stage play that exists in that one little interlude is all of Kentucky Route Zero in one little um, kind of like self-contained uh, universe. And it ends yeah. on one of the wildest visual notes, I think, that any <clears throat> uh, piece of media I played this year uh, ended on. It is stunning. I could talk about it forever and I'm going to try not to because I would like to actually like maybe do a bonus episode at some point about like the end oh, of yeah. this game and just all of it we in general. Um, we absolutely should. I actually yeah. like truly want to replay the whole thing from beginning to end and I think it might be on Game Pass or is like deeply discounted on Xbox right now but either way I do want to replay the whole thing uh, and start from scratch and just like play it all kind of not in one sitting obviously but like in one fell swoop instead of taking the kind of break that I did because I think in replaying it, I will I will come to even more like profound conclusions uh, than yeah. I already have. It, go play Kentucky Red Zero, and if you have a <laughs> Switch, really, re- please play it on your Switch. It's because great. it yeah. it is really like a book that you can't put down at times um and it elicits a vibe and and a sense of place and a sense of like like ethereal like uh, i don't even know like subconscious bliss that that i think like can't be achieved in a lot of pieces of media yeah it's great and again i just want to mention this is my number four game of the year (laughs) oh my god uh it's great that's amazing it's really good it it is really incredible yeah, I mean, I think doing a bonus episode on on the latter acts or just the whole thing would be amazing because I think you pointed out a lot of Act Four, and that to me was definitely the peak of it. Like, I love the whole adventure on the boat, and like the song that plays at the end of Act Four is like mm-hmm. on par with the song in Thirteen Sentinels for like one of my favorite like musical moments oh in a game. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that illustrates too. You know what? I'm not going to say anything else because that can be for the bonus episode. Yeah. Ooh, I do. It's really I, cool. Oh, <laughs> one of the reasons I want to replay that game specifically is because I want to replay through Act Four in its entirety off of the boat. Because having experienced yeah. the entire thing on the boat, I just want to do the opposite now and see what that's like. Because I've seen some screenshots of some of the visuals of what happens when you leave the boat. I don't know if you did or not, but 
Uh, it looks stunning. And I almost was like, oh, shit, I missed out on some really cool shit. But I really like the experience that I had. And, and it still yeah. felt complete and great. And uh, I love it. I think one of the things that we mentioned in the in the original episode that we did on thir- uh, 13 Sentinels on Kentucky Route Zero <laughs> um, was just this idea that, like, you are a director directing these actors uh specifically you know like when you're making decisions about somebody's backstory like that's not really changing anything about the narrative of the game it's not like a telltale game where it's like in the top left going to be like uh sharon's going to remember that it's it's never that it's more just like how do you personally see this character and how do you want to bring them to life um and every time they give you an option like that that allows you to fill in like the lore and the backstory of any of the characters that you're playing as all that really does is is better insert you into the world um and i and i don't mean that like you are taking control of a protagonist i just mean like you are picking the thing that makes the most sense for you and by doing so allows you to uh make the entire world of kentucky Route zero more believable for you thus allowing you to fall deeper into the rabbit hole um of of like whatever it is that cardboard computer is trying to weave for you uh, it's, oh, yeah, it's it's stellar and it's unlike anything I've experienced um, and I think is in stark contrast to 13 Sentinels, which is, you know, one place lower on my list. Uh, 13 Sentinels is, I think, like pinnacle visual novel shit, you know, like is I think one of the more ambitious or one of the most ambitious visual novels I've played. Uh, I haven't played a whole lot again, to, to be perfectly clear but is one of the most ambitious visual novels I've experienced and and is tackling so many themes and ideas simultaneously uh, that it's a miracle that it works out at the end. But Kentucky Route Zero is tackling a completely different idea. Uh, The the intention behind Kentucky Route Zero is on a completely different level and achieves, I think, the same level of mastery and aplomb. You know, it's 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 unbelievable. And I'm glad it's on both of our lists, really. Yeah, I mean, it had to be. I mean, I think... um Going back to what you were saying about the on the boat, like seeing uh, you're not changing what happens, but your perception of what's happening. That goes back to being the bar fly in the play. I would even say you're not even the director, but you're literally an extra on stage the whole time. You're just choosing what you yourself are seeing, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, I think you're right in terms of like choosing the backstory and stuff, but I think that like it really is just the power of perception and observation and not writing the story at all. Yeah. I think that there's some cool just just to make you excited, there's some cool things off the boat where there's one scene where there are literally two tracks of writing happening at the same time. <laughs> it's oh, like wow. just impossible to follow, but like, you know, <laughs> it's it's very it's very fun. guys this is alana uh thank you so much for having me on even though i think what i'm about to say is like deeply unhelpful which is that i i really can't choose like one game of the year you guys this was just such an overwhelmingly game-filled year for me like you know i've probably been playing seriously quote unquote for the last like five or so years but this year i played like 1200 hours worth of games of I think it has to be Animal Crossing. It's funny, I I completely put my Switch down in May and I don't think I've played Animal Crossing since then. Like literally, it wasn't even like I was getting too much fatigue. I just sort of like one day didn't play and then never played again. But when I think back on, you know, early spring, especially when everything felt so uncertain, like we weren't really sure how long quarantine was gonna be. We had no idea about the election, like just all of this up in the air stuff, Animal Crossing 
wrestling was just the game that I turned to. And, and the thing that I think was the most important about it was because it was tied to real time, I could, you know, dip in in the morning before work and, you know, do my little chores then and sort of see what was happening when I first signed on. And then, you know, I could check on Discord later and do any trades I wanted to do. And then at night I could check Discord again and open up my island to complete strangers who were all like uniformly very lovely. I think it helped give shape and contours to my days in a time when I really did not have that and, and many people didn't have that. All that said though, like Hades is just the game. Like I kind of think Hades is a game I might be playing for the rest of my life. It really just scratches the same itch. And I mean this in a very, very positive way as like a really good phone game where just like the mechanics of it and going through the motions of it are the thing you wanna do. And then honestly, like there were other games that I played much, much longer than either of those. Like I played Persona 5 Royal. Like I actually just put that game down right now to come record this. And I played Breath of the Wild for the first time, which is psycho, but also I'm really, really happy that I waited until now to do it. And then of course my game of the year is y'all's game of the year from last year, which is Fire Emblem Three Houses. I think I picked it up like the day after New Year's this year, and I've played like 500 hours. I've played seven different runs. Uh, so really, it's very, very hard for me to, you know, sort of codify one game as it. But I think when I think of the game that represents this year the most and that sort of did the most for me, Animal Crossing has to be it. Thank you so much for listening to this very long-winded, uh, I don't even know, screed. And thank you guys so, so much for the show. It's really been such a bright spot and really has helped me kind of think about games in this communal but low-key way. Um, that's just been really helpful for me. So happy, happy 2021. It, I was about to say it can't be worse than this, but never mind. I don't want to say that. <laughs> All right, bye. Do you mind if I move on to, I guess, my number three? Yeah, I, I was telling AJ while we were taking a break earlier that I think you and I might have the same top three in the same order, and I'm so interested to see if that happens. <laughs> not to, not to like yeah. Chris Angel, fucking David Blaine, this shit again. Um, I do have, I have a sneaking suspicion that it's the top because I, I expected one of these games to show up earlier in your list, and the fact that it didn't makes me think it might be here. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think we had pretty similar like top halves of our list, just Persona Five through like. A little bit of a, a wrench in the in the collaboration between our yeah. subjective taste. Anyway, number three is the game I was probably most excited for this entire year. It is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah, um, man, we got same the same you. top three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is just yeah, yeah. this is this is just us like flying high now. We're like ascending reality for these next three. Um, you revisited this game like this morning, right? A little bit. You like turned it on and played through a little bit of it. Yeah, so here's the deal. If you don't mind me kind of going through my whole life story with this game real That's, quick. I would uh, love nothing more than that, Stephen. Please. So, uh, hey, um, if you've been listening to this show for even a day, you know <laughs> how much I unabashedly love Final Fantasy, and Seven in particular. Um, I've, I've talked about Final Fantasy Seven a lot. I've talked about both the original and the remake a lot. We've got two whole episodes 
about the remake. One is spoiler-free, one is spoiler-full. Sephiroth's on the cover, unrelated to leakage on MP3. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> Before the before the remake was even like it, w- w- this has been this has been this sort of like alongside Kingdom Hearts three this has been sort of the white whale of Square Enix for a long time you know I mean E three when the PS three was announced they showed footage of PS three opening Final Fantasy seven everyone flipped out yeah um, which so to at- be clear was not indicative that they were working on this remake but was just like let's show off how powerful the PS three is by showing you something you remember but immediately yeah. just set off off this wave of like you gotta remake this game that pronto. was the equivalent of like let's render like a letter from your ex just in front of you it's like you know like this is gonna make me feel all kinds of shit that i'm not ready for um i <laughs> for the longest time i actively did not want it and that's actually the biggest surprise i mean if you go back to our really early episodes like e3 2018 our first episode before we even really found a formula for the show and like we're just trying stuff out, I kind of say like, I don't really need this to happen. The idea of Final Fantasy VII just in prettier graphics does not really make me too excited. They would have to, I think I literally say they would have to do something different with it for me to be interested. Yeah. So I was kind of like, you know, not ready for it for a long time. The big flip, the the big switch, my, my heel turn into this unabashed hype was E3 2019 when Square had like just a killer presentation. Like their 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 whole theater for that E3 was incredible. And they opened with like actual gameplay and cinematic footage from Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I was blown away. I thought it was just everything I wanted it to be secretly. Yeah. Um, you know, we still didn't know like a ton about it, but like there was enough meat there that I started to feel much more confident and their vision for this project. And then that led to like just excess, like uh, me buying Butterfingers to get a Tifa theme. <laughs> like I was all in from then on. And then the game came out and I started to get nervous again. I was like, oh my God, what have I set myself up for here? You know, literally like what am I going to feel or think if it's not now what I've built for myself? And the short answer is the game is fucking incredible. Uh, it is it, it so far exceeded my expectations in a lot of areas that I didn't expect it to. Um, I think that the the thing this game does so well is it really reminds you of why people like this Final Fantasy in particular. Like, why is Seven so popular? And not the other ones. I mean, I love all of them. We've talked about a lot of them. But there's something about Seven that like really stuck, especially in the U.S., I think. And what the remake does is that it really breathes new life in these characters that you've loved in a way that feels synonymous with who you picture them to be, especially Cloud and Tifa. Uh, I think Cloud and Tifa here are like exactly how I picture them to be, even though they kind of weren't in the original. When you read a lot of the dialogue and stuff, like you're kind of filling in the gaps, as we've often said, you're kind of putting in a mental picture of what's, what's actually happening because what you're watching is like Playmobil 1999 <laughs> PlayStation. Yes. They have captured the vibe of Midgar and they captured that Cloud is a fuck boy putting on a giant front and his arc of slowly realizing that he actually cares way more about other people than he lets off and he always has is really beautiful and i think that 
you know, even though Barrett and Aerith, I think in the beginning might come off more as caricatures than human beings, by the end, those two have some of the biggest show stealing moments, especially Barrett. I think like yeah. his scenes with Marlene and and whenever he takes off the sunglasses, you get like <laughs> a vision of, of of a beautiful human, you know, yeah. like and he well, because Barrett, I think Barrett is 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 uh, circling the same uh, like dying star the cloud is in a lot of ways yes, right exactly. and like and like they're they're kind of weirdly reflections of one another in that they're putting on this front but really they're completely different people underneath uh and they're both a lot more alike than i think they care to admit totally and i think that you know you've got such a good core i think i was reminded of like how strong that core ensemble is between cloud tifa Aerith, and barrett yeah you've got you know i mean it literally almost ties to like this is maybe a weird segue but it's like the avatar elements where like they all <laughs> kind of have it like tifa is water she's adaptable she's going to move with what's actually happening around her mm-hmm. i think Aerith, in many ways is wind she's kind of a little bit in her own head but like is so much the moving force of the plot in the game and is the most kind of free spirited i think barrett is fire in that he can be outwardly destructive and a little bit toxic but is literally the beating heart of the party uh and cloud is the earth you know cloud is trying to make sense of the world around him and remain rigid and closed off from everyone and him finally welcoming everything else around him and realizing he's the avatar so put the avatar slash fiction aside i think that um my interest and my love for these characters only grew after playing this and that's yeah that was the biggest thing they could have fucked up and that was the thing that i expected them to fuck up and they nailed it Um, for the most part they nailed it i think that this game does shit the bed in other areas like we talked about in the episode this game does uh, the exact phrase i'll use again this game winks at what it could could have been in terms of like a nightmare mm-hmm. every scene with johnny i want that time of my life back um there's a lot of like really strange design choices where like you end up in a new city and they're like here's every side quest you can do but you can only do them all right now and it's like right. why is this here yeah. it's almost like the game is struggling with itself until the final quarter of it and at that point, like the highs of this game are some of my favorite moments in a video game. When this game is like firing off in, in the way that it intends to, it's it's chilling and inspiring. And I think that without spoiling the fact that this game ends in a way that really frees up what the sequels will be with the, you know, it, we don't know a, a lot about the next chapter, but we know that they are going to make one. And I think that I'm very confident in the vision moving forward based on what's here. And it almost feels like the things that didn't land are because they were beholden to the original. Now that they've freed those shackles off in some ways, I think that it could go in a really cool direction. I'm so excited to see what comes next. I think that... um, Another thing I'll say real quick, because I know it's on the same place for you, the, the the strength for me and the reason it's so high are the characters and the interpretation of the battle system is incredible. That's yeah. something that I had kind of almost forgotten about since it's been a long time since I played. And I just put it on just to like have it be fresh for today. And I was just like, uh, what's great is that in New Game Plus, you can just select any chapter. So I selected like my favorite chapter or one of my favorite chapters. And like the the thrill of switching between the party mates and how uniquely they all feel to play, um, you know, pulling off like Yakuza-esque combos with Tifa <laughs> and then going yeah. to Barrett as like kind of like a, you know, range fighter and then going back to cloud and like knowing what their strengths are 
it really aids the sense of ensemble. And I think the interpretation of turn-based combat in real time is really the best it's ever been. They should keep this in place and, and build on it. The, 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 the skill trees from the weapons, the use of materia, all of that is like really incredible. I think the one thing that a lot of people said, and I think we, we might've said in the episodes about it is that uh, the lack of like AI, like the lack of like gambits or some kind of like system for, you know, cause you can only control one at a time, right? The lack of options for them to do stuff passively can get in the way sometimes but i also think that the game is so focused on on when you switch and why you switch that that kind of gets pushed out of the picture for me i think that this game is designed around switching between characters and i think that something else that holds the game back in some moments is that you rarely have the full party at your disposal mm. so that thrill is really only palpable in certain chapters yeah yeah at a, at a certain point it becomes a, a like you start asking yourself, like, why am I spending so much time building up these other characters if they're just going to be removed from my party for narrative reasons at times? I do think I think yeah. I do think there are a lot of places where you can push back on this game, but it really, I think, kind of gets overshadowed by one of the big points that you made very early on in our recording today, which is like, what is the feeling that you're left with when playing these games? You know, that's why Tony Hawk one plus two is on my list is because yeah. I spent 48 straight hours playing that game and unlocking and doing literally everything. And it was euphoric the entire time. And even though I haven't revisited visited it since uh it, it's still one of the best games and one of the uh, most fun experiences i had this year final fantasy 7 remake also has so many things that are fucked up and bad about it i think you know, there are, <laughs> yeah. the amount of times in which you are cloud and you have to like shimmy through some rubble oh and it takes God. like 45 to 60 entire actual real human seconds to make it through to get from one cutscene to the other is like unconscionable like that is that is time that like should be spent doing other things and i don't know if that's a constraint of of like the technology like you needed to put that piece of rubble there specifically so you could load the next area in or what but it's not fun and that's kind of i think the most important part and in i've been alluding to this a lot over the past couple episodes but i've been replaying through new game plus for the past couple weeks and replaying this game uh really just illustrated how bad those moments are <laughs> but that said those moments aren't the things that linger in my head when I think about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. And I think as a person who has, from afar, literally since this game came out, been wishing that I had been in on that. I finally got the Final Fantasy VII experience that I had always wanted via the remake. And that is why it's so special to me. That is why I hold it to such high esteem is because the thing that was described to me by my friends in the 90s and in the early 2000s as like this seminal <laughs> unbelievable Have you played in the 2000s Steven? Have you played yeah, no, sorry, for I'm real though, that was literally yeah. the experience that I had was just people talking at me about how incredible this experience was while I was still playing the Sega Genesis. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I mean, not a bad move. I finally had the experience that had been described to me for so long. I felt like I had missed out on one of the most important tentpole gaming experiences of all time um, and, and got that back. I was able to reclaim that because of what Square Enix was able to pull off and not only that but now i feel like i'm at the forefront of it because of the ways in which they have taken huge huge risks and not to spoil a whole lot and, and you can go back and listen to our episodes about it if you want to but they have 
changed some things that happened in the original mm-hmm. game in remake and that's what you're what you're talking about and alluding to in that we don't know what part two is going to be all about um is because some things have changed because what they've done is not just remade final fantasy 7 but they have included the lore of like advent children and all of the various spin-offs of final fantasy 7 that have existed on the fucking psp and like in manga and like in bazooka joe comics or whatever the hell <laughs> <laughs> they went and like added to the lore of this cameo and peanuts. It's really yeah, fun. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They they've taken all of that into consideration, and they're trying to create like the definitive version of that lore here, and are constantly referencing the things that came before and subverting them in really interesting ways. So I weirdly came into this experience having only played the Midgar section of Final Fantasy VII. So I don't know what happens after that really. And I I went into this experience knowing just what I had heard and seen in like forums and through conversations in the past. So I know a lot of what was supposed to happen in Final Fantasy VII. So in the moments in which that knowledge was challenged in playing the remake, I was floored over and over and over again, because think of the think of the risk it takes to like go going to like the the big fucking triple a like square enix you're sitting in a boardroom pitching your idea for this game like even on that level to sit down and say this is not going to be a straight remake at all we're going to put remake on the box but this is going to be a reinterpretation an adaptation maybe even a sequel or like a a uh, a complete subversion of what happens in Final Fantasy VII. That is one of the wildest chances and risks you could possibly take as a triple A, like gigantic corporation, like uh, an actual like totem of of Japanese culture to take that and say, like, we're not going to be beholden to that is such a huge risk. And for it to pay off in a way that doesn't anger anyone, everyone loves Final Fantasy VII Remake. If you play this game, regardless of your background with Final Fantasy VII, you're gonna have a good time. That is miraculous on the level that like 13 sentinels narrative making sense is miraculous you know what i mean the fact that you can make something that that isn't beholden to the previous story that isn't a straight one-to-one remake uh is 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 incredible and that's kind of one of the things that i think hangs over all of 2020 in a a weird way is like this idea of remaking something or remastering something and what that means and the different ways in which that can be interpreted right demon souls i think is a great example where like demon souls came out on the ps3 is a game that is like pretty good but you know revisiting it now might be a little bit difficult because like there are some things mechanically that are kind of rough but more than that visually it's kind of like aesthetically hard to grok what's happening there and what blue point had to do to take that game and pull it into 2020 was a lot of reinterpretation it wasn't just taking assets and upresing them it was literally like saying okay what it, what is this enemy for example what is the like ethos of this enemy and how do we reinterpret that into a thing that makes sense when you have literally the highest visual fidelity possible in a video game in 2020 um and blue point managed to pull that off right but that is just a one-to-one reinterpretation of what happens there as much as demon souls an adaptation of the original final fantasy 7 remake manages to do all of what blue point was able to do with demon souls and then go a step further in adding to the lore adding to the story and making you care for and understand these characters on the level that you thought you did in 1997 but take it a step further 
I, I, I'm so happy to have played this game. I'm so happy to have had the time that I had with this game. And I am so looking forward to whatever comes next because now I'm in this like wild place where I feel like I'm on a GameFAQs forum in the nineties theorizing <laughs> wildly about what the next chapter of this is going to be. Um, as much as I have my issues with a lot of the things that happen like mechanically in final fantasy seven in, in the moment to moment gameplay, what I'm left with is like euphoria only. Um, and, and, and an understanding of what people have been yelling at me for like literally 20 years of my life. Uh, AJ, Brendan, I have a confession to make this whole time. I've been an angel that has been given a mission to make Brendan say exactly what he said. I can leave, I can leave earth now. Uh, now you know which element ties to each of the core ensemble of FF7. Sid is outer space cause he's an astronaut. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you had that experience. And I think it's, it's something that I think a lot of you know i I think it's a sign of success of the game that i think a lot of people came out with that feeling um yeah and i mean i'll 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 add that i think it reminded me of some of the reasons that ff7 as a source material even separates itself from other final fantasies we talked about four recently and four is a great story it's a really cool personal story of redemption yeah i've been playing a lot of four by the way i did i did end up picking that up on ios i've been playing a lot of it's really good yeah, I mean, I, I love all of them for their own reasons, but seven, I think, especially right now, just feels so timely. And, and it's like a lot of the Final Fantasies are about preventing the apocalypse, including FF7. But I think at least in this chapter, and this goes back to what I was saying about Kentucky Route Zero and also about Persona 5 Royal, like what the characters want is not to save the world. They want a life for themselves and others. Yes. Like Tifa's whole vibe in this game is to like provide her and even more so the people of her town with basic life essentials. Yes. You know, this, this setting of Midgar has been so robbed of a basic quality of life that that's, what's being fought for. One of the scenes that stays with me that I'm, I actually just got like a wave of hair standing up chills Mm -hmm. and I'm going to cry, uh, is when, um, it, I learned later that this scene can be different depending on who you spend time with. But of course I got Tifa because who else is there even? Just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, when you're outside Aerith's house with Tifa and she's like, I can't believe there was more we could lose. Like we, yeah. you know, like I, I did not fathom there was more they, they could have taken from us. And that's something that, that hits especially hard right now too. Cause it's like the last four years and, and the, ent- the entire history of the earth has been tough. <laughs> you know, as mm-hmm. much as we want to talk about, years that are fine or years that are good or eras of history that are more prosperous. Like being alive is hard. And I think that, um, this year has reminded us how fragile certain things can be and seeing a character kind of put that into words. It's just like really vulnerable and human. And the fact that a game that is from 1997, that is largely goofy is making me cry right now is a testament to the human fiber of these characters in these Mm -hmm. casts and the game letting moments like that to exist alongside, like I've got essentially a lightsaber and I'm going to fight the personification (laughs) of an idea. Um, So like, (laughs) you know, I just think um, weirdly this game was lower on my list before I went back and I was like, there's, that's as much as there's like Johnny and weird side quests and like low, like on, on super compressed level one JPEG as a background in some scenes, there are moments like that, that I have not seen in another video game. Uh, I love this cast to a level that I think is beyond nostalgia. And I think your experience proves that Brendan, because you're going into this pretty fresh 
these are good characters that are navigating a world and a story that is inspiring and isn't afraid to be a little bit too much like our current reality. Yeah. And for that, it's easily one of the best games of the year. Yeah. And not, one of my fa- one of my favorite games of the year, I should say. Not not to undercut all of that, but yesterday I, I was playing through a little bit more of this game and just like hopping through chapters because when you finish the game, you get chapter select. And uh, and and I texted both of you and I said, I think this game maybe captures the spirit of cyberpunk better than cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> yeah, man. I yeah, really cool. stand by that. Honestly, I think I think what this game is is tackling from like an environmentalism and just like pure like well-being of society standpoint is like way beyond what it seems like CD Projekt Red has, has mm. even attempted doing. I, I think this game is so special. AJ, didn't you play this game also this year? I did play this game uh, and I super loved it. Uh, I had a similar experience, Brendan, where I had actually, I don't even think I had friends who were telling me to play it. I just knew that it was a big game that people enjoyed yeah. um, that is, you know, critically acclaimed, uh, audience acclaimed, you know, it, it's, just, it's just a great game all around for, for you know, decades. So I didn't really have any excitement around the remake. I don't think I was really excited. <laughs> Sorry, to... I, just, I love the, like, as I'm wiping actual tears <laughs> off my face, I'm so thankful for this energy right now. Someone is like, yeah, I'm like a functioning human who like, just got <laughs> no, this thing and enjoyed like... it. <laughs> but uh, just like hearing people talk about it and reading more about it, I was like, all right, fine, I'll play this game. Uh, yeah. And I do not regret it. I, like I said earlier, I have only clearly played like five ish games this, this year. Um, and I do think final fantasy seven remake is my game of the year this year. Just, <gasps> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but despite, you know, the, the, the janky moments of it and, you know, all the, <laughs> the part toward the, uh, later part of the game where you're just like on a jungle gym with Tifa more or less. <laughs> for like yeah. 10 minutes and she's just hopping between it's not a literal jungle gym i just don't want to spoil anything um just like hopping from platform to platform and to navigate those platforms takes a fucking lifetime and i almost, mean i'll be real i can do that all day tifa oh and i can God. do anything together that's that, fine. that literally i, I almost put mean. the game down at that point i was like i can't do this but it, it really there are did. moments that genuinely suck and I, yeah. I was kind of stressed out while playing it for the first time because i'm like this is so close to becoming a disaster and then yeah. it so doesn't you yeah, know, but yeah, I know, it, like, it, those moments are worthy of criticism. And I hope that in the next episode, they I think because of how the game ends, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if those issues do not exist in the later chapters. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Um, but yeah. just like the whole more so than the gameplay and, and all that, just the whole message of the game and the whole vibe of each character is just it's just really all about hope and stuff. And each character yeah. is its own personification of of hope in different ways you know uh Aerith is just kind of like hopeful that like you know everything will work out it'll be fine well you know we'll all figure it out and uh Barrett is like we must do whatever we can to to make the things that we want to be true true um and you know Cloud and Tifa also have their personified differently um but I just really think this year especially I hate contextualizing things like that, but I feel like it's impossible not to. It's just like, I don't know, it really stuck with me. And, and thinking over the last couple of days, yeah. like, what is my favorite game of this year? I think that uh, really has, it, it has, it's stuck with me. And I, I finished the game two, three months ago. 
something like that. Um, and I'm constantly thinking about it. Honestly, I'm constantly on the verge of like starting a new game plus, and I'm still working my way through uh, Tim Rogers's eight hour or three hour uh, <laughs> Final Fantasy seven remake yeah. video. Um, yeah, that's great. Just because I don't want the game to be over, uh, and I'm like, oh, maybe I can stretch this video out until the next part comes out. <laughs> There have been a few times over the course of making the show where uh, we have like crunched ourselves like to finish Mm -hmm. a game in time to record some stuff. But the like whirlwind in which you and I started playing this game, I think it came out on like a Friday and then we we record on Sundays generally. So you and I, you know, played as much as we possibly could before that Sunday. And then immediately, as soon as we were done recording, went and then finished the game as quickly as humanly possible. So we could talk about the rest of it the next Sunday is like one of my favorite memories. Memories of the year period is just Me like too. playing through the entirety we, of this game as quickly as humanly possible because I just could not <laughs> fucking get enough of it. We recorded the spoiler episode like sec, like actual seconds after I was I was watching the end credits when yeah. we started. I was like, <laughs> man, it, it was a really it was interesting too because I think in the spoiler free part of the episode we're much more kind of on the level where we've like brought up the criticisms. We're like. This is a great game, but X, Y, Z. And then mm-hmm. at the latter half, it's like, this is actually just a great game. Forget everything else. Yeah. I think I equated <laughs> it to like, we had watched the first half of a magic trick. That's kind of what I still think about. Um, and I think too, I mean, um, one, one thing I want to point out, you know, and I think we can go on and on about this, but I want to keep it short. But um, in terms of like the kind of uh, further fleshing out of Midgar and how kind of topical it feels for right now, especially is the the sort of citizens reactions to things Mm. you know that was something that is kind of subtle in the original but is much more on the forefront of this game and a lot of people fucking hate avalanche and 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 i think that there's a lot of like clearly evil capitalists yelling fake news on the media stuff going on here with like them blaming wutai for avalanche's actions and Mm -hmm. like i'm very excited to see how that plays out because yuffie's from wutai and her reasons for joining the party in the original are kind of like paper thin so i would love to see her join in a more meaningful way later on mm-hmm. um but yeah it's just it's just great i think we should move on because now i'm getting yeah. into like uh the politics of wutai and uh <laughs> had a breed of golden chocobo uh so let's let's move on yeah um yeah. i guess just like to put a cap on all of that it is very possible that part two of this game does not pull off the same magic trick that part one does yeah i don't think there's anything that can undo the experience that all of us had playing part one of this game i think so yeah because I mean, even though it does set up like okay i'm pumped for the new chapter like it succeeds on its own arc in this game yeah and and whatever happens next is kind of i mean that's my my fear you know if we want to do that for a second focus on fear for once um <laughs> my fear for the second is that it's going to be more interested in the sort of like fandom of ff7 and less in like the setting and the characters, yeah, you know, like, um, I don't think that will be the case based on, that was my worry with this. I thought it was going to be like, I haven't, I haven't, to be clear, I have not watched Advent Children. I'm sure I would enjoy it for what wow. it's worth, but yeah, like, you should watch it. I've uh, even, I've seen Advent Children. <laughs> okay. I get it. I'm out of touch. I also think um, I have seen Advent Children. <laughs> Uh, I told you I was an angel. I can leave this world now. And I guess I'll watch <laughs> Evan Children in whatever realm I'm from. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm still very excited for what comes next. And I think like, but yeah, I think it's almost like it's almost like they already accomplished the mission of what a remake should do. Everything else is just going to be fun yeah. at this point, you know, because mm-hmm. I think that like it honors the source material by being like, you should still play the original. And I think if you play it, yeah. and I think this happened to both of you, like if you pick this up and play it, you're going to want to go back to the original. 
Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it's great. I'll say this as a person who like wasn't a fan of Final Fantasy as a franchise really at all until like doing this podcast generally. Um, outside yeah. of Final Fantasy 15, which I had a really good time with, that was like really unhooked from what Square Enix actually wanted me to do with that game. <laughs> uh, which I, I guess just to explain, in case again, this is your first episode, I, I spent a lot of that game not doing any of the story, but just driving around with my friends. And that was the pictures. way to do it. Like yeah. the friendship sim and monster hunting vibe of FF15 was like really fun. Yes. That was the best. That was part pretty of much all I did there. But anyway, that was yeah. like really my entry into Final Fantasy as like a franchise. Um, and I've only really experienced more of it via doing this podcast ever since. But all of that said, like having become a recent fan of this franchise, I actually think that Final Fantasy VII Remake is maybe the best way to get into this. Um, And Mm. I think if you play this and then go play the original, you will have a very similar experience to the people who did the inverse. The the places Mm. in which the remake deviates from the original are shocking if you know the original. I think it'll be shocking in a similar way to play the original having played the remake. Um, And and, and either way, regardless of how you choose to do it, uh, you're going to have a really good time. I'll say personally, I went and played through the Midgar section of the original before playing remake. And I think that that was a really great way of doing it. Uh, And now I'm really excited to go play the rest of the original in anticipation of whatever comes next. But that said, I think you could do the inverse and have a really good time. Um, And Mm -hmm. if you don't want to play any of Final Fantasy seven, but you do want in on the franchise, go play 12, the Zodiac Age, another great (laughs) game, which is technically not on my list, but is one of the best games I played this year. Thank you. Revisiting that game is been really fun too because like i didn't really i didn't really think too fondly back on 12 and going back i'm like oh this is perfect i think also <laughs> our time with 14 also like rendered us in a form that will love 12 yes, they're in a similar bracket yeah. um hey you know what's funny that was our third favorite game of the year we both <laughs> cried and we talked about it for an hour i say we take a quick break and then get back to the final two here's a yeah. question do you want to take a quick break and then uh talk about the discord top five and then talk about and top then- do or do you want to do number two and then discord and then number one uh why don't we do i actually like the second idea better why don't we do uh number two discord number one that sounds good to me hell yeah okay cool see you soon bye Hello everyone, it's tomorrow saying the GameSpot guy that goes on about From Software Soul Series and Bloodborne non-stop on Twitter. Um, so 2020 was the year that Bluepoint Games took one of the most inaccessible entries in the Soul Series and remade it, and to stunning effect at that. So naturally, my favourite game of the year was... Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much as surprised as you are. I love Demon Souls, and honestly for that, I really love Hades, and Persona 5 Royal, and Yakuza Like a Dragon, and a bunch of other games, but Final Fantasy VII Remake reminded me of why I love video games. It's this game that's unabashedly a video game. It's got combat that is loose and almost mashy at times, but it's still satisfying and strategic and full of depth. And it's got these characters that are hokey and overly dramatic and at times caricatures, but they're also charming and sweet and uplifting and motivating. So it's really easy to fall in love with them. Um, The story is rather boldly, you know, takes the idea of fighting fate, pushing back against the tide of expectation and saying no to what people say you should do as a central theme. I honestly didn't think it was possible to have a good Final Fantasy VII remake. 
So I think what most surprised me was playing Final Fantasy VII Remake reminded me of the feeling I got when I first played a Final Fantasy game. It was nine was my first one and I adored it. And then it was eight and I loved it. And this captured that feeling of going on an epic journey with a crew of characters that feel like my friends and having beneath it all, a story that had something meaningful to say. All these years later and all these entries in the franchise later, I never thought anything could spark that flame of passion that I had for Final Fantasy when I first discovered it. You know, when you feel like this is what my life is about, this franchise is everything to me. But Final Fantasy VII did that. It reminded me of why I love video games and that franchise. And that is like something invaluable from a video game. So I think that's why it's my game of the year. But also Demon's Souls is pretty damn good. Love you all. Have a very, very Merry Christmas. I want to kick off this sort of part two end of Goaty episode quadrant with just another big thanks to AJ for joining us here and for all yeah. your hard work. Um, thanks. Especially this year, we've just thrown at you unceremoniously like like the Trunchbull punishing children. Just like eight hour <laughs> raw, just Brendan and I burping for like a year. And you're like, I have to make sense of this. <laughs> so thank you for all you do. You're incredibly yeah. gifted and patient. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, it's always, a, it, this show is a, a true source of joy. You guys always say it's a source of joy to record and stuff, but it is a real, a real uh, delight to, to edit and, and be a part of the production process. Bless your heart, man. Bless your heart. <laughs> you're the you're the Samwise. We're both uh, <laughs> bad wizards, and you're Sam. That's the LT LOTR <laughs> casting. <laughs> now wait, then who's who's the no one with the ring? Fro- no one's. Uh, the only innocents are the audience. We're both villains, and you're good. That's how I see it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Got it. Uh, speaking. And then Dom is Zant. <laughs> Zant, <laughs> yeah. I may or may not have already revealed that in this episode. <laughs> Um, anyway, we are in a very exciting zone of the list. We are at the runner-up for Game of the Year, the number two spot. Um, as you can see, based on what we've chosen here, like we talked about our third favorite game of 2020 for roughly an episode length and cried. And uh, it's we're in, we're in a very special territory of game right now. We always yeah, have been. But I think this was uh, the these two games, I think, are alongside many others we've already pointed out will be kind of historic landmarks for the medium itself. And the runner up for game of the year for, I think, both of us is you want to say at the same time, or maybe it's uh, different. Yeah, that's that's my that's my that's, that's where my hesitation lies is like, what if I'm wrong? I don't think I am. I think okay. this is the, I think this is similar to last year when you thought that Fire Emblem wasn't my game of the year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, OK, I'll just say it then. Number two is Animal Crossing New Horizons. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mine too. OK, good. Thank God. Oh, oof. yeah. So Big exhale. Animal Crossing is is another game where if you think of 2020, you cannot separate it from the year from this game. Yeah. I stand by the claim that I think this would have been a big hit regardless of the pandemic. Completely but I do agree. think that it was kind of magnified by the fact that this game came out when a lot of people really needed a sense of of like routine and comfort. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this game, we talked about a lot. We talked about this game a lot. I think most of our season is Animal Crossing. Uh, we have like <laughs> multiple episodes about the game, and then we have a recurring segment called Living a Little, where we just talk about what's going on. It's the um, only time we've ever made a segment that on yeah. our show is for Living yeah. a Little, you know? Um, Animal Crossing is a series that means a lot, I think, to all of us, especially to you, Brendan. And this was sort of like going into 2020, we knew that FF7 was going to be a big deal for me. Animal Crossing was going to be a big deal for you. Uh, I don't think we knew that it was going to land. Both were going to land as strongly for both of us, which is kind of beautiful. I think that past Animal Crossings are also incredible games. I think now enough time has passed that I could say New Leaf might have a few things it's doing that is unique to itself. Um, mostly the, the big thing that New Leaf has going for it, I think, is that the dialogue with the villagers seems a little bit more plentiful. I haven't played enough of it recently to really know that. And it could also be that I've just played so much of New Horizons that it seems to be that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all that to say, what I'm setting up for is that I think New Horizons is the best Animal Crossing game specifically the first 50 hours of it. And that's what I based my placement of it on. I think that this game's beginning, the the gradual pacing of getting a tent and getting a couple villagers, slowly getting a store and other things of the island, not even having access to your whole island right away, really makes the kind of critical path of this game feel really magical and feel really... Uh, more, um, I guess, video gamey than the series has ever felt, but in a positive way. It feels like the game finally has like sort of a main plot to experience, even though it's so beholden to what's happening on your island. And that's all really magical. And I think this game might fall on wildly different placements for certain people. I think because it was such a, like short of Pokemon Go four years ago, it was like that level of a phenomena in the spring. And then I think a lot of people maybe fell off and, and are maybe like confused as to where this lands for them because it might have been a really big part of their life earlier this year and maybe not as much later. But I think what's beautiful about New Horizons is that the game kind of knows it's going to happen. It knows that you're going to maybe take a break from it. And when you come back, past Animal Crossing games would punish you. People will, would have unceremoniously moved away. There would be weeds everywhere, cockroaches in your house, and everyone's like, where the fuck have you been, asshole? This game... <laughs> kind of welcomes you taking a break whenever you come back everyone's happy to see you there will be weeds but weeds are weirdly beautiful no matter what the season is it's now winter so finally and winter weeds are incredible they're great i love winter i planted weeds weeds on purpose in my town Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that letting you kind of step away from the game without feeling a sense of guilt you always will feel guilt with these games because you want to you know you're so emotionally invested in the setting and the characters but like mechanically the game does not punish you for not playing it and if anything i think that this game could be more stressful if you try to min max it right away you know i think a lot like I don't want to judge anyone for playing it any way they want to, but I think that there was this tendency early on when the game was kind of everywhere to get as fast as possible. And the game does want you to take your time. And I think I'm at a really nice place with it now where I've kind of done everything I want to. Every now and then inspiration will strike and I'll pick up a new project, but it just becomes something that's really positive for my morning ritual. I'll play this game for like 15 minutes, just kind of run around my island, have some coffee, 
listen to the music and leave. And I think that I'm at a place where I can enjoy the benefits of the hard work I put into making my island what I want it to be. Uh, the possibilities in this kind of game are endless in that you can always give yourself new projects. You can always, you know, find new tasks to complete. But the game also shines when you just exist in the place you've made. And it's easy to forget that part of it, but I think that's where it shines. And that's why it's it's my runner up. It's a game that I don't think I could have gotten through this year without. It's a game that has really united me with a lot of friends. I still do a lot of virtual calls where we'll all hop to each other's island and just like talk. And it really does feel like the closest thing to being in a community outside with people you love uh, in a in a year that has kind of denied you of that. So that's my piece on Animal Crossing. Incredible game and uh, saved most of us this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so excited to reveal to everybody that I am an angel who has been sent to Earth to get Stephen <laughs> to say that exact thing about Animal Crossing. And now I can return to the realm from which I came. Welcome to End of the Aether. It's just me now. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm AJ the Mortal. I didn't realize my two hosts were angels. And let, let me tell you a little bit about uh, every single villager and uh, which yes. of the Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> Bardo's really fire. Yeah. He can burn. He has and will burn um, the entire island. For ashes. real though, for, for real though th- this is the exact inverse of my experience with Final Fantasy 7 Remake in that this is the game that I have been screaming to people for my like literally like almost my whole life. Like Animal Crossing is the tentpole most important most incredible franchise that nintendo has that people are sleeping on and people need to Mm. experience i've ever since like wild world on the ds and then going back and experience like buying a gamecube for myself secondhand so i could play the original um and then going forward into city folk and new leaf and just playing like thousands of hours of this franchise this is the game that i've wanted more and more and more people to understand what what is so wonderful about and and Stardew Valley got close. Stardew Valley was like, oh my God, finally people are kind of understanding why I've been playing Animal Crossing for so long. But there was never going to be a moment like this when Animal Crossing itself is the thing that becomes culture, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I, I think New Horizons very much did when it came out. There are people I know who like don't play a lot of video games who played hundreds of hours of Animal Crossing New Horizons. There are people I know who like during the pandemic, like literally actually made like risky decisions, you know, like weighed the risk benefit of going outside of their house during the pandemic and went and found Nintendo Switches specifically so they could play Animal Crossing because they knew it would make their lives better. Mm-hmm. For the first time, I was able to share this thing that I, I love so, so much and have loved for so long with so many people. And through the most unfortunate of circumstances, you know, just the the most harrowing, horrible thing that could be happening to humanity as a whole. This is this is like, you know, like put a pin in it. The the one of the more horrible things that has happened to the entire human race simultaneously on this planet. Animal Crossing was weirdly a bright light amongst all of that. Uh, and I always knew it could be that because it has always been that for me as a person who has dealt with a lot of mental health issues and, and depression and, and feeling like I can't go outside and, and do things and interact with people and Animal Crossing has like weirdly been there for me and I could hang out with villagers even if it wasn't me hanging out with real people and and New Horizons on the Switch and Nintendo finally understanding the internet even a little bit allowed it to become <laughs> the thing for everyone that it always has been for me and and I I just can't 
thank as much as like fuck Nintendo in a lot of instances, but I can't (laughs) thank them enough for what they managed to pull off with this game. I mean, like you just said, it is the best Animal Crossing, like easily. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from a person who has played, again, hundreds of hours of all of them. Um, This is the best one, even missing some of the content that I really wish was in here. Brewster, for example, I'm just so excited for that fucking cafe to get added. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) Is it going to be? I don't know. But eventually it might oh, okay. be. And we'll when see. that happens, yeah. I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. And this is going to be number two on my 2021 list also. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight you until that's allowed. Uh, Brewster's Cafe is game of the year 2021. Yeah. I like For real, I think that will be the case. The fact that they foresaw the idea of Animal Crossing in an internet age and withheld some things to allow them to roll out and make the island feel more alive and feel like you as the player have more ownership over how it evolves over time is like one of the more brilliant things. We talked about this a little bit on one of our earlier episodes about the show, but it feels to me like the most natural progression from the fir- like level 1-1 of Super Mario Brothers teaching you how jumping works and that jumping on an enemy will kill them and that a question mark block when you hit it will reveal an item sometimes or something that will help you in some way shape or form it teaches you things in the most beautiful ways where you don't even realize you're learning animal crossing new horizons is the perfect evolution of that it is the 2020 version of level 1 1 of super mario brothers in that they're teaching you every aspect of that game in the most nuanced simple ways that allow anyone whether you're a person who's been playing video games your entire life or whether you just got a switch when the pandemic started so you could just play animal crossing you will have a good time you will understand all the systems of this game they will not be daunting they will not be overwhelming you will find yourself at peace and at calm and you will have a good time hanging out with your villagers making your island better getting to the point where you eventually reach the end the quote-unquote end credits which are really just the beginning of every other animal crossing game but the end credits where you are inviting kk slider to your island and he is playing for you and your villagers it is the most beautiful distillation of animal crossing into like you said those first 50 hours and then from that point on it is every other animal crossing game but it is being doled out in a way that almost feels episodic almost feels like they're asking you yeah. to leave and come back later uh, yeah. and, and and i just think that's so fucking special i think that's so incredible this is a game that we're going to play for years and i think nintendo knows that they knew that from the beginning and they know that now that eventually this is going to be a game where they will continue to release new little things that will make it better over and over and over and over again until it is definitively for every person even now there are like doubters and people who hate this game and think that there's not enough content in here eventually everyone will be proven wrong and they will all know that this is the best animal crossing game Um, (laughs) and that fucking owns man yeah i think the the biggest the biggest mistake this game made was doing bunny day at the peak of popularity because that was like such a swing and a miss and every holiday event since has been actually incredible like even the next one was earth day which is like a really clever like maze puzzle game that like utilized the mechanics and kind of inspired creativity like oh you can make this in your own island because now you can make hedges and all that kind of stuff and and the sloth uh, I forgot his name but the sloth who sells you that garden equipment um, showed up as a possible guest Uh, the summer fireworks probably still my favorite event which is so heartwarming you know and and i think um kind of gave me like i i think i I had a bunch of friends over on my island during that event and it felt like a day of summer we actually would have wanted to have but it was still (laughs) yeah as special uh halloween was so fun 
you know, Jack, creepy-ass ghost, great uh, trick-or-treat mechanic. And I really, honestly, the Thanksgiving event was really fun. The scavenger hunt to get the ingredients for the feast. Yeah. Probably, like, the best middle ground between, like, a very mechanic-heavy maze and, like, the more aesthetic fireworks. And I, I imagine that Toy Day, which is, like, they're very clear Christmas parallel will be a lot of fun. Although what's so funny is they call it toy day, but they also just straight up say Santa is coming. And it's like, (laughs) I don't know, Santa was in Animal Crossing lore. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's this game, like you said, we'll be playing it for years. It has become the like Smash Brothers ultimate Mario Kart game where we're always going to have like, what if we play this tonight? You know, like Mm. what if we just all revisited our islands or you know, what if like I just decide today I'm just going to rebuild something. Their commitment to it, I think, proves that it, if it isn't the Splatoon team, they are very inspired by the Splatoon team in terms of how often they're adding to this game. And yeah, it's just it's just incredible. It's really it, I think it's easy, weirdly to write off because of how big it got. And then like all fads, like maybe a lot of people moved on, but the mm-hmm. people that would have gotten this game independent of the current scenario are still around, I think, and still love it. And yeah. I think I'm so happy that a lot of new people who maybe like were on the fence of getting or maybe haven't played a lot of video games, check this out and like loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's such a unique series. Yeah. yeah. I know I have at least 10, maybe a dozen friends and, and people I know who <laughs> one of them who hasn't gotten a new system since the original Xbox where he just played a lot of Halo uh, bought a switch solely to play Animal Crossing with oh my god I, I don't even think at the time I think he got it like immediately when it came out but then you know gradually it became to play with everybody else but it's just it's like you said Brennan it's, it was just such a cultural touchstone and it is a thing that I think everybody knows about uh, you know it's it's like a Fortnite where kind of everybody knows the name of Fortnite uh, mm-hmm. but it is it is Animal Crossing yeah this is the first game that my dad has purchased for himself I think right. maybe ever uh, he, he only plays Zelda games. That's like his thing is like he when when <laughs> he and I went and waited online for the Nintendo Wii to come out at midnight, you know, the, the night that that came out, we both played Twilight Princess simultaneously. We each had, oh, we each had a save file and, and he he has played every Zelda game that's come out since then. This is the first non Zelda game that he has bought for himself and played um, <laughs> and like that that is that is the the level of culture that animal crossing has like weaseled its way into in a way you know like that it has reached like my dad's level who like clicks on the articles at the bottom of articles that are like only for boomers <laughs> to click on and, and like he has found this game and, and and downloaded it and played it for himself i think that's so fucking special man i yeah. think it's incredible yeah. i'm so glad to hear from people who like have never played an animal crossing game before and so get it so fully mm-hmm. understand what i've been experiencing since i was in like early high school maybe even like late yeah. middle school i don't even remember what year wild world came out but it, it just it just like really brightens my heart i had somebody ask me i don't remember who it was but somebody asked me it was just like how do you feel about the fact that so many people are piling onto this thing that you've been like trying to champion for so long and it just feels fucking great that's what it feels like i'm not gonna yeah. gatekeep animal crossing from anyone are you kidding me i want everyone to experience this if you haven't played animal crossing go fucking get that game man it's gonna it's gonna actually make your life better in real ways yeah Yeah. Yeah. i i totally agree it it um especially you know yeah it's just an incredible time i was gonna make a joke like oh i knew about it in 2003 (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine uh i do want to mention really quick i think just like a brilliant thing that i've been thinking about a lot recently as i've been revisiting it um that that we haven't mentioned any of the other episodes but one of the things that a lot of people specifically me were really kind of like 
iffy about before this game came out and I think have completely 180 on is this idea of like gathering resources and crafting, which is a thing that was mm-hmm. very big in Pocket Camp, which is the, the mobile version of this game. Or sorry, the mobile iteration of Animal Crossing, not a mobile version of New Horizons at all. But anyway, <laughs> um, that that has made its way over into New Horizons uh, and, and it requires you to go out and like gather resources. You have to chop down trees to get wood to be able to build things. You have to uh, get iron uh, to be able to like upgrade your, I don't know, your shovel into an iron shovel and things like that and you have to craft things constantly um, and be going and gathering these resources to be able to build things uh, which you know allows you to make cool furniture here and there they'll give you new recipes depending on what time of year it is and what the season is and you know what the current event is and, and that'll allow you to uh, craft certain things like oh you have to get like eight different kinds of seashells to craft the seashell bench or whatever but what I really think it did the thing that I think is really brilliant is that it allows you as a member of the Animal Crossing community or as a member of whatever community you're a part of that is playing Animal Crossing to help each other in a way that has never been possible in Animal Crossing. Because in the past, yeah. it was all about just like, oh, yeah, I could give you a million dollars here. You know, I could I could go <laughs> I could come to your island and drop off a bag of a million bills and then you're going to be good to go for a while. But there's something really special about knowing that somebody is at the point in their Animal Crossing journey where they need 30 iron to be able to get the shop to up to to get the shop for the first time. And you can go over to their island and be like, I'm going to give you 15 iron right now. And they're like, holy shit, I can only get four iron a day right now. And it's going to take me a full ass week to get this shop. But you're going to come drop off 15 iron right now and expedite that process for me. That's an incredible thing that you're able to do Mm -hmm. for other people that you've never been able to do before in Animal Crossing. It feels tangible and real uh, and 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 introduces this idea of community that was never really possible in previous Animal Crossing games. They have they have doubled down on the idea that you're supposed to play this with your friends. And I think there is no place, at least in my own life, that that, that that was more that that was more on display than for my birthday this year, which I didn't get to celebrate with. You know, nobody got to celebrate their birthdays with other people this year. Nobody got to celebrate their birthdays yeah. the way that they wanted Unless to. Unless you're an Aquarius or Capricorn. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I got to celebrate my birthday in Animal Crossing with my friends. And, and there's like literally no better way I could have spent May 26th, you know, than like walking in my own island and finding that all of my friends were hiding behind trees and popped out and surprised me. <laughs> um, Surprise. That, that fucked me up emotionally for like months <laughs> after that. And I, so I, I just I don't know. This is this is. Yeah, it's great. Um, mm-hmm. But it's only second grade. <laughs> what could be even better than that? What? Sorry, I got to say. I just want to say, like, I'm I'm so happy you had that experience with this franchise that means so much to you. It really is like a mirror of Final Fantasy for me, and I'm glad yeah. we both had that with each other. Uh, okay, I think before we announce the game of the year for 2020, I wonder what it's going to be. Gonna... <laughs> Kingdom Hearts Remind. Uh, no, um, we're gonna uh, read the Discord results. We did a yeah. poll for the top five games of the Discord. Uh, AJ is going to deliver the 2020 results just for fun mm-hmm. because we were looking back at the start of the episode. I'm also going to read what the top five for 2019 were from the Discord poll. Uh, worth noting, last year we got like around 30 votes, and this year we got close to 60. So thank you for the increased participation hmm. in the uh, democratic process of Godi. Uh, well done. Cool. So I'm going to read the results for 2019. So the 2019 game of the year in the Discord was Fire Emblem Three Houses, just Whoa. like us, by like a long shot. It was, and uh, yeah. Uh, number two <laughs> was Sekiro, 
also with us. Oh, wow. Yeah. Number three was Untitled Goose Game, uh, which was different. Yeah. Um, four was Control, and five was Death Stranding. So an interesting wow. top five there. Uh, three Houses, Sekiro, Untitled Goose Game, Control, and Death Stranding. That is interesting. And uh, so that five. was last year. AJ, what do we got this year, starting <laughs> from five and going up to the game of the year? Thanks, Steven. This year, uh, this year... <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. Why aren't you on the show more? This we, amazing. This year we've got look, I can. Um we've got uh, at number 5, we have 13 Sentinels Aegis 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 Rim. No fucking way. Did that make yeah. the top 5? Yeah. Uh, in fourth place there's The Last of Us Part 2. Whoa. Third place Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Second place Animal Crossing New Horizons. Oh and first God. place the Discord Game of the Year, Hades. Oh my God. From Supergiant Games. I will add to that that, like, the first two games got a shit ton of votes. <laughs> like, yeah. Basically, everyone voted for Hades uh, in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the below two was like very close. As, as you can see, AJ, there were like mm-hmm. other things that were like maybe a vote or two away from being on there. Right. Well, yeah. But Hades, Hades and Animal Crossing New Horizons ran away with it. Yeah. You can actually read the total for those just sure. for fun, honestly, because it's like, so again, like I think 54 people voted. So read yeah. the stats. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons has 38 votes. Hades has 42 votes. Uh, and then just for comparison, Last of Us and 13 Sentinels have seven votes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I also did a point system where first place got you five, second got you four, yeah. third three. Um, Ranked choice. How many voting. points did Hades? Yeah. How, actually, if you want to read now, you can read the point totals. Sure. Uh, so the point totals from from uh, bottom up, I guess. 13 Sentinels had 23 points. Last of Us 2, 27 points. Uh, Final Fantasy 7, 45 points. Animal Crossing, 126 points. Hades. 189 points. Oh my god. (laughs) So... So Discord really yeah. loved Hades, but uh, I mean, you guys didn't even put it on your list, so. <laughs> <laughs> or did we? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Wait, shout out to the shout out to the Discord for putting 13 Sentinels on the list. I fucking yeah, love that. Hell, hell yeah, yeah. man. Stephen, Brendan, AJ, and all of you Aetherites out there. Um, it's me, Sadie Lancrete. Um, very honored to be invited to share what my game of the year is. And I have done so many takes of this because it's really hard <laughs> to talk about this year without sounding so depressing. But the game of the year that I've chosen is what got me through a lot of this, and it is Animal Crossing New Horizons. This game has everything that the year did not have. It had ways that I could see my friends, places I could go that were outside of my apartment. I was able to decorate. I was able to go to a store. I was able to have people over and show off how I've decorated. And I really needed that. I think a lot of us felt very stuck. And to, you know, have a little world that was peaceful, was a positive place to be, was a place you could share with others. Also just feel like you have a semblance of control over your life. That was huge. At the time of recording this, I have played, so far, 785 hours of Animal Crossing New Horizons. That is the most time I've ever spent on a single video game. And because I'm relatively new to the gaming world, it might actually be more total hours than I've played 
any games, all games combined, which is crazy because the gameplay of this is so mundane, but in a way that is so healing and positive. And it, it lasted exactly as long as I needed it to. I think after playing 785 hours of any game, you run out of things to do. Like my island is a complete paradise now. I have everything I could wish for. I'm ready to move on. And I think that's what makes Animal Crossing New Horizons my game of the year is because I, and I know I'm not alone in this, I wanna leave this year behind. I'm not gonna play 785 hours of a single game next year because hopefully at some point we will be able to safely do those things that I loved so much in Animal Crossing New Horizons in real life, as in, I'm gonna find my friends and hit them with a net. I'm gonna catch a bug and I'm gonna show it off when I go to people's houses. I'm going to live the dream. So thank you, Nintendo, for what you did for me this year. May we never have to do this again. Thank you so much. My runner-up games were Ludo and Fire Emblem Three Houses, even though it didn't come out this year. Okay, I love you guys, bye. <laughs>I guess before we do our game of the year, do you want to do honorable mentions, Brendan? Or do you want to save that for the very end? I would love to do honorable mentions. I mean, like I said, I, I yeah. do a top 20 every year. So, like, I have a bunch yeah. of games on this list. We've mentioned a lot of them already. But um, do you want to talk about yours first real quick? Sure. Uh, a big one, a big, big honorable mention that was, like, actually at 11 was Eichenfell. Um, oh, yeah, Eichenfell man. was a really beautiful RPG from this year that has a lot of really great stuff going on in it. Um, it's really beautiful as a game. It's got an incredible soundtrack from the people who composed Steven Universe. Mm. Um, incredible cast, great writing, and a really cool battle system that like utilizes a lot of systems I wanted to see at play. Kind of like Yakuza, as you get further into that game, you do bump up against some stuff that is like kind of synonymous with like a lot of retro RPGs where like yeah. it feels like you kind of have to grind at some point. There was a moment I had to call you and walk you through one of like the more like bummer moments of mechanic yeah. like gatekeepy kind of shit. There are some puzzles that are just like not intuitive and like you'll be pissed off when you find out the solution. Yeah. <laughs> All that aside, like even with that stuff, it's still an incredible game that I would highly recommend. It's just that that stuff, unfortunately for me, was big enough to like edge it slightly off the list, even yeah. though I absolutely adored my time with it. Yeah. Another uh, two other really big ones. Or uh, yeah, two other really big uh, uh, honorable mentions were Tony Hawk Pro Skater One Plus Two, which we talked about a lot. Just the constant source of joy. Yes. Another really big one for me was Spider Man Miles Morales, which like just as good as the first game, and that's I guess kind of why it's lower is because like it really is like the same vibe as the first game, but the the addition of Miles as the hero is incredible. His story is really well done. I liked that it didn't overstay its welcome, and I loved seeing New York in the winter time so like yeah easily uh definitely one of my favorite games of this year but just like came a little short from the top 10 very quickly uh i'm an employee of marvel entertainment everything i say <laughs> and do uh, is not representative <laughs> of my employer i love that marvel that uh that, that miles morales was shorter i loved yeah. that it was like yeah. um just this like perfect kind of like uh bite-sized 
exploration of the Spider-Man mythos through another character. It does all the things that I love about Into the Spider-Verse, for example. And and I think like very much like Uncharted The Lost Legacy benefits from being a quicker experience. Uh, that, yeah. that storytelling is so fucking tight, man. Uh, I, I just like binged the entire story before doing anything else because I was so interested in what was happening from a narrative perspective. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and it benefited from being like eight to ten hours total um it, yeah. it, it just it just felt so tightly constructed and and so well paced uh that that by binging it like i did over the course of like two sessions i had an incredible time yeah Ugh, yeah so good Th- those are the three games that i really wanted on my list that i that i unfortunately couldn't make room for and then the last honorable mention was last of us part two which we've already talked about um but those were like the four games that i that really stood out to me this year that i couldn't make a space for for whatever reason yeah how about you yeah let me uh let me open up the old list uh so I'll, I'll just do 11 through 20 real quick or i guess 20 through 11 how about that that'll be more interesting so uh num- number 20 was game of thrones a tale of crows which i talked about oh yeah on one of yeah. our episodes um i think it's one of the more interesting takes on an idle game it's by the developers behind space plan and uh published by devolver digital just it's on apple arcade it's worth mentioning so like that's kind of the only way you can play it right now which bums me out just from like a kind of gatekeeping perspective but uh is a really great experience and and i think just a really interesting exploration of how you can how you can uh tell a story via an idle game you know just getting push notifications every once in a while to remind you like check in with your dudes hanging up on the wall because things are going to shit up there was really cool uh number 19 clubhouse games 51 worldwide classics uh, of course, a, a classic. A game I was actually really trying to make time for on my top 10. I really, I was hoping that that would make the top 10 and then at the end of the day just like absolutely did not. But that is a game kind of like you've been talking about with like, this is the game that I'll put on and like talk to my friends while I play. Um, this is the game that I have been putting on and talking to my friends while I oh, play. Oh yeah. Um, I played a shit ton of Last Card this year yeah, with, man. with uh, my friends Sadie and Eric. You know who you are. Uh, yeah, we played a lot of Ludo, which I, I know in our ranking of it, Ludo was shit tier. Ludo's much better when it's not single player. I was just about to say that that's a, uh, it. It's shit tier because you're not playing it with other people. <laughs> yeah, but Ludo and Last Card. I, I that's a game that I. It's definitely worth getting. It's a lot of fun to have. Yeah, uh, I would. For, I would honestly argue that Clubhouse like that. games is like a must-have if you have a Switch. I think it's like one of the better Switch games. Um, and I think so. Yeah, I bought it for my dad. He's been playing a lot of it too. Uh, <laughs> that's fun. You know, alongside awesome. Animal Crossing. Anyway, uh, number eighteen was Fall Guys Ultimate mm, Knockout. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. we played a shitload of that game together. That, that is a great game um, and continues to deliver. Totally. Um, number 17, Spiritfarer. Yeah, that's another one I really love. That, that's another game that I kind of um, like got a little bit frustrated with as I went further in. But like just stunning and such a great exploration of of like death and moving on in a beautiful way. Yeah, um, I loved Spiritfarer. Um, I just like that. that's. We talk about this a lot on this show um, and off the show. We talk about this in Discord a lot because people ask us every once in a while. But that's one of those games that I put down because I felt like I was done with it. You know, not because the story yeah, was done, yeah. but because I was like, I have had the experience that I want to have with this game and now I need to move on to something else, which weirdly enough is what Spirit Fair is about in general anyway. So yeah. I don't know. They're just a great game. Uh, number 16. Good Sudoku. Hmm. Oh, Zach Gage yeah. managed to take a thing that I uh, really disliked. I have never really enjoyed playing Sudoku. Um, I have been in the vicinity of people who like playing it uh, and and found it to be like just like a bummer 
uh, to just sit there and stare <laughs> at things and be like really frustrated by the inability to to parse what what I what I was seeing. And Zach Gage taught me how to play Sudoku and love it in a way that I never have before. Um, I ate up good Sudoku. It was a great time, um, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, number fifteen. I can fell everything you just said and, and then some. Yeah. Uh, 14, Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, the only uh, note that I'll add to that is that it is uh, it, it has the best ending maybe of any game I played this year. A really great finale for sure. Yeah. yeah. Just ridiculous. Even you can see a lot of the twists in that game coming from a mile away and they still pay off and are as good as they want them to be. Um, it, it is like a narrative feat to be able to pull off what they pulled off in that game. Number 13, Demon Souls for the PS5. Uh, one of the only next generation games I have on here, which is wild. We haven't even mentioned at all that in 2020, the Xbox Series S and X and the PlayStation 5 were released. <laughs> um, but uh, Demon Souls is, to me, the showcase of what next generation is capable of. It's an incredible game. I played a little bit of the original Demon Souls on PS3 way back in the day, kind of bounced off of it, ended up playing more Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2 instead. Demon Souls taught me why that game was interesting and good and had a cult following great shit number 12 spelunky 2 a game that i am fully aware i'm gonna regret having this low on the list later number 11 persona 5 royal and that's my list of honorable mentions oh uh, yeah those are all great picks and i think i'll also add that like if we've brought a game to the show we like endorse it fully you yeah, know yeah. like uh, you know, to varying degrees, but I think like when we bring a game to the show, we love it. And it's basically impossible to do this. You know, if you gave us infinite <laughs> amount of time, we would have different lists every time. Yeah. You know, so uh, just, you know, want to clarify how subjective all this is. But that leads us to our favorite game of the year. <laughs> Goaty 2020 is, of course, Hades. I... <laughs> This is the I just I'll just say like right right up top. This is one of those games where like if you didn't make this the game of the year, if you're like a publication that didn't make this game of the year, I'm like, what what the fuck you doing, man? It's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I like like, it it is so infrequently will I be that shithead. But in this case, I am so that shithead because this 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 is is a game for everyone. It is so this is like when Parasite rightfully won the Oscar because it was like easily one of the best movies ever. Oh, my God. Yeah. This decade. (laughs) Hades is that within the first 10 minutes, you will have butterflies in your stomach the way I did and just like immediately feel how special this game is. And it never stops getting better. I've never experienced a piece of media that is just committed to getting better. It literally like is like I always describe in animation. There's always a scene in an animated movie or at least in in a lot of the ones that I greatly value where it feels like a guitar solo of animation. Um, (laughs) An example would be like the train scene in Spirit Away is like the Mm -hmm. guitar solo of that movie. Your name, another another wonderful anime film is when there's like the the ribbon and the umbilical cord and he's like kind of traveling through time and it's like crazy. Yeah. Like that's just like a showcase of of ambition. This whole game is a guitar solo. (laughs) Like it never stops just showing you the raw talent that's on display. It really does. I mean we talked about this a lot. Um I think more like Rogue Gloves is our like definitive episode (laughs) on it. Um, yeah, I didn't remember. I take value in what we make. Uh, excuse me. It, it just like is everything I want and look for a game to do, which I've said before, but it commits to that so strongly. I think the biggest thing about this game is that it does feel like a new blueprint. We talked about a lot of games that are like 
a continuation of an idea or like a best of what came before it. This is in many ways taking a lot of stuff from past roguelikes, but it's also, you mentioned, Brendan, that 13 Sentinels was like what Vanillaware like has always wanted to do, like the perfection of a Vanillaware game. As someone who has followed uh, Supergiant since Bastion, this feels like what they've always wanted to make. Yeah. It feels like they've always been interested in this idea of dynamic storytelling where what you're doing is what the story is in the moment. They had that with the narration in Bastion to, to varying degrees in Transistor with, with that narrator who's like talking directly to the protagonist in the moment and not like as if it's a story. And Empire, where you had almost more of like a Dragon Age like ensemble of characters where like you had a little bit more agency into like your interaction with them. They took what worked in all those games and made a rogue like around that idea where no matter what's happening, you are constantly progressing the game. And the game also meets you where you're at. I think like I, I at first felt hesitant to recommend this game to everyone because it is a little bit difficult in the beginning, but you will magically get better, not in a Dark Souls way where you have to dedicate yourself to it, but in a way where like you will learn more about the game as you play. You will get better because you <laughs> unlock more stuff and you're going to see more of the characters, more of the plot. Like The game is constantly written around what could possibly happen even to the point where you've rolled credits and and if you want to keep playing just to see how these relationships develop once the game is basically over you can flip a few levers without spoiling anything and and change how the game works mechanically how it works narratively and and the whole time it is such a really fresh take on greek mythology which is hard to pull off because it's like how many stories literally in greek mythology have been told about these characters it was why to set it in Hades and with a lot of the Chthonic gods because actually not a lot has been written about them even in mythology so they it, it feels simultaneously loyal you know with characters like Hades and, and Zeus and Poseidon all kind of feeling like you expect them to be and then there's some really creative liberties like the Minotaur and Theseus having like a toxic friendship Ugh. together it's like so fun Ugh. The game's tone is constantly inviting. It's like very funny and silly, but not afraid to have really genuinely heartbreaking and heartwarming moments and ends up being like one of the brightest spots of this year. Like this game will make you happy. It will make you laugh and you will love the cast. Every character is so well written and it's so fun to learn more about for various reasons. Like there's really nothing more I can say that hasn't been said about this game. Mm -hmm. It truly is like a game that knows how to take advantage of the medium to tell a story, does it well. It's fun to play. It's fun to experience. And it never stops being amazing. I don't know how they pulled it off, but they sure did. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a lot of influence from this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Hades-like becomes a term with, oh. <laughs> like, the idea of roguelikes incorporating narrative more heavily. It is a blueprint for excellence and yeah. is easily, like, this is all subjective, but as we said before, Hades is the best game of the year. It's, like, truly the best game of the year. And I think when I look at the past three seasons, and if I could, it, all we do on this show is recommend games. If I could only recommend three games and they were Celeste and Hollow Knight, Three Houses, and Hades. That kind of sums up what we're looking for, I think, and sums up what we celebrate. You know, that, that there's so much around that, too. I don't want to downplay the rest of the games we've highlighted today, but Hades is really something special that I think is, is really a bold step for the medium itself. Man. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. I'm an angel that wants you to go to hell and have fun. I, um, oh, man. I don't even know what to say. I th- Look, I just said everything that I said about, like, playing Animal Crossing forever and loving that franchise and wanting more people to experience it and whatever. I always knew that that was possible and that that could happen eventually. And like Nintendo just needed to like do some like pretty incredible PR and and marketing magic to make that happen. But like it was always possible. What I never thought was possible was that suddenly everyone I knew was going to get into roguelikes. Like that was like (laughs) the last thing I thought was a possibility. But again, just like I said with Animal Crossing, where suddenly people I knew who were weren't playing video games were buying switches to play animal crossing people i knew who didn't play video games a whole lot were picking up hades and getting into it in ways that i absolutely was not expecting this is and and i'll I'll say this much um and and again to shout out our our friend from uh polygon chris plant he and i mentioned on on our uh bonus episode that we did about Splunky, just this idea that like the next evolution of roguelikes is incorporating narrative and asking questions about what it means to die repeatedly. It's so funny that like immediately Hades answered that uh, and, mm-hmm. and became exactly what like I had always dreamed of uh, in, in a roguelike because I love I love roguelikes and I have for so long ever since I graduated from high school and I was playing uh, The Binding of Isaac just constantly and like getting really into listening to podcasts and would just like poke at the edges of what was possible in, in the roguelike genre in general uh, while like listening to to uh, podcasts. I, I, I felt like there was something else that was possible here and I didn't quite know what it was and then eventually I landed on this idea that like there's some really interesting like narrative thread to be pulled on with this idea of dying and 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 uh coming back to life and like needing to face the same obstacles over and over again and perseverance and and what that means as like a person to to face adversity face the same adversity over and over and over again until you understand it to the point of it being like the back of your hand and making it past and like Hades just does all of that like almost effortlessly mm-hmm. and I know it's not effortless you know I know I know that it's you know a game that was uh developed over the course of many years and was developed in public in early access like in in front of the eyes of many people who like thankfully decided to take a chance on it early on and play it and give feedback and things like that but where we're at in the in the 1.0 release of this game is like almost perfection i mean there there is like real i am yeah. hard pressed to think of a single thing i don't like about this game even right now as i'm trying to just like stall for time i can't think of anything <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and and that that is a testament to just how incredible and seminal and like kind of earth shattering this is as a video game it it is it is so beyond what i expected it being we've had people recommending hades to us forever i always knew that i was gonna like it probably because i tend to like but then bounce off of super giant games generally because of what they're bringing to the table mechanically uh but not narratively or artistically or sonically and the idea of them taking on the roguelike genre was just exactly what i wanted um for them to not only like succeed but then knock it out of the park beyond my wildest dreams is like it it's what I I do this podcast for it's what I play video games for you know it's like it's the reason for the season baby you know like it's, yeah it's, I, I agree yeah. I mean as someone who has been a big fan of Supergiant for a long time it, it feels like watch like they've always been a pretty big deal like hey, uh, Bastion was like a very big success mm-hmm. and and since then they've like had a following yeah but this feels like a friend's band finally like getting signed or like, yeah you know it it all it feels more like yeah. listening to a band and they like really finally crystallize what they've always kind of been lingering on right because again like 
what Hades does well, other super giant games have done well with already. Yeah. But it's finally all in one place and is polished to perfection. Like, I think Bastion is probably the closest game resembling Hades, but you don't... And, and they've always been interested in this kind of, like, story that unfolds, and, and that is, like, shifting to your actions. And it, it just feels like... And now it feels like, oh, my God, why didn't they always do roguelikes? Because, like, mm-hmm. they've bounced between other genres that haven't glued as successfully to their narrative ambition as this has. And it is so paid off. Yeah. yeah. Brendan, in your list of, of things that Hades does well, you said sonically. And looking at the rest of... Of, of the list and all the games that we've talked about today. I don't think any other game on this list, maybe Tony Hawk, um, <laughs> <laughs> does for for its soundtrack what Hades does uh, and what Darren yeah. Corb does yeah, for it. Like, it is just yeah, man. on a whole other level in so many ways and, and even all the way down to, to the soundtrack. It's just incredible. Incredible all the way I down. think Darren Corb is an angel yeah. that's mission is just to make the best game soundtracks ever. So that's, that's something that like every Supergiant game, their soundtracks are not only great, but they're all incredibly different genres. Yes. Like, uh, Bastion feels like heavy metal early Modest Mouse with like banjo and like weird like instruments and then you've got this sort of like more like electronic soundtrack of of Transistor. Transistor, Pyre feels very kind of like fantasy Mm -hmm. and this is just heavy metal and it's great. It's so and like kind of has that like Mediterranean flair that some of Bastion's songs do as right. well. Right, it has that that like picked string instrument. Yeah. Which yeah. just kind of adds Amazing. to this idea that like this is the culmination of everything they've done as right. a developer and as oh, a studio. Of course. Right. Yeah. And like honestly like I, I, I can't talk about Hades without talking about the fact that like the the development of this game was done in a place of like understanding that the mental and physical well-being of the people making it was important, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, yes. the, it's the exact mm-hmm. antithesis of, of what we saw with Last of part two or cyberpunk 2077 you know they're they're taking the time that they need to make this game um and even though they were doing it in public they were still making sure that like nobody was answering or sending emails on weekends nobody was working on a weekend ever throughout the entire development of this game and guess what it's still the fucking game of the year it doesn't matter yeah. that you you know that 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 uh you you crunched forever that's not the game of the goddamn year. The game of the year is one that was that was made under the pretense that like the well-being of the people making it is more important than the product that comes out at the other end. And yeah. that is And look at Supergiant. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'm sorry to cut you off, but like look at their long-term investment in the talent in Hades. Like right. Robin Cunningham has been a voice actor with them since Bastion. Yes, right. He was the narrator. Uh Darren Korb, who is the voice of Zagreus, did all the soundtracks. Like people seem to stick around there. And like, yeah, we we don't truly know like the whole story but like it seems like you said the antithesis of modern day crunch culture where they really had this dedicated vision they invested in people as people and it paid off in a way that like should set an example for the rest of the industry yes and they made a game that doesn't take 170 hours plus to finish and it's still the game of the year. I mean, I love Persona 5 Royal, so, you know, don't throw too much shade. Well, but, <laughs> I was more talking about the, the 2077 article. Uh, it was, uh, what, I've, I've played the game for 175 hours and still haven't finished the main storyline. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, that's not really what I want out of a game. Yeah, that's not a back-of-the-box bullet point, friend. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, but that said, Hades could be an infinite hour video game if you wanted it to mm-hmm. be. Yeah. yeah. I I rolled credits and then I kind of had to move on for the show, but I will absolutely be playing this game for a very long yeah, time. Yeah, I've been actually just like really like waiting in the wings to return to this game uh, yeah. until after we finish this Goatee episode, honestly. Yeah. Like I, I put the game yeah. down after I rolled credits. You know, I, I streamed it every morning for a couple weeks uh, until I rolled credits and then after that kind of put it down and decided to just like revisit some other games or or, or uh, just kind of like dive deep into some of the other stuff that I thought might make the list but I'm really excited to like work Hades back into my gameplay schedule me too yeah me too yeah it's uh it's the best it, it feels like you're visiting friends each time you play it and also yeah. are just having the time of your life mechanically <laughs> It can yeah. also be like it can be a chill out game where you play to sort of unwind yeah. with it in the background or it can be like one of the most thrilling experiences of your life. Yeah. Like the first time I fought Meg, I think I texted both of you. I was like, that was maybe like we play a lot of games to the show. <laughs> and that first fight with Meg was maybe one of the most thrilling boss fights yeah. in my life. Yeah, it was amazing. It rules. And the stuff that happens later in the game with that Meg fight where you can change how the Meg fight goes you know after playing the game for 25 30 hours it's like yeah oh okay cool great and then you can continue to do that with the rest of the game it's just so much thought and care was put into every part of this game um it's just so obvious and it's so good and talk about like with animal crossing like how they kind of gradually introduce things like this game does a great job pacing itself in that like you know i'll get texts from friends who just picked it up like oh i just beat the bone hydra i'm like oh you're a little congrats baby. you have no idea what awaits you yeah, yeah like, <laughs> I, mean, I mean that in an exciting way where it's like as soon as you think you know what progress you're making in the game like blooms like a flower and has like another dimension added to it i mean yeah. without yeah. spoiling much in the end game there's a variant you can add that like literally changes how the boss fights work so yeah. like uh, something that happens really early on is in the meg fight her sisters show up you know in place of her and they all fight kind of differently one of the things that the variant does is all three of them show up now so now you have to fight all three of the sisters at the same time stuff like that that only kind of builds on itself and of course there's incredible writing and dialogue around each time so like Zagreus often says what you would say as a player without (laughs) feeling like fucking Nathan Drake like he's actually endearing and not (laughs) like you know like oh look at this I I actually like Nathan Drake in Uncharted 4 but I digress Uh, (laughs) he he is a very great hero and like always comments on things in a way that doesn't feel like fucking Deadpool it feels like he's actually in this experience Mm -hmm. Hades is the game really of the year. Game. <laughs> it's the game of the year. It was so it obvious like... from like the very beginning. You know, it was yeah. so obvious from like the first like yeah. hour of this game that there was nothing else that was going to stand toe to toe with this. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, because honestly, before Hades, I was actually not sure what would be number one. I mean, we've been really over the moon about pretty much every game on this list. Like, I don't want to take away from that. Like, I love even the games that didn't make the list. Like, I can feel I was very over the moon about and like you could hear it in the episode we did about it. Yeah. But I I think that it was hard for me to choose one because they were all so different. Like, how do I compare my experience with Animal Crossing to FF7 to Kentucky Route Zero? And then Hades came out and just did like an infinite guitar solo. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's the one. That's the best one. Um, Incredible game. And and I think creates a very promising future. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention really quick. I mean, I've mentioned this in the past in in, uh, other episodes where we talked about Hades, but it is worth mentioning if you haven't like dove into this game if you haven't checked it out because you're maybe a little bit uh anxious about the idea of 
a roguelike or it being too difficult or whatever, there is yeah. a mode in here called God Mode, which at first I thought was literally like the God Mode that you would expect from an old school PS1 like cheat code, <laughs> but is in fact uh, a mode in which every time you die, you get 2% stronger than you were last time, which just means that you're never overpowered really you're just getting slightly more powerful every time so you still need to learn how to play the game but it will get slightly easier than it was the last time if you die again and what that really means is you'll be able to see the entire story and like get on our level of appreciation for what they're doing narratively here um and and for you know all of the uh conversation that we've had over the course of the year about accessibility and just allowing more people to experience what's so great about so many games hades just had that that shit built in from 1.0 mm-hmm. you know and like that is just mm-hmm. like a thing that everybody can go experience and love eventually and it might require like bashing your head against the wall but that's kind of part of it and if you have god mode on it'll be part of it for less time than for everyone else and that's great right yeah and i think too i mean when you die you go back to the hall of hades and you can just check in on everyone they'll have new stuff to say so you're gonna see ironically see even more of the game when you die a lot than yes. if you right. didn't right. so it, it's uh it's the best game of the year yeah and we didn't even really touch on like the the relationship building between all the other characters like we've just yeah, been talking secretly it's, a persona game just yeah. in the midst of all this yeah, yeah. oh god it's so satisfying <laughs> i i got my first ambrosia the other day and it was like it was the best feeling not got my first ambrosia i, I gave my first ambrosia the other day and it was Could you just give it to uh artemis oh hell yeah nice yeah and it Um, was just it was uh, an amazing feeling and it's just so good yeah man i mean i think like that's kind of where i'm at now where i've maxed out my relationship with skelly artemis zeus somehow and uh (laughs) megara they give you cool stuff or Mm -hmm. or a few of them i think megara sisyphus than a, a few of them give you cool items when you max out your relationship but like i'm now just wanting to see everyone's track with that so like yeah. i'm playing the game more into the guys like, i want to finish all unresolved plot lines that are kind of personally here yeah rather than you know eventually i'd love to put you know as much heat on a run as possible but like <laughs> i'm more interested in seeing what those characters are up to and i'll keep it on like heat zero for now you know Me too, which is kind of weird for me as a person who generally does kind of try and go for completionist stuff with roguelikes. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. more interested in the narrative. But like I said, this is the kind of thing I've wanted to see explored in a roguelike for so long that maybe it isn't surprising that I'm more interested in the narrative than the actual gameplay in that instance. Yeah, totally. Yep. Um, Yeah, I mean, like like we have said in the past, uh, I don't know if this has been on the show, but I know it's been off the show. But um, this is the kind of game that comes out and and changes the way you think about an entire genre. You know, like this. This is like almost the nightmare scenario in a lot of instances where like (laughs) I go and play Hades and then I go back and play Rogue Legacy. And I'm like, this is pretty good. But like, I I wish it was more like Hades in a lot of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. It's why I'm so kind of like hesitant about checking out rogue legacy 2 uh which i know is out and in early access right now is because i've played hades and hades has changed my relationship with roguelikes as a genre um and going back and playing things like binding of isaac for example are completely different that is a game that i played a thousand plus hours of and like is maybe one of the most formative games of my entire life and i look back on it thinking that i wish it was more like hades now um (laughs) and that that happens so infrequently there's so few pieces of media that reshape the entire genre that they're a part of but that's what hades managed to do and like when god willing if we record a games of the decade episode in uh (laughs) 2029 this will be on it this will be in our top 10 yeah yeah absolutely this will be a bolded game for sure 
Um, yeah. So in short, dear listener, uh, Hades is the game of the year. Um, <laughs> we appreciate all of you who voted in the Discord. It seems like you are on the same level as we are, which is great. And again, I think like even though I think that Hades is is definitely like a visible leap forward for roguelikes and video games in general all the games we've highlighted on this list and in this season are are worthy of praise and like whatever experience you had this year and whatever your choices that's like equally important and 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 sacred even if um, it's doom eternal even if it's doom eternal which was a fun time we talked about it Hey everybody, it's Chris Plant, Editor-in-Chief of Polygon, co-host of The Besties, a video game book club podcast, and author of Post Game, a weekly newsletter rounding up the best writing in video games. I spend so much time thinking about games that my time playing games is largely limited to my daily hour-long stationary bike ride. But one game this year forced me to get off the bike and play it in its entirety on the couch with my full attention, and that game was 13 Sentinels. I played too many games this year, a tick over probably like 70, and while lots of them helped me escape uh, this shit show of a moment, 13 Sentinels was the only one to help me process it, and what life will look like after a global disaster. I mean, I guess Kentucky Route Zero also did this, but I've been recommending that game for a decade, and if you haven't played it by now, friend, I can't help you. So, make some yakisoba pan, my sweet angel, and give 13 Sentinels a try. It's technically the best PlayStation exclusive of 2020 that you can play on your PS5. I'm just kidding. Nobody can get a PS5. They're sold out everywhere. I think now we are going to ease into the collaborative list, the list four into the Aether, top five for the Aether itself, a fusion of both mine and Brendan's list, but less of a one plus one equals two, more of a what is kind of spiritually the cohesion here. Um, So it helps that. Can I just uh, reiterate? 2018, Marvel Spider-Man, God of War, Celeste, Hollow Knight, Smash Ultimate. 2019, Fire Emblem Three Houses, Sekiro, Slay the Spire, Death Stranding, Pokemon Sword and Shield. Yeah, those are the last two years. And I think 2018 was the most like all over the place in terms of where they were in our list and where they ended up on the show's list. Mm -hmm. Last year was a little bit closer and we'll see how this year is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the the more we do this show, the more our tastes align, it seems. Eventually it'll just be us talking at the same time. Like, hi, I'm Brendan Dickey. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to edit this anymore. It's too easy to edit. I don't have to edit this. I I only need one side of the audio. <laughs> I could just pitch I could just pitch Brendan's voice down to get Stephen's audio. I liked Into the Aether until it became one dimensional and it was just a singular place in time that had Claude's face and Zagreus's essence. Anyway, uh so yeah, why don't we do the top five? So you've got both our lists out in the open, right? Let's see what happens. So our top yes. threes were the same, and I imagine that'll be the same for the show, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Should we should we go over again what our top tens are real quick? Just like list them off. Would that be easier? Yeah, that works. 
Okay. Um, do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Actually, let's have AJ do it. AJ, what what are our top tens? Cool. Uh, so the top tens, we got Steven has Yakuza Like a Dragon. Number nine was If Found. Uh, eight is Ori and the Will of the Wisp. Uh, nine is Ghost, or sorry, seven is Ghost of Tsushima. Six is Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition. Five was Persona 5 Royal. Four is 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. Three, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Two, Animal Crossing. One, Hades. And for Brendan... Number 10 was Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 plus 2. 9 was Yakuza Like a Dragon. 8 is The Last of Us 2. 7 was Blaze Ball. 6 was Ghost of Tsushima. 5 was 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. 4 was Kentucky Rat Zero TV Edition. Uh, 3 Final Fantasy 7 Remake. 2 Animal Crossing New Horizons. 1 Hades. Okay, so I think the the ones that seem to be floating around the Ether Top 5 are Kentucky Rat Zero, mm-hmm. Persona 5 Royal, and 13 Sentinels, right? Yeah. Yeah, Ghost of Tsushima as well. That's a little lower, though. I mean, we, we can enough. try to count it if you want, but I think those seem to be the ones vying for. I think it's, the yeah, it's what, seven show. for you and six for me? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not against here's the big question. I mean, yeah. this, is, this is the first year in which you and I have three games in the same spot at the top of the list. So do we want to <laughs> just say Hades, Animal Crossing, and Final Fantasy VII Remake are one, two, three for yeah, the, I don't for see the show? Not. I, I don't think there's any game that like us combined is greater than that order. You know, like I don't think it's, Oh, Steven likes Pokemon, but when he's playing with Brandon, it's even more than Animal Crossing. Like I think yeah. it's, I think that could just be the one, two, three of the I show. I do kind of see that with Goes of Tsushima. That's that's what I'm kind of curious about. Is like, is is the addition of multiplayer and us being able to play that together, and the the experience that you and I have had playing that together, worth bumping it up further than where it was on either of our lists for the I show? I don't see. I'm not against that, but I don't see it getting into the top three. Like the top three of our, I think we can just say, unless you feel otherwise, I think like at least for now, Hades, Animal Crossing, and FF7 are the top three of the show. AJ, how do you feel about that? Well, I've already written (laughs) Hades, Animal Crossing, and Final (laughs) Fantasy VII as the top (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, No, I mean, I mean, I think out of all of those, I think just from hearing you guys talk about these video games. Uh, I think if anything was going to vie for, I, I really only think final fantasy seven would be pushed down. I think the only game that would compete there is 13 Sentinels. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I honestly think for top three though, like FF seven and animal crossing are like part of our soul. Right. Like yeah. Right. I think like for, for us, like, the fact that we had the same order too, I think kind of says all you need. In terms I'll say of this like, much. My top five has been locked in for about like a month. Yeah. What were your four and five again? 13 Sentinels and Kentucky uh, Red Zero is number Zero. four and 13 Sentinels is number five. Yeah. My, my top five has been locked in for like a month. It, it's been the six through 10 slots that have changed mm-hmm. dramatically over the course of like a couple of weeks as recently as like five minutes before we started recording. I swapped some. <laughs> so here, here's the deal. I think my number five was persona five Royal. Mm-hmm. That game means a lot to me. I don't think it belongs in the show's top five just because of, uh, you know, like I think it's a little bit more my field than yours. I think you loved it, but I don't know if it's more than some of the other games that are kind of in contention, but yeah. I love to hear it was my number 11 that. spot this All year. Right, don't rub it. In. But I Jeez. do. Th- <laughs> I do think that is very literally only because I didn't finish it. Yeah. I played yeah, through no, the I, first I, five K 
castles. I think he did. Yeah, something around there. It's yeah. like the, that's like um, the first quarter of the game, just about right. The first, there, there are like nine palaces. I think you did three, right? You're at the third one with Makoto. No, it's past that. Oh, okay. Then yeah, five. I mean, like yeah, it's. I think five palaces in is probably like a little under halfway through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's Even the though thing. there are only eight palaces <laughs> or nine. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think um, if I had played more of that game and if I had finished it, I think it would be higher on my list. I think I think that's like the big kind of what if of the year for me is Persona yeah. Five. The other one for me, which is not in contention at all, but is worth shouting out, is um, I think I didn't play enough of Splunky Two, um, mm. and. And I think think Splunky 2 being everything that I loved about the first, literally, like very literally everything I loved about the first, which I think is one of the best games of all time, but better is shocking. But I didn't have the mental like fortitude to handle it at the same time as Hades, which came out a week later. Yeah, Um, it was really bad timing. I think I think we will go back to Splunky 2 next year and and both kick ourselves. But I've played um, a little bit of Splunky 2 this week and I have been shocked at how incredible it is. Uh, But yeah, but I didn't play enough of it this year to like have it land on my list overall in my whole life the way that the first game did yeah that's yeah. kind of where I'm at with like uh, Marvel's or uh, Miles Morales you know yeah. Spider-Man where it's with like Marvel's that first game <laughs> like Miles Morales is probably better than the original Spider-Man honestly I agree but it's the experience I already 100%. had it's kind of hard to feel as strongly yeah but anyway so I think for the top five I think 13 Sentinels needs to be on there uh, personally, yeah, I, agree. I feel like that's very on brand for the show. We're like one of the 20 people who played it this year. So <laughs> we feel like yeah. we would be like betraying it like a friend if it wasn't in the top five. Yeah. We can put it, I think, at because it was what four for you. It was four for me, five for you. Yeah. Um, yes. So I think maybe at four or five would be good. Um, what's the other? Me. What are the other big ones floating around there? Uh, it's Kentucky Route Zero. Ghost right? of Tsushima and Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah. Can I just real quick say what I think is going to happen in yeah, in the next twenty it. minutes? Yeah, please. I, um, love that. I think we are going to come up with four, thirteen Sentinels at number four, and then fight over number five, whether it's Ghost of Tsushima or Kentucky Route Zero TV edition. Interesting. I uh, maybe yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm pretty con- like as much as I liked playing multiplayer and as much as I liked Ghost. Tsushima I'm mm-hmm. like very cool with our show being Hades Animal Crossing Final Fantasy 7 uh 13 Sentinels and Kentucky Route Zero or Flip the Two because I think mm-hmm. that's like those are the games that we've spent a lot of time talking about this year that right. like I think we've done a lot to champion. Ghost of Tsushima was like a really happy accident I feel like not sure. to like downplay how much I like that game Yeah, and I do think I'm open to having it on the list because we've had so much fun with it together and like it is an incredible game I mean it beat out it, it beat out Eichenfell that's how much I love that game you know mm-hmm. Eichenfell was something I was very vocal about loving so I'm not against it but I, I just think for the show and for the show like what we've covered together it just feels like sentinels and and kentucky Route zero should be there yeah we don't yeah. we don't have a lot of overlap in our top tens really in a lot of instances although we have one two and three in the same spots like if found or in the will of the wisps and persona 5 royal are three games you have on your list that i don't have on mine at all yakuza yeah. like a dragon we have in like kind similar of similar spots, spots. Yeah. Nine yeah. And ten, it, yeah. It, yeah it's 10 for you nine for me ghost of tsushima i think you have it what seven and i have it 
six. But outside of that, I mean, like Kentucky Route Zero and 13 Sentinels are like clearly the other two outside of the yeah. three that we have in common. Those are clearly the other two that are like close enough to the top. I I'll say this much. The the thing that I think was most interesting about your list that I was expecting to be there was Blazeball. I thought that Blazeball was going to be higher on your list and it's mm. not on your list at all. I thought that that was one of the ones that I was going to have to argue to be in the top five. And now I'm finding myself at a place where I don't have to at all because it's not on your list. So like it just doesn't make sense to be on our collective <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I had I had it at number seven. I was expecting to argue for it to be in our number five spot. Um mm. But considering it didn't make your list at all, like I just find myself like totally free. And like I've said in our breaks, I'm just very laissez faire about how we end up here. It's a very Um, laissez faire episode for sure. That said, the one the one game like weirdly enough, it's lower on both of our lists than Ghost of Tsushima. But I would consider Yakuza like a dragon to be in our top five. Mm. That is the other one that I would consider like maybe Mm. bumping up higher than Ghost of Tsushima, even though it doesn't make any real sense. But also, again, (laughs) these are so subjective. These lists, these lists, like this. This is for our podcast that like some people listen to, but not a whole lot. Like this is for like a very, this is for a weird dark corner of the internet that we've created for ourselves. Um, The thing about Yakuza is that as I was talking about it, I realized how much more I liked it even, you know, yeah, man. (laughs) like (laughs) I had a feeling um, that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very on brand with Ichiban starting at the bottom and just moving his way up. So like, (laughs) I think you're right. I think you're right that like Yakuza definitely has, has, I mean, would it beat out Kentucky Route Zero or 13 Sentinels? That's the big thing is I think the answer is yeah. probably no. Yeah. But it's worth at least bringing up, you know, it's worth bringing up the, the potential of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was one of the few that was on both our lists. Um, I would feel very nice about having a next gen game be on our list, but I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just yeah, I don't, then, I don't it's see like it not. It's not like super next gen either. It's like right. Very it came much out for PS4, PS4 last year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think uh, I want to say this and tell me how you feel. Uh, Hades, Animal Crossing, FF7 remake, Kentucky Route Zero, 13 Sentinels. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's I think that's it. The thing is that that is my top five. <laughs> and the thing is, that would be my top five. If it wasn't for Persona 5 Royal. Right. Uh, Or I guess actually I would have flipped 13 Sandals and Kentucky Red Zero. But that's like, they're basically like two, they're like Gemini in the stars. You know, they're, they're, (laughs) how anime do you want this thing to be? Basically, (laughs) it's sort of the question there. So yeah, I'd be happy with that. The thing that I find, um, the thing that I'm pushing up against is like Persona 5 is in our top five games of the decade and has not ever been on our games of the year list. And it would be very I mean, weird to have one of our games of the decade not on this year's game of the year list. Well, but I, the, the game of the decade was Persona 5, not Persona 5 Royal. <laughs> OK, that's a good point. And when did Persona 5 come out? Was this 2017? Uh, yeah, no, I it did. It came out 2017. Persona 5 Royal was this year. Okay. I'm just thinking, like, if we had made this podcast in 2017, Persona 5 would be on the list. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. I would have put it on the list. 2017 is a nightmare year. I'm glad we didn't have this show then. It's impossible. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, there are a couple of years in, like, the history of video games that are, like, seminal. Like, 2007, I think 2011 is one of the big ones. I think 2017 2017 is another big one. was Mm -hmm. Breath of the Wild, Nier Automata. 
Persona 5. RE7. I was about to say Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. <laughs> Gravity Rush 2. Uh, what else? I think Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, um, yes, Horizon Zero Dawn. Like, just cr- th- those six games alone are crazy. Like, all of them <laughs> are, are too much. It's like six Hades just smacking you. Um, yeah, unreal. Unreal. Um, and there's more than that. Oh, Hyper Light Drifter was that year as well. Oh my God. Um, yes. Mario Odyssey was that year as well. Uh, just unreal. Just, oh, Destiny yeah. 2. <laughs> just fuck. Whatever. I'm so glad we started in 2018. Oh my God. Yeah, like, we, okay, we really I'll dodged a bullet, huh? Damn. Yes. <laughs> um, but like, it's such an exciting year. And honestly, 2020 is pretty close based on what we have to choose. So yeah, I think um, I would love Persona on this show. Uh, on the top five, but I also don't know if I would want to kick out either like two of the most like ambitious narrative games of like this year, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think Persona 5 is up there, but we've already kind of honored it. So I'm like happy. Mm-hmm. Like it's on my list and my list is also important. I know the show's list is the final thing, but my <laughs> list is also important. Yeah. It got on there. So I think <laughs> I'm happy having Kentucky Red Zero and giving 13 Sentinels just like another little bump because it needs it, <laughs> you know? You're deep in thought. I've never seen the Brendan looks like he's, he's playing so, shogi against himself. He's so amazing. contemplative. Yeah, the, he's like fuck it. Yakuza's game of the year and nothing else. Just <laughs> one. Call of Duty Cold War. Yeah, Call fuck. Cold War. Ronald Reagan for Smash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow I'm trying to get Dragon Quest Eleven in here. Um, the Sephiroth release trailer, game of the year. <laughs> Bro- Broly, Goku, Limbiscuit, <laughs> Fred Durst. Dude. Don't fuck around with Broly. <laughs> AFK Arena. Uh, anyway, I here's the wild... Actually, speaking of AFK Arena, one of the things I wanted to bring up that I didn't bring up is that I don't have a mobile game in my top 10 for the first time ever. Um, yeah, which, I do. Which I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's really wild to me. Um, and this was the f- the first full year that Apple Arcade existed. I know. Um, yeah. this is, it's, I, said, I said I do not in a bragging way, but in a, that's definitely an effect you've had on me way. Like as yes. much as I've shown you Final Fantasy, you've gotten me way more into mobile games, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. I have a few in my uh, 11 through 20 list, uh, but none of them made the top 10 for the first time, which I'm really surprised by, honestly. Because I, I would say even prior to doing the show, I had more mobile games in my list. And, and there are a lot on my list of possible contenders for Game of the Year this year. I mean... The list of contenders for this year is so wildly long. I mean, yeah. the the things I was considering and like had to strike off just like with my eyes closed are so sad, you know, <laughs> like that's uh, the thing. I had to make a lot of big cuts. I mean, Spirit Fair was one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That like, honestly, it should have been an honorable mention based on how much I liked it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Bug Fables is one of those ones that like I really wish we could have. Bug Fables. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really wish I, I felt the same way. I wish you didn't even say it, you bring it up made me feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, what are we doing for the top five? We're, we're straying away from this this hard decision. You're right. You're right. I think th- I think <clears throat> no no I think you're right on. And I, th- I this is the this is what I thought was going to happen. Um, and I think is correct, which is. Hades, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Kentucky Route Zero, and 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that's your top five, but it also is like, I think kind of a good end result of our lists and, and the show's list. I think I yeah. think it's most representative of the show's top five. Is it like totally out of left field fucking wild to say that I think maybe it might behoove us to move Final Fantasy down to number five? No, because I cried during it. I was with you for a second. <laughs> I actually had Final Fantasy at like six at one point. Yeah. Until I went back and played it again and talking about it, like 
it's got to be top three. That game is you know, stunning. That, I think yeah, that's yeah. a game that we didn't fully comprehend how good it was until now. <laughs> that's the thing. And it's like, cause I had that stress of like, is this going to suck at any moment? Cause some, again, we've talked about the moments that just like are outright bad. Yeah. Um, but the bones of it are great. I mean, the combat and the characters and like, you know, we, we talked about it probably for the longest of any game in this list. I would be, I think it would be a short term move to put it at five because of how much people talked about it. And also like, again, for us, like FF seven is to me what animal crossing is to you. I would not want to bump it down. Yeah, that's true. Um, for for I, I as much as I value Kentucky Route Zero and Thirteen Sentinels as like these landmarks and narrative achievements, I think like for the show that just makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that would that would then be yeah. So then Hades, Animal Crossing, Final Fantasy, Kentucky Route Zero, Thirteen Sentinels. Yeah, that works for me. And you feel you feel good about Kentucky Route Zero above Thirteen Sentinels? I think so. I think like. Um, 13 Sentinels is fresher in my mind because I played it more recently. Um, and it's also like a singular then, okay, event. Yeah, yeah. But I think the scope of Kentucky Red Zero might give it a little bit of a bump. And also just the uniqueness of it. Like, yeah. I think there's some stuff to get past that goes unresolved in 13 Sentinels, whereas Kentucky Red Zero the whole time is like just wild. Yeah. yeah. From hearing you guys talk about both of those games, I think Kentucky Red Zero was more, I guess, emotionally effective than 13 sentinels in some ways i would say that but i think they're very honestly they're interchangeable so like you can catch us at any moment and we would put one above the other Mm. at a certain point this is arbitrary they're just on the top five in some place (laughs) you know yeah yeah yeah. not Um, to not to cut you off aj i just think it's it's really hard to compare i think like it's really like yeah it's very it's a very different vibe in both games um Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I think like the top five is maybe less of even, yeah, I think, I think it's good. I think it's, I think it's what we should do. I'll, I'll say, I think 13 Sentinels and Kentucky Red Zero both brought me into different head spaces than like my normal everyday Brendan Bigley playing a video game headspace. Um, yeah. but Kentucky Red Zero took me further into its place that it created for me than 13 Sentinels did. Um, did you fall asleep on a road trip or on the couch with the TV on? And those are your games. <laughs> one is one and one is the other. You say that, but as I mentioned in our episode about Kentucky Red Zero, I fell asleep listening to the the bluegrass band playing in Kentucky Red Zero and had really weird dreams and then woke up and finished the rest of Act One. Oh, what I meant was like the games are surreal in those ways. No, I know. I know. I know. And I just, I think, I think Kentucky Red Zero is more weirdly all encompassing of even what 13 Sentinels is trying to do at times. Um, and and that's why I place it at number four over number five. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And again, like, as you said, I, I mean, we, I don't know how much we can go on litigating what game of the year means because we're like literally comparing like almost different art forms against one another. Yeah. Um, Painting versus car. But (laughs) no, for real. I I do think weirdly enough, like these are two visual novel adjacent experiences. Um, And the one that I think is more successful is Kentucky Route Zero, because even though that game happened in uh, ye old times before the pandemic, it still sticks with me more. And I think about it more more than I do 13 Sentinels. 13 Sentinels, when I was Mm -hmm. done with it, I was like, that's cool, I'm done with it. But while I was experiencing it, I was manic and wild and like having a really bizarre time and having a hard time conversing with people. But then when I was done with it, I like put a bow on it and I felt like I was done. And Kentucky Route Zero has stuck with me the entirety of the time that I I have, uh, I guess, lived since playing it. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, again, I think not to put one against the other, but I think it's like as as much as going on in both games, Thirteen Sentinels arrives at a very clear end point. Yeah. Which is probably mm-hmm. why you had a better time to be like, that was a really good cathartic ending i can move on whereas like kentucky red zero is very liquid and how it stays with you, you yeah know? and i and i honestly don't think that act five really like holds up to the rest of it i i think that act five is like easily the weakest of all of the acts for me um mm. it didn't really work for me as well as the other ones but i can't i really can't discount and discredit the other acts and and how they influenced my like state of mind for months I- I agree. I mean, I, th- I think I think if you had to make me choose like, yeah, act five is like not as strong, but I also don't know how else it would end. I like I like the way they yeah. ended it. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I think like it's kind of like um, this is such a weird comparison. And like, huh. I know this is like kind of an edgelord show in, in the wrong fan bases, but like it's like getting breaking, a 64 pack of Crayola crayons. Breaking Bad <laughs> season four to me ends the plot of the show. Uh-huh. And mm. the fifth season is kind of like the repercussions of what happens next. Yeah. yeah and yeah, that yeah. kind of is what feels like act four and five are where act four like ends the plot of Kentucky Red Zero and act five is like what could happen next at yeah. this point. Yeah. Um, and I think is again, it's the only sunlit act. It is the only kind of brief ray of hope that is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you were waiting 10 years for it, you probably maybe would be disappointed. But like as a piece of a overarching narrative, I thought it, it wrapped up beautifully. Yeah. So. So I think that's our top five then. Yeah. yeah I feel good about that. Wow. Wow. We did it. Game of the year 2020. Yeah. Is a wrap. Uh, give a little round of applause for, for uh, AJ and ourselves. Um, yeah, great job. I was going to say just you, AJ, and then I was like, we should all get it. I guess that means we're going to wrap up. I, you know, this is a special episode and I, I want to wrap up by also kind of addressing this year and this season of ours. I mean, I know it's not the end of the season. Our, our season is kind of marked, I think, in June. Yeah. But it is definitely like a an event. I just want to say, you know, from my end, at least, we say every week that doing this show is a joy and and it is. But I, you know, I I think this has been a big year for us. I think we've seen a lot of growth in the discord and in, in the amount of listeners and people reaching out about the show and saying that it has been a source of positivity in some way for them. Mm-hmm. It like Animal Crossing, like a lot of these games that we have shown affection for, for kind of helping us through an especially difficult time, times that by a thousand. And it's what this show is for me. I can't even imagine my life without this show, especially right now. You know, I mean, I am thankful that I'm in a pretty okay place during all of this. And the one of the things I hold most grateful is that I'm able to create this show with both of you. And it has provided me with a sense of community and a sense of creative uh, satisfaction that I couldn't imagine not having. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as many people who have reached out and said this has been positive for you, which is unreal. I mean, thank you for doing that. Just know that like it goes both ways. I have found so much value and so much happiness and joy from the show. So you have helped me and that's a quote to do and Dimitri and their last support ranks <laughs> together. But uh, <laughs> you have also saved me during this uh, for real. Like I cannot thank you all enough and cannot thank the two of you enough for doing this with me all this time. Yeah. And Psych! Yeah, I don't even. I don't even know what to say. I, I, I mean, I hope you know that I feel the same way. This is. I yeah. definitely do. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, th- this show, this show is so fun to make. And and this year specifically has been so, I mean, obviously like the actual year of 2020 has been like, oh, holy shit, like nightmarish at times, uh, just really horrible. But alongside of that, this year of doing this podcast has been like really kind of enlightening and enriching yeah. in yeah. a whole bunch of avenues from uh, a creative standpoint all the way to just like a, I don't know, like life fulfillment kind of standpoint, you know, like we're, we're starting to do the things that I had always wanted to do uh, years and years ago before I even had like um, the idea of like, eh, maybe, maybe producing podcasts would be like a fun thing to do. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know being, being like, I guess, two and a half, technically three years in, you know, in terms of how many goatee episodes we've done, at least Um, (laughs) being now like three years in is like, yeah, we're like really hitting a groove and like starting to kind Mm -hmm. of like, I don't know, uh, punch the the form of what we think into the aether is into something new. And that's fun to like mold that clay into into a a statue that looks different than the thing that we uh, started putting together in 2018. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it 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 I feel the exact same way as both of you do. Um, having the opportunity to, to work on this show and also to be on this show sometimes is just seriously so... It's it's just so wonderful. <laughs> it, it, it's a great thing to consistently have in my life and, and the creative freedoms that you two allow me <laughs> as as a, an editor on this show is, is really, really wonderful. Um, it, it's been very rewarding for me and, and I've seen some of the... Or I, I have sown some of the seeds that I have reaped via this show <laughs> this Hell year. Yeah. That was great. Um, what a, so that was like a trampoline of a sentence. I, yeah, I, I know. I was sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was amazing. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so, I have sown the seeds I've reaped. Yeah. I, 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 all I just keep thinking, I, I have this tweet stuck in my head all the time that is me reaping. Haha. Yeah, this rules. Me sowing. Oh, what the fuck? This sucks. Oh, the fuck? <laughs> but, but for me, Please it's continue, the opposite. Yes. It's like, oh, this rules. And then also me sowing is like, oh, sick. This is great. <laughs> Um, that's awesome i'm glad you feel um, that way but and and i really i really can't thank you two enough for for giving me the opportunity to to grow in that way and it's 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 all you man it's a real delight i also want to give uh i want to give a big shout out to um our guests who uh submitted some audio uh that you have now heard throughout the course of this episode Uh, we we haven't even heard all of it as of the time of this recording i want to be perfectly clear that we were watching the game awards specifically to see if jeff Keeley was gonna like completely dunk on our plans to record the episode this weekend and be like yeah dude silk song's out now uh and like completely ruin all of our plans in our top 10 lists uh thankfully our lord god jeff Keeley did not release anything new um which allowed us to maintain our schedule um but yeah. that said i i think that's for the best because if, if something came out in the next like two weeks i would be just like beside myself yeah yeah i think i think whatever comes out next i want to be in a place where i can give it its proper time because right. even like this sort of end of the year roundup it's like a little rushed like yeah, um, yeah i mean to be completely honest like as soon as like the last week of November hit, I was in full like goatee episode preparation mode. Um, and it's nice that we're recording this early enough in the in the month um, where like I don't have to feel this all the time for like a couple more weeks at least. But I'm just like so excited about what next week is going to bring. Being able to be completely unhooked from like going and checking out the things that are on my top 10 or things that I think belong on my top 10 again. As much as I love those things, obviously, because they're in my top 10, I do I do want 
to like kind of expand my horizons and play things that are a little bit more uh, outside of that realm. For example, finally finishing Dragon Quest XI S Echoes of Illusion for the Nintendo Switch. So excited to find Xbox Game Pass. Now also available on Xbox Game Pass and PC, which by the way, I do want to mention, I just played a little bit of that game on Xbox Game Pass just to see what it looked like. If you have a Switch, go get it on Switch. It looks exactly the same. It plays exactly the same. It's just as good on both. Wherever you play that game, that's the best version. Yeah, like the PS4 version that you can't get anymore that has the haunted soundtrack. No, no, no. no. That that version is gone. They deleted it from PSN. You can only get S now. Hell yeah. I'm excited (laughs) to play it on Game Pass and give it a proper time. I'm I'm very pumped for it, You and I will eventually do a bonus episode about that game. Oh, yeah. And oh my God, am I excited for it. I mean, this this is like, this is my Final Fantasy seven man this is like <laughs> oof. um yeah no i mean i i put a i put a good amount of time into it but i think i just eventually moved on but i'm very excited to like give it its proper it's kind of like when you played uh kentucky Route zero for the first time you know seven years ago and you're like i don't know yeah. um it'll be kind of like that i think with this with yeah we will we will we will talk about it again um yeah. But anyway, yeah, there are just so many games that are like waiting in the wings that I'm so excited to check out and like play for real, for real. Death Stranding mm-hmm. being one of them. I, I might even do that like right after we're done recording. I might just go immediately <laughs> sit down on the couch. Just and, chug like, a few monsters and carry a baby. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's fun. It's fun like kind of understanding the, the like uh, peaks and valleys of the show. I think like last year post Goaty, you know, like January and February was like such a weird time for the two of us just in terms of like the game. Like it is so unpredictable, the games that we're going to check out. As soon as we start getting into the cycle of like what is coming out and like where's the hype cycle industry wide, as much as you and I try and like kind of break away from whatever like the mainstream, like this is the thing that everybody's talking about right now game is, we do fall into that because you and I are like human beings who are also excited about video games and want to see what's new and interesting and exciting as like humans it is fun in like january and february and march just being completely unhooked from everything because there's nothing to latch on to it's just entirely where our whims take us right Um, it's like here's mother one and a lego game (laughs) (laughs) exactly and i think i think that will probably happen just like last year with like the cats episode that also (laughs) turned into star wars Wars jedi fallen order somehow and like looped back into cats and Wadham and Wadham all in one episode like <laughs> I'm excited to see what what January and February March bring next year me too yeah and that I guess that kind of leads into how we'd like to end the goatee episode is I, I I think we now know now that we've done this for you know close to three years that we really have no idea what the next year brings you know I mean we can say now what our most anticipated stuff is but we like never really know what's going to catch us by surprise yeah I think Hades is a very clear example, 13 Sentinels, stuff like that. But at this time, based on what we know, what is, you know, in this moment, what you're most excited for next year? And this extends to both of you. I'd love to hear what you think. AJ, do you have anything off the top of your head that you're uh, interested in? I mean, the first thing that pops into my head, just because it's, I think about it once a month for the last year and a half is Elden Ring. Yeah. Not that I, we know anything more than we did last year about this fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. But uh, I, uh, phew, next year, oh, uh, Resident Evil Village. I am extremely hyped for. Yeah, I'm so I'm so fucking jacked for that game, y'all. I I loved Resident Evil Seven. Um, I'm so excited for eight, but that also means I have to get <laughs> fucking PS Five. Um, <laughs> I would love f- 
in my wildest dreams, Horizon uh, Wild. I Forbidden West. Forbidden West. Shit. Uh, I'm not a real fan. Uh, in my wildest <laughs> dreams, Horizon Forbidden West would come out next year, but that's definitely not going to happen. Yeah. <sighs> Nothing I think it's really possible. Is... I think it could come next year. <sighs> I don't know. I think your March 2021 date, Brendan, is, is pretty, pretty on point. Hey, I feel pretty good about that, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no. What about you? Yeah, I, I, th- I think that obviously the biggest one for me is Silk Song. I, th- I mm. think that, um, you know, a Hollow Knight, again, my favorite game of all time. I think Silk Song has the potential to be better uh, in a lot of ways based on what I've already seen from that game. Um, and if they follow through on that, I think that's going to be just like an unreal video game. That said, though, I am very concerned that like as hard as this year has been in 2019 and 2018 for us, like creating a top 10 boiling it down to a top five for the show. I think 2021 has the potential to be another 2007, 2011, 2017, mm-hmm. like one of the big years in the medium. Just looking ahead at the stuff that is possibly coming out, I I think we're f- like fucked. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> um, there's, some, there's some stuff on the horizon that like really makes me nervous. Breath of the Wild 2 has the potential to come out next mm-hmm. year. Like that is a possibility, which like by itself is a lot. But then when you match that up with, um, I don't know, with other things like Deathloop, God of War 2. Oh, um, shit. God of War 2. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't even I mean, there's so there's so much. I'm just looking at a list of stuff that's coming out next year and it's like horrifying. Um, yeah. Hitman I mean, 3 is uh, coming out next year. Uh, one of the first things coming out next year is the entire remastered Yakuza franchise. They just remastered the whole franchise. and It's all going to be on Game Pass. Wow. That's just like a wild thing. Um, Super Mario 3D World is coming out for Switch, which I have long held since that came out on the Wii U is the best Mario game, like hands down. And I think a lot of people are going to also realize that when this remastered version comes out for Switch with this Mm. uh, additional version. Persona 5 Strikers is coming out in the US next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just have this big list in front of me and it is just terrifying cyber look cyberpunk obviously fucked like i don't feel very good about checking out that game but the next gen version of that is coming out next year which like cool i guess disco elysium is coming out for consoles next year this like huge expansion for elite dangerous which is like generally a space flight sim um where it now allows you to go check out planets and have like a full like first person kind of narrative adventure within that world is coming out next year. It's called Elite Dangerous Odyssey. That's like one of the sleeper kind of games coming out next year that I think is going to be huge when it drops. I Mm -hmm. loved the original Elite Dangerous um, and spent a lot of time in there. I think it's going to be huge. The new Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga is coming out. And every indication I've heard is like that game's on a whole different level than people are expecting. Uh, It's not just it's not just like we're going to take all the Lego Star Wars games and we're going to remaster them for a new generation. It is like we're making a full open world recreation of the entirety of episodes one through nine available and playable uh, for for the next generation. That's going to be like really, really wild. Um, And then there's stuff like the Mass Effect remastered trilogy that's coming out next year that we're going to have to like contend with. I'm going to have to play all three Mass Effect games next year. And I'm just yeah, like, you are, man, getting ready for that, along with all the Monster <laughs> Hunter stuff, along with Psychonauts 2, as you said, Resident Evil Village. Um, oh, my God. Can I say what I'm excited for? Please just do. Kind of bounce off that. Yeah, no. please tell me. Um, 
uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy 16 uh, oh, featuring shit. Clive. Um, yeah. It, yeah, that's currently <laughs> slated for next year. Yeah, um, I mean, like you, I'm really pumped for Silk Song. Uh, if FF16 comes out, obviously that as well. Uh, I'm actually very excited for the uh, Ratchet and Clank game mm. coming out for PS5. I don't have a PS5 yet, but like I'm excited to get one at some point next year and experience like the actual next gen titles coming out for it. Right. And that's I think going to be something that's big on next year. It's like we're going to finally get like the games that were made for the series S and X and PS5, which yeah. will be cool to see. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> next year's Sable, gonna be still really wild on, which will be fun yeah, yeah it's gonna be an incredible year i think for games mm-hmm. take a sip of wine why not <laughs> that's i guess it right yeah i guess that's it huh yeah i guess that's it hmm? wow well anyway uh thank you all so much for listening as always uh we mm-hmm you know we we talked about how much we appreciate the support earlier but it, it can never be said enough we hope you enjoyed this goody episode it's it's the uh, a landmark episode for the show our third one we look forward to next year and seeing where everything from that year lands um if you like the show if you listen to this and you're like i want more people to hear about how kentucky route zero and 13 Sentinels are interchangeable stars in the constellation of Gemini. <laughs> Share it with a friend. It's the easiest way to help the show grow. Uh, you can also <laughs> review us on Apple Podcasts. A special shout out to the patrons. We really appreciate your support, especially right now. This is probably full disclosure. You know, we we use the money to uh, pay AJ. Hey, AJ. Um, we use the money... <laughs> to buy games we might be on the fence about or uh, buy equipment that we might need. Uh, We've been using more money than ever this year from the Patreon. We're like pretty comfortable letting it sit because we don't want to like be too flippant with it. But like, I I just want you to know that your financial support, if you're willing to give it, has really helped us this year. So thank you. Um, We are definitely open to looking for more ways to develop the Patreon right now. And as I think we're, we're cemented in the idea of never paywalling content, but we're looking into maybe doing something special for the patrons because your support has helped us so much. The discord is a lovely place. We definitely recommend joining it. And yeah, that's basically it. Uh, If you go to into the cast, the online, that's all, our links, our Twitch page, our, uh, you know, all, all that stuff, Instagram, Twitter, all that's on into the cast that online. And also, um, our blog is linked there. I know I am going to write out my list and kind of go, you know, a little bit, maybe more into detail in certain things about games and, and maybe do some drawings to accompany it, uh, just for fun. Um, just to kind of further cement the list in some formal way. Uh, Brendan, I think, might drum me in that. But regardless, um, I'm planning on doing that on the medium sometime soon. And uh, yeah, that's basically it from my end. How, how about you two? Uh, I would just mention uh, we're streaming like way more than we ever have. You can yeah, go to totally. twitch.tv slash into the cast. Um, if you are not able to join uh, at the times in which we are streaming, all of that stuff is available on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash into the aether. As we mentioned before, Every link that you could possibly want that, uh, you know, wherever we are online is at into the cast online. So you can go check that out if, if you know, you're missing any of this stuff. But 
that said, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're streaming a lot more. A lot of those videos are going to YouTube. Um, we're experimenting potentially with maybe making some YouTube only stuff in the future. So like you don't ever feel like you're missing live streams or whatever. But that said, I have been streaming every morning for the better part of like three months now at this point, every weekday morning specifically. I'm just about done with a Hollow Knight Let's Play. So like, I don't know what I'm going to move on to next, but I'm sure it's going to be a good time. So yeah, I don't know. Just like join us there. We're we yeah. tend to not announce like on Twitter when we're streaming, but if you're in the Discord, you can get notifications when we go live. Um, yeah, and, and it happens at random, but you know, regardless of when it happens, it's always going to be on YouTube after. So yeah. yeah, and if it's not for the Twitch notifications, you should join the Discord anyway because there's great people talking about the show, talking about their interests and other things. It's just a great, great community uh, to be a part of and to watch grow. There's a whole channel about Steep, the best video game of all time. (laughs) That's only emojis. Yeah, you can only post emojis. Sorry, I should. Yeah, I should clarify. You can only post emojis in the Steep channel. But yeah, there's a whole channel for Steep. (laughs) It's just a great time, and I I, I really, I really enjoy everybody interacting with each other on there. um, And it's a great, it's just a great place to be a part of. It's, it's great to feel like a a sense of community around the show. As much fun as it is uh, listening to you guys talk to each other and, and talk to you guys, it's, it's also great to talk to other people who have similar interests. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, totally. It's a cool time. Halo cool. Infinite is coming out next year, too. Oh, wow. Great. <laughs> I've never played a Halo in my whole life, and I will not play Halo Infinite. <laughs> really? I probably will. Even, even if you have an Xbox and Xbox Game Pass, you won't play Halo Infinite? I just don't have any desire to whatsoever. Oh my god! Like even if it is free because it's on Game Pass, like I still don't even know if I'll waste. The, sorry, I don't okay. want to say waste. I don't even know if I'll sacrifice the okay. gigabytes wow. to okay. download here, the file. Here it comes. Here it comes. I'm gonna tell you this, dear listener, and AJ, whether he wants to or not, is gonna have to agree to this. AJ and I will <laughs> do a let's play of the story <laughs> of Halo Infinite in 2021. <laughs> the two of us Shit. will be playing through the entire campaign of Halo Infinite together, how'd and it's going to fucking How'd you know my rule. weakness was content? I am we- so glad I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I dodged a Spartan-sized bullet with this one. <laughs> yeah, my kryptonite is doing things for content, so you've, you've really... I'll say this. I mean, I, I, played, uh, I played the first Halo, and I played the multiplayer of the second two quite a mm-hmm. bit in middle school and high school, <laughs> and I had, I had a fun time. So I'm definitely, like, because I am a uh, a co-host of Into the Aether. I'll probably check out Halo Infinite on Game Pass because I have it. You know, yeah, that's where I'm at. So I'm kind of in the middle. But you, you two enjoyed that playthrough. I'll of the say this, dear listener: story. AJ and Stephen and I will do a full Let's Play on Twitch.tv/slash Into the Cast of Halo that. Infinite for the Xbox Series something. Honestly, that would be a blast. It would be fun. We don't get to stream all three of us too often. Yeah. The last one was Binding of Isaac. Oh my um, god. So we should do that more often. That'd be fun. Yeah. Or uh, what was the other one we did? Titanfall 2, which was really fun. That was so much fun. I might play Titanfall 2 after this is over, honestly. <laughs> that was so like... What a good game that I just have all the time that I should yeah. be playing all the time. I agree. Yeah, it, it feels like we're all trying to not end the episode. Should we end the episode? Yeah. Yeah. Let's I end the so. episode. We, Is we there anything else off. like fun that we should do for the end of this or what? You want to sing? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's been nice uh, talking to you all. I really had a great time. He's Mr. White Christmas. He's Mr. Snow. He's Mr. Heat Blister. He's Mr. Ten Below. 
like that falsetto uh, mashup of Heat and Snow Miser. I fucked up the lyrics. I'll that was it. good. That was um, great. You want to do a fun little thing if you listen to this? Because this is a longer episode, obviously. It's oh, a yeah, yeah, episode. yeah. Do you want to do a fun, like, secret thing if you listen to the whole thing, tweet at us something? Oh, yeah. Um, I would love to do that. What What was it going to be? You're pretty AJ, good at coming up with them. Me? Oh, thank you. Oh. AJ, do you have anything on your on your mind, though? I think he looks like uh, you have I think a good you should idea. tweet something along the lines of, I can't believe we figured out who the real Master Chief was on at, at Into the Cast. Uh, Some <laughs> feedback is I love too that. long. That's great. That <laughs> is pretty long, how though. About, right. um, how about just, uh, hmm. I like the energy, but what, what's punchier? How about just tweet at us a picture of Master Chief? Yes, your favorite, your favorite. <laughs> a, a, a GIF or photo of Master Chief and say do the do above it in text. <laughs> I, pro- I promise you, dear listener, I'm going to retweet every single one of those. <laughs> <laughs> tweet at us, do the do, a picture, gif, or artwork of Master Chief. Oh my god. And yeah, we'll, know, yeah. we'll know you're a real fan, a real gamer. Extra credit if it's your own artwork of Master Chief. Yes. That'd be amazing. Yes. That'd be amazing. Yes. You will. Yes, exactly. I feel yes. like our podcast gets one, like 0.1% more cursed every year. <laughs> yeah. We were doing pretty good in this episode until I brought that energy. I apologize. No, nothing to apologize for, man. We're, we're always like we're, an inch there, away there's from like there's curses. like BC and then AD, and I feel like for us it's like before leakage.mp3 happened and after <laughs> leakage.mp3 happened. I would say it's before cats, honestly. But yeah, yeah, yeah you might every right. year has its own. That's yeah. literally BC. BC um, before cats. Oh, that's fuck. true. <laughs> <laughs> Before cats and, and AD after. after Deuteronomy. I was thinking the same thing. Don't take a proud sip after saying Sorry. After Deuteronomy. <laughs> Don't apologize. You're doing great. Oh my oh, gosh. Shit, Let's man. actually end the show though. We love you all so much. Yeah. Thanks for joining us in this spectacle and we'll see you real soon. This has been the best. Bye. Thank you so Bye. much. Oh my God. I'm so excited to start a new year of keeping a really ordered list. <laughs> A new year of less. Do the do, baby. Oh, my name is Brenda Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brenda Bigley. Uh, Stephen Hilliger, you can find it at Stephen Hilliger, and AJ Filari is at a- at AJ Filari. Everybody else stopped recording except me because I'm the no, only one who cares about self promotion <laughs> and corporate interest. <laughs> all right, bye. All right, thanks. Bye. I love you all. What's up, gamers? Scout Wilkinson here. I'm the Into the Aether Season 3 cover artist and local Discord cryptid, coming to you from my closet for maximum audio fidelity, hopefully. My goatee is a little game you might not have heard of yet this year. It's, it's Hades. It's Hades. I have a feeling I won't be the only person on this episode with this pick, and probably won't even be the first, but it's a game that's very important to me in 2020. In fact, it's even more important because of what this year has been, in the United States especially, I think. Uh, Stuck at home, going through the motions of living, without feeling much like I'm progressing, there's something very empowering about watching Zagreus continue to put everything into escaping the underworld. Even as circumstances and motivation change, he puts his all into it. And in most cases, his all is being kind, being patient, listening to those around him, and finding ways he can positively impact their lives. Zach reminds us that it's enough to be just that. Just us. Thank you, and a happy new year to the Aether and the community. Let's continue to be us in 2021.